general about them not liking Trump, I'm sure that's, that, that one is hard to disagree with. Well, um, if, you, if you recall, there was that Project Veritas leak where they got on a phone call with a, a daily CNN call for uh, when all the other folks were there who were just recently fired. And they admitted that they were organizing their entire news operation around Trump and his impeachment and everything else. I think the word has come down, though, that they're they're putting the the kibosh on that. They're going to they're going to quell their sort of cool their jets on Trump all day long. But we'll see. I mean, he he does cut a big wake. Well, can you tell me more about that Project Veritas leak? What did it include? Well, for some, at some point, uh, O'Keefe was able to get onto a daily uh, editor call with all the head honchos there at the news organization when it was being run by – the name eludes me now. But uh, they're, they're all gone now. But basically, the, the premise of the call was Trump 24-7, impeachment 24-7. It was basically a big political to-do. This was about – a year or more ago, but uh, it, it was just obvious that they were they were banking on Trump to sort of pull them through. But now everyone's numbers are in the crapper. And and while Trump does break a lot of news, I have to tell you on the fundraising front of things, it's not the same anymore. It doesn't doesn't quite bring in all the small donors like it used to. Yeah, you said that comment in a previous space we did, by the way. Gabe and Joe, I've sent you guys the invite uh, to come up. Trash, good to have you. Uh, Ryan as well, good to have you as well, Mr. Fournier. It's, uh, it's going to be good a fun be panel. Um, yeah, so so Justin, you've made that comment beforehand. And I know you're not your opening, so I can say it because you're open about it, but you're not a Trump fan. You used to be a Trump fan. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um but you did mention about uh, you, you're making an objective statement about an observation you had regarding fundraising for Trump is getting more difficult. That catches me by surprise. I thought it would be easier now than it was before because before he was the underdog. But now – Well, I, I don't have the insight into uh, Trump's operations. I do have insight into people who have historically used Trump's name to fundraise – and it used to be that just uh, dropping the name on this or that would instantly give you just a, a big load of donors uh, writing, for example, when he was kicked off of Facebook or kicked off of Twitter, would bring in just tens of thousands of dollars to senatorial candidates, congressional candidates, committees, PACs. You could just mention his name. And now that's that's not necessarily the case. So we're going to have to watch the FEC reports. We're coming up here on uh, the end of March, every quarter is a deadline for FEC reports. And so on the 15th or the 21st, I can't remember, of, of April, we should see the first sort of round of Federal Election Commission reports filed by Trump's committee. And we'll be able to tell by what's called unitemized donations how small dollar donations are going. Has Does anyone have any the latest um, reports, the, the, um, the polls done? on who the, the nominee will be and who the president will be. Has anyone looked into the latest polls and, and how is Trump looking now so, compared to DeSantis? Yeah, yeah so like, I haven't looked at recent polls. I, I, I do know Trump is ahead, um, but I do look at Predict It, which is, which is a betting site, and, and they, they pretty much uh, – people put their money where their mouth is. I, I think it is a good predictor in some cases, although it does skew a little bit, I think – 
more towards the right, which I don't know if that would impact Trump or DeSantis. But right now, they're they're about neck and neck, I believe. I, I, I think that they were tied, and I, I think that when Trump was indicted, DeSantis pulled ahead slightly. Um, I didn't check today. Uh, but but I I could do that really fast. Yeah, if you can if you can do it and then send me through the link as well, I'd love to to have a look at it. I think we should add it to our agenda, Romy. If you're listening, I think we should add this poll yeah, to yeah. our agenda every day. Um, but I'd love. Uh, yeah, like, so, what does so, it say for Trump? What is there for DeSantis? That's for the nomination. But how about the uh, in terms of becoming a president? How do they compare to Biden? Yeah. So 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 right now it is forty two for DeSantis, forty for Trump. So it, that's basically what what. So if you bet 42 cents, you win a dollar. If DeSantis wins, you bet 40 cents, you win a dollar. If Trump wins, then Nikki Haley is 6%. So DeSantis is ahead of Trump right now. If you look at the chart, though, um, over the last 90 days, uh, it, it's it's been pretty close probably the last like three months. Um, they, they're kind of going back and forth between who who's ahead. Uh, but right now it is it is a lot, not a lot more, but... It's usually within one, one or two points. Right now, it's within two. And how do they? Uh, how do their bit. odds compare to Biden? So, so yeah. So, if, if you go back and, and you look at the presidential uh, race, uh, well, de- Democratic nominee Biden's running away with it over Gavin Newsom, sixty-nine to ten. Um, l- let me see if I can pull up the, the other. The other, the other link and, I gave you, Mario. I just put it into the back channels. There is Real Clear Politics, which follows all of the different polls that come out so the betting site that uh that brian is speaking to is really interesting to to watch but the 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 pollsters that make phone calls and talk to likely voters right now they have trump at the the latest one is the 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 monmouth poll just came out a few days ago and this is actually it might have been just yesterday this has trump at 44 desantis at 36 percent Pence and Haley and on down from there. The, the question is, when you add more and more people to sort of the roster of people who might run, it eats into DeSantis uh, yeah. numbers. Uh, if it's a head-to-head with Trump and DeSantis, Trump is slightly ahead. But I will remind people that at this point in 2011, Mike Huckabee was in the lead against Mitt Romney. The lead would change another five times uh, and uh, in the end, it wasn't until uh, well up until um, a couple months before the actual convention in August 2012 that things shifted towards Romney's way for good. Yeah, and, and just going back I to the um, polls oh God. over time have become much more, much less reliable. After the Trump like, uh, saga, yeah, in in the election against Hillary. So, yeah, so, I mean, so even even the latest even the latest one, I mean. What was polled in terms of the midterm elections? The results never carried out in that. Oh yeah, polling has been terrible over the last several cycles, and uh, it it kind of there hasn't been a very clear pollster who has come out ahead. Uh, there's there's a winner each time around who who guessed it right, but it's been an awful precipice for pollsters to to predict things. Even since 2012, I remember. Uh, on the the Romney campaign, our pollster internally just days before the election came up on top of the stage and said, "We are effing going to win this thing," and then it was just a disaster, right? And so uh, then 2016, of course, uh, I predicted Trump was going to win. Uh, I, I I just knew it in my bones. And then 2020, I predicted he was going to lose because of COVID stuff. I hated being right on that one, but uh, we'll see where 24 comes out. 
There was a one. Yeah, you, you want me to just quickly touch to, on uh, the mention, the free... um, you know, and yeah. this guy Cat Turd, everybody in here has probably heard of him. Uh, he's got a pretty diverse base of people. DeSantis, Trump crowd. He put out a poll, and he's been doing this every month. February first, hundred ninety thousand people voted in it. It was fifty three point one percent Trump, forty six point nine percent DeSantis. March twenty second, he did the same poll. Uh, two thousand or so more voted in it, so one hundred ninety two thousand people. Trump sixty nine point two, DeSantis twenty four percent, other six point eight. You know, you can take that as you will, but these are really people from the base who are voting on this. So, I mean, interesting. And brother, I want to Walsh, Walsh, Joe Walsh. Good to have you, sir. Thanks for giving us your time again. Um, uh, go, go ahead, Joe. No, go ahead. Go. I, I, let me just touch on this. I. I think it's pretty clear that Trump's up three months ago after the midterms, you know, everybody and their mother was just singing the praises of DeSantis and everybody was pushing DeSantis and they were pretty neck and neck. When you look at every single poll and the trend lines in every single poll, Donald Trump has jumped in these last three months uh, and, and clearly he's developed a lead and it's not really even close. That's undeniable, yeah, and I, I think. But, but I think what you're going to find over the next little bit, you know, when DeSantis gets in the race, is that this is this is something that that Trump really hasn't faced. He's coming from sort of an incumbent status, holding off the people instead of throwing elbows to get onto the table and throw Jeb off. And so this is going to be a very very different campaign. Anyone who was at CPAC the other week yeah. had a very very different feeling about kind of where momentum was shifting. And I think it's going to be, it's, it's, it's not going to be pretty. I think we can all agree to that. Yeah. And, and you have to also understand that DeSantis hasn't officially announced. So I'm not saying that's going to give him a major bump, but I, I think it would bump him up a little bit. I think it would change the so conversation. So I do want to kick off. Let, let's kick off the space, everyone. Uh, we do have Nick up on stage and we have a, a, have our special guest as well, Jenna Ellis. Jenna, it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. I've been looking forward to joining uh, one of your spaces and finally our schedules worked out. So thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you giving us the time. Uh, Nick, I'll let you do the introductions um, and then we could uh, kick off the show. Oh, well, Jenna, um, as, as he said, it's a pleasure to have you on here. Uh, you're a former senior advisor and counsel for President Trump. That's correct? Yes. Got it. So uh, in general... Just give us your thoughts of this entire situation. There's been a lot that's gone on over the past week, and I know you were pretty close to the president for quite some time. So uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, you know, we've been on indictment watch for uh, Donald Trump since 2015. And so this is, uh, you know, yet another uh, interrogation and investigation that is clearly politically motivated. And whether you like Donald Trump, you hate Donald Trump, uh, the concern here that everyone who cares about this country cares about the rule of law uh, and cares about our justice system, everyone should care about the fact that this is clearly a politically motivated attack. And um, And I say that because Alvin Bragg, his predecessor, uh, Cyrus Vance, who is in that office, and also Letitia James, the current uh, New York Attorney General, all, all ran openly expressing that their one of their goals and a chief goal was to get Trump. And that is not uh, a facet of our justice system to target an individual and then go look at 
uh, what they could possibly be indicted or convicted for. And so in my view, this whole entire scope of where uh, not just Democrats, even some never Trump uh, Republicans. So, you know, I'm certainly not saying that this is limited to just the Democratic Party. I think this is uh, really a terrible misuse of elected office, of state resources, of federal resources, uh, but mainly the Democrats. But it's all Trump's political opponents. Uh, they have consistently, from Spygate to to Russiagate to first impeachment, second impeachment, uh, Mar-a-Lago raid, now this, Fulton County, the special counsel, everything has been targeted uh, to Donald Trump. Now, he's using that, of course, to his advantage to say, look, I am the most victimized, sought after you know, person in America. I'm standing between you and uh, freedom and prosperity and all of those things that he is campaigning on. And, uh, and I think he's using that to his advantage over the last 72 hours and, and even the last week of the news cycle um, to do what he did best in 2016, which was to have everyone talking about him nonstop. And that's what the mainstream media and even the people who hate him have been doing nonstop for the last week and did nonstop in August um, of last year when with the Mar-a-Lago raid. So, you know, all of this is unfortunately so much more about politics than it is about the rule of law. And uh, this is where there has to be a clear-cut distinction uh, between the rule of law and politics, political optics, campaigning, all of that. Uh, we should never want to weaponize the justice system or institutions of government to target political opponents or score political points. And so overall, uh, I think that this has been a very clearly intended political uh, attack on Donald Trump. And I think that uh, everyone who cares about the justice system should call this for what it is, whether or not you like Donald Trump and whether or not you like his responses uh, to this. That may be a political question and that can be debated but I think we need to at least start with the recognition that it's a it's a false narrative to say, well, no one is above the law. When if you look at uh, the the former um, district attorney who re who refused and declined to prosecute this, the feds declined to prosecute it. It's outside the statute of limitations. It's it's a flimsy case anyways. Um, this isn't about no one being above the law. It's about Donald Trump being consistently below the law in the sense that somehow, just because his last name is Trump, he doesn't get the same due process protections and a citizen protections in America like everybody else. And that's something that I completely, completely disagree with. And I would hope that my counterparts on um, even the never Trumper side would agree with that. And I actually had Alan Dershowitz on my uh, morning radio show this morning and my podcast. Uh, you dropped out, Jenna. Uh, did we lose her? Yeah, yeah. So anyone that has... Phone, phone yeah, she probably got a phone call. Did. Jenna, you back? I think Trump called her. Yes. There you go. Yeah, so, so, yes. so, so, Hello, so. thank you, Jenna. So, so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderfully said. <laughs> Uh, so, so go ahead, uh, Jenna. So, so I, I totally respect your your opinion on that. But do you like? like I, I I see what you're saying, but we also don't have the charges yet. I, I I know you're you're I guess assuming that the charges are 
basically what the media is talking about. But we don't know for a fact that there isn't other other possible uh, charges that could be in the works in Manhattan. So do you think that's a possibility, number one? And if it is, then I guess... Do you discount what you just said? Well, I mean, is is alien life possible? Sure. I mean, you know, this is one of those things where in law is any is is a potential outcome possible? Sure. But let's talk about the probable here. And the probable uh, is that this is all over the Stormy Daniels hush money payment. And if something else comes up, we can certainly talk about it at that point. But I have never seen anything remotely credible from any of these uh, witch hunts and hoaxes, as Trump has called them, since 2015 that have ever held merit. And they have tried to weaponize the justice system and Congress and everything else against him on a variety of levels. I mean, not just related to the Manhattan DA. So, you know, if we find alien life and if Donald Trump is indicted over something that looks legitimate, then I will be the first one to opine that, you know, hey, maybe they have a case and I hope he gets uh, really good defense attorneys. And in that sense as well, everyone in this country is entitled to competent counsel, regardless of whether your name is Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. Uh, quick question uh, uh, before we go to Ryan. Have you been in communication with anyone from the Trump team in recent days? And and any thoughts on the post that Trump did? Not sure if you got more information on this um, regarding being arrested on Tuesday. Not sure if you got more clarity on that point. Uh, yeah, so I actually had Liz Harrington on my show uh, yesterday morning as well. And so we had, uh, you know, a long conversation and I asked her um, about the campaign finance issues, all of that. I would encourage you to go to the com. You can uh, see the interviews there. So, um, so I mean, I do. I, t- I still talk to uh, my former colleagues at the Trump campaign, those who are still there um, fairly routinely to see, you know, what information they're willing to give me now as, you know, independent media. I have, I'm a part of Salem Media. I'm also part of the American Family Radio Network. Um, I don't, I, and I haven't worked for Donald Trump for two years. So, um, you know, I'm not internal to that orbit, but of course I still um, speak with them and uh, ask them all of the questions that I would be hopeful uh, that other people who are interested in fact-finding would ask. Ryan? Yeah, and uh, good to see you, Jenna. Um, you know, you I too. Kind of was thinking about this. You know, we just saw this stuff come out with the 2018 letter from Michael Cohen's attorneys, uh, you know, basically saying that he used his own money um, to pay Stormy Daniels. The Trump org, Trump camp, wasn't privy to any of that information. Um, you know, and this was stated in a sworn, highly confidential letter on behalf of Mr. Cohen to the FEC. Then we also see this letter from Stormy Daniels uh, putting this public statement out, signing it, declaring that she never had an affair with Donald Trump at any point. And, you know, I kind of, and, and this might be a farce, but I, you know, I talked to some friends about it last few days and it sort of might make sense. Uh, you know, did Michael Cohen have the affair with Stormy Daniels? And when the public started getting word that he paid her, uh, did he then lie and say it was on behalf of Trump? And, you know, when you start to think, well, why would that happen? I'm like, well, this guy has a wife. He has kids. Did he want to protect himself and, you know, his wife and kids from leaving him? Uh, you know, I want people to kind of think about that because that's sort of one of the theories that I have on this. I don't know what you guys think, but it seems some things are pointing towards that. 
Well, I'm certainly not going to speculate on the the personal life of Michael Cohen, and I think that's a you know maybe a dark and twisty closet none of us want to open. But um, but to your point, Ryan, about there being uh, a a very good defense for Donald Trump with uh, this letter to the FEC from. Uh, Cohen's counsel, and then obviously the 2018 statement from Stormy Daniels herself. Uh, those are all things that would obviously come up in a trial context if it ever got that far. And this is the difference between a grand jury and a courtroom. And the famous phrase, of course, is that a prosecutor can lead the grand jury wherever it wants to go, even to the point of indicting a ham sandwich. Well, why is that? Because you only get the prosecutor's version and whether or not there is enough evidence to make a prima facie case that is the minimum standard um, under our rules of law that would bring forward an indictment from a grand jury. And that is a very, very different legal question than whether there is enough evidence beyond a reasonable doubt to convict a person of that offense in a trial context. And so we have a really long way to go from potential indictment, whatever those charges may be, to an ultimate conviction. And this is why I'm more convinced, frankly, that the whole idea of this is purely political because the process takes time and um, the, the grand jury, even if they returned an indictment, say next week or in the next few weeks, that cloud of an indictment and that process will be playing out over the next, you know, year or more. And, uh, you know, you don't get your day in court anymore. You get your decade in court. And so how this plays politically to the more moderate uh, part of the GOP, to those who are already on the fence of whether or not they're going to support Trump, they may be more likely to vote in the primary for a different candidate that isn't Donald Trump because of this cloud of an indictment. Now, Trump is very, very PR savvy. And you're talking to someone who's had personal media training from Donald Trump. I mean, when I worked for him, um, he would call me right after, you know, media hits and, you know, say that was great. And, you know, and here's here's also what you can say. And and, and um, he was, you know, really great coach and mentor. And I really respect him for that. And he knows how to um to use the media to his advantage. And that's very, very good politically. But it's also true that anyone in this country who's running for any office, especially on the federal level for the president of the United States, when you have a pending or current indictment, that's just not a good thing. And I think that the left and the never Trumpers know that, and they're going to manipulate that to their advantage. And that's why we're seeing all of these ongoing things for years to try to get Trump to back off, to drain his war chest, all of those different things. Um, so I would just say that there's a huge difference between what a grand jury uh, may return versus what actually comes out in court. But that letter, Ryan, is going to Cut both ways as well, because, you know, if, if if I'm Alan Bragg and nobody really wants to be Alan Bragg right now, um, but I'm facing, you know, putting somebody like Michael Cohen on the stand, he's just not a credible witness. And you may be in the position of having to impeach your own witness on the stand. And as a prosecutor, that's just not really a great position to be in. So, you know, this would be a very difficult case uh, to to prosecute if it even gets that far. And that's why I'm convinced it's just politically motivated at best. Uh, let me before tra- okay, uh, thank you for that Jenna. before before you jump in uh, I was say one thing on top of that Jenna is that you know if this guy did in fact lie 
you know, to this grand jury and to the prosecutors. I mean, that opens himself up for prosecution himself, I would guess, right? Well, you know, there is a rule of the um, the higher responsibility of a prosecutor in, um, and I believe every state, uh, that says that a prosecutor is required to do whatsoever uh, justice requires. And that's why malicious prosecutions um, you know, are disbarable offenses. And, um, you know, there's also their statutes against that. And so, um, you know, certainly that's something that I would think that a district attorney in Manhattan would certainly need to be cognizant of. Trash, you got a question? Just quickly discourse. I want to jump in one quick question. I'll give the mic to yourself, Ian, and other panelists. That Anyone that has a question, put your hand yeah. up. Anyone in the audience that has a question, put it in the comment section in the bottom right corner. And then obviously we've got another great guest that we'll be going to in a bit. We've got Joe and Will on stage. But my question to you, uh, Jenna, is uh, regarding this being a political move, I think one of the narratives that most panelists have agreed on is that Politically, that could benefit Trump. There's the narrative of the establishment going against Trump. but And some believe it, some don't believe that narrative. But with this case going through, and if we do see an indictment, the narrative gains steam. And I think that will help Trump uh, strategically um, for the election. I, I would love your thoughts on this. Could that be one, one of the possible outcomes? Absolutely, that's possible. And I think that if that uh, ultimately happens, then that's certainly what the Trump camp is going to try to get out of this, as they should. I mean, if you are uh, serving the Trump 2024 campaign, then that should be uh, what your goal is, is to show that this is the weaponization of government and they are attacking him because he is their worst nightmare to get back in office. And I think that is going to play well to a lot of people. Um, but I think, you know, there's a lot of different voters out there as well. I, I think that this can play into also a narrative of Trump fatigue. And a lot of people have suggested that as well. And so I think it depends on what type of voter you're talking to. And so um, I think that Personally, the, the Trump camp, um, if I was advising my former boss, I would uh, advise him to focus on that, focus on his accomplishments over his first term, which have been hugely significant, especially the federal judiciary, the Supreme Court, the overturning of uh, Roe versus Wade. I mean, all of these things that were campaign promises that uh, he fulfilled rather than um, going after, for example, Ron DeSantis out of Florida. I just don't see that that right now in this particular political climate is the best use of the airwaves and the times and, re and resources that uh, he has, especially on Truth Social. Um, I think that there are so many things that could be used to his advantage, especially when you have um, the never Trumpers that include, you know, this bipartisan group that are targeting him as the number one enemy. And that's a huge thing to run on. Jenna, you bring up the DeSantis-Trump uh, sort of fighting that's going on. Uh, right now, it just, you know, Trump is coming after him very hard and strong. You, you, you sense maybe it's not his best use of time and resources there. Do you think this is something he's being advised of? And that th those influencers are, are sort of pushing him in that direction? Or do you think this is 
this is his default mode and you, there's really no stopping him. <laughs> he's going to do, do what he wants to do there. Well, I think it's probably a little bit of both. Um, you know, Trump will be Trump. And, you know, that's that's the thing either, uh, you know, you love or hate about him. I mean, that's that's just the reality is that Trump, you always just get who he is. And, you know, I've talked to him, obviously, um, so many times, just one-on-one, and he's the exact same one-on-one as he is in front of 50,000 people at a rally. You know, he's um, he just he is who he is. And so um, so I think it's a little bit of both. Um, but I but I also think that, um, you know, looking at the Trump versus DeSantis, you know, maybe upcoming battle. And of course, you know, DeSantis hasn't announced and and the uh, Trump campaign is kind of touting some of these polls. I will be very interested to see how those polls shift if and when DeSantis does enter the race. But I think that um from my perspective, what Trump did in 2016 that in the last open primary that the GOP had uh, was that he very, very effectively used these attacks to put his political opposition in the primary totally off guard. And the responses from, for example, Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio um, and, and others, but primarily them, it just threw them totally off their game. They weren't used to going uh, head-to-head with somebody like Donald Trump. And I think that Ron DeSantis has learned from that. And I also think he's a man of very different metal. And I think that um, the Piers Morgan interview that has uh, been you know, flagged as, as coming up on Fox Nation tonight, um, when he kind of just laughs off this nickname and he says, well, also call me a winner because, because I am a winner. And he's also someone that unlike in 2016, um, you know, Donald Trump has previously endorsed, he voted for, and DeSantis has a great track record. And so that's going to come out in the primary. Um, and you know, if and when DeSantis decides to run, I think he will. Um, but, you know, this is going to be a very different primary than 2016. And so I don't think the same plays that Trump ran in 2016 are going to be as effective. It may be a little bit, but it won't be as effective against someone like Ron DeSantis. We're just 2024 is very different. So I'd like to segue into a question regarding uh, Ron DeSantis before I would like to go to trash. I think he had his hand up earlier. But uh, the question I'd like to ask with regards to this is I see a lot of chatter online with people saying that uh, or claiming that Ron DeSantis has to stop this uh, uh, arrest of Donald Trump, this potential arrest of Donald Trump, if a warrant is issued. Is it even possible for him to do that as a governor uh, of Florida? (laughs) No. Uh, So I actually also had a podcast with uh, my good friend Josh Hamer, who um, is an attorney as well, and we went through... Uh, the constitutional provisions. And so the uh, the extradition clause of the Constitution, uh, the term in there is shall upon request. Shall in legal terms, shall mean shall. There is no discretion at all. And the and Trump's lawyers have already signaled uh, since, I believe, about March 7th or 9th, you know, somewhere in there before this became really big in, in the news cycle, that they were planning for Trump to just go up to New York on his own accord and attend an arraignment if that took place. And uh, that would take this whole idea of a potential extradition off the table. And so, you know, here I don't see certainly in the immediate sense or even if Trump declined to go and said, you know, you're going to have to extradite me uh, and all of that, that DeSantis would have any legal role here or any discretion uh, in those types of decision making. But what I found very interesting about the response to DeSantis's comments when he first 
answered that question in uh, last Monday's press conference. Um, and again, I think he's he's contrasting himself with Trump because he didn't jump into the news cycle. He didn't say, here's my thoughts on it and you know, run to the media like a lot of other GOP uh, supporters or candidates. Uh, he waited and he just continued on the Florida course of business. And then when the question was asked to him, he also didn't deflect. He didn't he wasn't non-responsive. Uh, he answered fully and robustly. And he also said, you know, I'm not getting I'm not involved and I'm not getting involved. And I think what was missed in that response or maybe intentionally uh, from the, the MAGA base was that he meant he's not going to be helpful in any way to Alan Bragg or Alvin Bragg. And so um, I think and he's that's just... something that's press secretary, I think, came out and, and confirmed yeah. that that was what he meant. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and my personal thought on, you know, his kind of side snarky comment, um, probably ill-advised, even though it was, you know, it's kind of funny as, I don't know what goes into paying, you know, hush money to a porn star. Okay. Um, and that got some laughter, but, you know, I think he could have been and taken the opportunity to be very statesmanlike and draw an even sharper contrast between himself and Trump style. Thank you for that. Yeah, that's a very comprehensive answer. Uh, I'd like to go to Trash. I think he had his hand up earlier. I did. I did. Thanks. Yeah, yeah I appreciate it. I like the raccoon. I, that's your yes. profile picture. That's great. <laughs> yeah. I, am the, I am the internet trash paint, I suppose, Jenna. <laughs> so, that's great. It was more of a statement. I kind of wanted to bring it back because what Jenna was talking about. And, and, and listen, Brian makes a good point. I understand. I have not seen any charging documents. I don't know what the grand jury is going to do. I mean, you guys know my politics, my bias, but I'm still fair with this stuff. But at the end of the day, I'm really kind of concerned with what I was seeing here. So uh, it was leaked. Trump obviously took advantage, uh, went fundraising, right? Uh, that that truth about getting locked up in cuffs was, uh, in my opinion, a, a fundraising, rile the base type of thing. Good for him. That's probably what he should have done. But what I'm concerned about is, is that I haven't seen anything from Bragg. Bragg makes a statement in the letter re- in, in response to the House Judiciary Committee saying, we will publicly state the conclusion of our investigation, whether we conduct our work without bringing charges or moving forward with an indictment. Well, we now know that the grand jury has been postponed till next week. And so all of this hubbub, all of this stuff was going on. We saw on Tuesday where there was more cameras than people looking in New York. There was nobody there protesting. And then what we see, well, there's a picture of a woman holding an arrest Trump sign who's Lisa Fithian. Now, Lisa Fithian shut it down. She's an activist. Millie Weaver actually broke a story in October 2020 uh, regarding the Sunrise uh, Movement and the Sunrise Zoom calls. And this is between the DHS, FBI, senior executive officials, coordinating with like BLM, Sunrise Movement, and Antifa, so on and so forth. She has all those recordings. And Lisa Fithian was part of that conversation. And here she is on the steps here. And I was really kind of concerned because you also saw where they had 700 police, riot squad police in New York. It, It seemed like they were really ramping something up. And it was it was really concerning to me, and I was thankful that nobody went. And so, I guess my question is: Was there is there actually going to be an indictment? Because they seem to be continually postponing it. I couldn't see an angle here where it would have been a positive result for anything. Um, and and yet, it also seemed like there was a little bit of a a probe to kind of get people to to New York and hopefully not have another you know January sixth type event. And that's what it seemed to me, because I'm not seeing here where this is. Now, again, not everything's been released, but a lot of it just doesn't make sense. And it keeps getting postponed. And the statements being made by Bragg are, are very vague. And, and so I was just wondering everybody's thoughts on that, especially seeing this kind of stuff. 
Well, real quick, I'll, I'll answer that, you know, the grand jury is still an independent body. So whether or not a, an indictment is returned is ultimately up to them, regardless of what Alvin Bragg wants them to do, regardless of what Donald Trump wants them to do. So that's anybody's guess. And why they've been postponed into next week, um, is that because they're concerned about the news cycle? I don't know. Um, and that's also anybody's guess. Um, but I would agree that some of this um, rhetoric in terms of, you know, protest, protest, protest uh, may be unwise, just if we are all concerned about uh, the pretext of weaponization of government, then we should want to be careful. But at the same time, the right to peacefully protest and petition the government for redress, those are constitutionally protected enumerated rights. And we shouldn't be concerned as American citizens in exercising our rights legitimately uh, when we see an opportunity uh, to to push back. And so I would just say to, say to people, you know, regardless of what you know, the the leftist mainstream media is saying we shouldn't ever be silenced in our voice and our concern. And I'm very grateful to uh, Representative Jim Jordan and the weaponization of Congress Select Committee. I hope that really good legislation comes out of that. We need to move forward as concerned citizens and never let this potential pretext of anything uh, stop us from continuing on the path of protecting and preserving our country and our constitution. So, Jenna, so Jenna I, I'm just going to quickly ask. Obviously, Trump has made some some pretty crazy posts on Truth Social. Like, do you feel that there is a danger that a judge, once this, once he is indicted, could put some sort of gag order on him to make it so that he can't? make posts like this um well i'm not sure wh- which particular posts you're referring to or characterizing as crazy i mean i think we all have our own i I, I, that, I don't but... necessarily mean crazy but 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 i i mean pointed towards the da and pointed towards what if he maybe starts making posts about jurors and stuff like that is, is that a real concern that he should have um i i mean i think that's total speculation that you know he would be um posting anything on true social that would result in, you know, anything other than he has freedom of speech and freedom of the press like anyone else in this country. And whether or not um, a judge chooses to have the gag order on the press and, you know, make the proceeding secret, um, that could be for a lot of other determinations under statutes. And, you know, as you're the same person, I think, that asked about, you know, isn't it speculation on uh, what charges are being filed. Well, I think it's even more speculative what Trump may or may not post on True Social. And, you know, he, he's entitled to post his opinions. And a lot of people like his his brash comments. A lot of people don't. And I think that um, that Trump is entitled to his opinions, whether or not you or I particularly like or don't like it. Um, you know, that's his style and he's entitled to it. Well, Jenna, uh, hi, I'm hi, Jen- Jenna. What... Um... Mr. Krasenstein was asking about it isn't just uh, an academic uh, or matter for speculation. Uh, federal judge, uh, Judge Kaplan, actually cited the former president's recent comments about the investigation, uh, the hush money investigation, as a reason to allow uh, an anonymous jury in this Eugene Carroll uh, lawsuit. And I'll, I'll quote the judge's order. Mr. Trump Mr. Trump's quite recent reaction to what he perceived as an imminent threat of indictment by a grand jury sitting virtually next door to this court 
was to encourage protest and to urge people to take our country back. That reaction reportedly has perceived by some as incitement to violence. This is not me. This is a sitting federal judge. So do you, do you know who the judge is and uh, who he was uh, appointed by? Judge Lewis Kaplan. And I don't know. I can Google real quick, but yeah. I don't think well, it yeah, matters I mean, who he's appointed by. Well, you know, I mean, if we're talking in the whole context of weaponization of government, I mean, you know, that's I personally would disagree with that. A and senior, I think senior that... judge Clinton appointee. Okay, so a Clinton appointee. All right. Well, there you go. But, um, you know, so, I mean, I just think that um, to say that just because one judge is concerned that Trump encouraged people to exercise their constitutionally protected rights, you know, should make us all think that, oh, Trump well, is, well, you know, Jenna, you, canon, you didn't let me, is... Well, well, Jenna, you didn't let me get to the judge's next sentence, which was, and it bears mention that Mr. Trump repeatedly has attacked courts, judges, various law enforcement officials, and other public officials, and even individual jurors <laughs> in other matters. Oh, and, no. <laughs> well, I mean... I mean, he's entitled if, if to, Andrew. He's entitled to his opinion. And, you know, I have also gone on social media and media interviews and said I totally disagree with commentary that uh, justices have made from the bench. I thought it was an inappropriate question, or I thought that they were uh, pontificating too long, or whatever. I mean, you know, this is this is not something that, frankly, you know, we we as a country should be concerned that someone is expressing their displeasure with a court opinion or with a public figure or well, anything well, else. Jenna, I mean, the reason the reason I brought it up, the reason I brought it up, is because whichever Krasenstein was speaking earlier. Uh, asked the question, and and you said that you basically said he was speculating. But I mean, it's a federal judge, federal district judge, a senior judge, someone who's been on the bench for quite some time, who who has said this. And Clinton appointee. You're, you're, yeah, your your response is, oh, that's a Clinton appointee. I mean, I well, well, on. so my so, I mean, so I, mean, I think that you're mischaracterizing the um the issue here. Where in my response to Mr. Krasenstein was that. Um, and hopefully I'm pronouncing your name right, uh, Brian, but um, was was simply that it's speculation on what he may or may not post in the context of a trial forthcoming out of a possible grand jury indictment. Of course, that's still speculative. So to go back and say, well, you know, a judge found something on an entirely different matter on an entirely different true social post. Okay, fine. But, you know, we're, I'm not going to speculate on what he may or may not post about an indictment we don't even know is going to be handed down. We'll get to that if and when Jenna, we do. Uh, Jenna, I've got a question for you, and apologies if it's been asked because I did jump off for a couple of minutes. But um, one thing is that we were expecting something from the grand jury on Wednesday, and then that got delayed a week. And then we've heard murmurings in terms of some of the grand jury thinking the evidence is not weak. I read certain reports about that. In addition to that, you have a number of these leaks in terms of the letter from Stormy Daniels and so so forth. Do you think that the evidence is so weak that and that's what's taking time now? Uh, well, we did we did answer that a little bit, but just kind of the thirty second recap version for those who just joined is that um, you know there could be many different reasons why Alvin Bragg is reconsidering whether or not he actually wants to submit this for deliberation. Uh, what exactly is going on? We know that there was a 
uh, a more surprise witness of uh, Bob Costello that came in to undermine the credibility of Michael Cohen. And, um, you know, we were also expecting on Wednesday that there would be another uh, witness, which apparently didn't occur. So, um, you know, these kinds of things, though, are pretty routine in this context that a grand jury proceeding isn't over till it's over. So this could be a a wide variety of things. Um, And so I think that uh, the for Trump to say, you know, he thinks that he's getting arrested on Tuesday was probably uh, the best information that he had at the time. But the fact that that didn't happen, I don't think is indicative that, you know, he was trying to be misleading or just trying to fundraise or anything like that. Um, but I do think that this is just a little bit more standard process. And we will all just have to wait and see how this ultimately plays out. I think that uh, Alvin Bragg is going to have to make some really critical decisions uh, over the course of next week. Okay, so, you know, we've had, we have a lot of uh, speakers here on stage. I'd like to go to Will. I mean, Will, hey, how's it going? Uh, what are your thoughts on all of this? Uh, Sorry, I it's been a while. Uh, yeah. So, anyway, <laughs> um, so let's see. I think uh, the idea that we'd have a gag order, would, I think it's pretty unlikely. I mean, there's also the just obvious problem of you putting a gag order on a guy who's the leading presidential candidate and they're speaking out constantly publicly about running for president. Um, there's a, there's obvious serious first amendment concerns with doing that. Uh, you know, I mean, and I think the general idea that it's like, Oh, he's very, I mean, I think Jenna's already nailed it in terms of, well, Oh, he's very critical of the judicial system and judges and jurors. It's like, well, that's his right. Uh, he's an American. This isn't China. So he gets to talk about just like anybody else gets to talk about what they think of what the judge is doing. Now, Will that help him? <laughs> you know, will that make the judge more likely to rule in his favor as a general matter? Probably not. But I think I'm not, I doubt we'll see any sort of gag order. Um, any, I, I don't know. If, I don't know if you guys want more general thoughts. I guess I'm surprised not to see an indictment. There may be problems with the grand jury. They may be resisting. That happened, I think, last year or a couple of years ago with Andrew McCabe, where uh, I think DOJ told Andrew McCabe that he was likely to get indicted and then they just couldn't get the grand jury to give them what they wanted. So he got off with his, uh, he got off of a false statement charge. Well, I'm, I'm actually interested in your thoughts uh, as well. And this question was asked to me previously about uh, Ron DeSantis in Florida and uh, whether or not he should, you know, do something as a Republican governor. And, you know, obviously Trump is a resident of Florida, but uh, what are your thoughts on all of that uh, speculation and pushback from the MAGA base? I mean, I think that there was. Did we lose Wilder? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, that would have just oh, there been there because the law is pretty clear that he doesn't get to have a say in whether or not uh, one a citizen of his gets extradited. If, I mean, that's this isn't we're not separate countries here, so. <laughs> You know, anytime anybody else in a different state comes comes to you and says, look, we have, you know, we have a warrant for this guy's arrest. We have an indictment. You know, there's not really any discretion for governors to resist that um, as long as the, everything's in order. So I don't really think there's much he could do, even if he wanted to. Um, but, you know, did he could he have been, you know, could he have tried to big time Trump a little bit and say, you know, well, I work hard to protect all Florida citizens, so I'm going to ensure that this is lawful. I guess he could have done that. Um but in general, I think people are just overreacting. Like, I saw a lot of people saying that, you know, this, it's over for DeSantis and blah, blah, blah. It's absolutely not. we got, like, 10 months to 
10 months to anybody's voting. Everybody's going to forget about this next week. And uh, I think ultimately the real drag will be, you know, I think Trump's legal problems will be a drag eventually. I mean, you know, there's a rally to the flag effect the first when they start happening. But, you know, do people really want to keep going on with this, like, soap opera for another four years? I suspect not. Brick? Yeah, no, thank you. I'd like to just talk about uh, this that last point that Will was mentioning about do people really want to go on with this? Well, I think that this weaponization of the DOJ, the weaponization of the government in this regard, is going to happen regardless of who the candidate is. Yes, it's going to be there if President Trump is a nominee. Yes, it's going to be there if DeSantis is a nominee. It's going to be there regardless. Whoever the conservative candidate is, is going to be facing this type of opposition. So I think it's interesting that, you know, on one point we were mentioning you know, early on, I think Jenna correctly identified that this is a critical issue and that people should respond to it. And, you know, I was heartened to see like a candidate like Vivek get on a phone in his car, make an impromptu extemporaneous type of comment on the subject matter. And other people did as well. And in this regard, I would say this is the criticism I have of DeSantis is that does he need to come out and say with detail why he, you know, is against this or not? But certainly he could have mentioned something about the concept of DOJ weaponization and then how he feels it's bad in general because he's going to be, he will be facing it if he becomes the nominee. It definitely impacts him. And I, I think in, in some ways his delay in addressing the situation um, may portend a lack of that ability to weigh in immediately on some form of controversy. And we'll see if that's a pattern that plays forward going, you know, plays again going forward if that repeats itself. But I think it's tough to say that this is something that's very important and we need to pay attention to immediately. And then at the same time, applaud people who sat back and waited as being statesmanlike. Well, just, just to push back on that real quick though, uh, um, so the, uh, the statement, the full statement from Ron DeSantis did push back on the weaponization of government. He specifically condemned that. He specifically condemned the Soros-funded DAs and uh, and actually pointed to the fact that he's the only current sitting governor that has actually removed successfully a Soros-funded DA in the state of Florida. So I think where a lot of people have, have just clipped his one comment about, you know, not knowing about the, the hush money to a porn star, if you actually listen to that full clip, and it's about three minutes of a response, he did directly condemn that, address it. And I thought in that particular uh, element of weaponization of government, he gave a very robust answer. Yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, I did I did watch the entire clip, and I agree that his statement did address that. My only, you know, my only concern, uh, not really a concern, is I just felt like he could have said something earlier, and that he, well, he was conspicuous in the delay. And and I'm not even really upset about the things, the topics he got into. I mean, that that's fine with me, and that's that's all fair play in our modern politics. So I have no concern about that at all. I just think he could have made those same points about the weaponization of the of DOJ and Soros prosecutors on the day after it became apparent that this was happening and not had to go into any details about anything above that. And then if he wants to go into further details in response to a question at a press conference, absolutely. Yeah, and Well, I'd like to push back on that as well, because uh, DeSantis was actually uh, attending to the victims of the recent hurricane, right, Hurricane Ian, 
named after yours truly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't think he was even on his phone at that point. He was on the ground. You are kind of a blowhard at times, Ian. Just a, at yes, time. Well, and also to, to push aware. back on that a little bit as well, um, you know, he's he isn't an announced candidate. We all have to remember that. So, you know, for Vivek and others, you know, even Mike Pence to jump in and when we can all snicker a little bit about Mike Pence running. But, um, you know, the <laughs> this whole idea that, um, we need to expect him to act like a presidential candidate when a Trump-aligned PAC just actually slapped DeSantis with an ethics violation for apparently running a shadow campaign and acting to presidential candidate-like, and then the same base expecting him to jump in and act like a presidential candidate. I think, you know, you can't have it both ways. And I would just note that this may be one of uh, his intended attempts to draw a contrast in his leadership style uh, from Trump. And again, you know, the voters will have to decide. Uh, but Trump always weighs in on literally everything right away. And that's one of the things we loved about him on Twitter. That's why we all follow him on Truth Social. And that's part of what he does. And DeSantis is focused on the business of Florida. And he waited until the question was brought to him. And that's just, I think, a, a different style of leadership. How that changes if and when he announces, I think that's going to be very interesting. I think I'd like to go to Will for, for this. Sorry, uh, yeah, Ryan, you go first. And then I'd like to go to Will and then all source. Yeah, so sorry about that, Ian. Uh, you know, the pressure no, no, is no one worries. thing. And, you know, I mean, people can argue over the timing and how long it came out. I think the one thing that people won't forget is seeing this Piers Morgan interview that's being released in segments where you're seeing DeSantis flip-flop on Ukraine. Uh, you know, you're seeing him saying he could definitely beat Biden. I mean, everything is indicative. Sure, he's not a candidate yet, but this interview would lead the most, you know, stupid person on earth to think that he is going to be a candidate. And I don't think people are going to forget about that, uh, especially at the timing of this indictment. Uh, when this interview is coming out, it, it doesn't really have a good look to many people. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I'd like to go to Will. What, what are your thoughts on this? Will? Will, you got on mute. Bottom left-hand corner. Bottom left-hand corner. Yeah, got it. Okay. Uh, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, that was completely frivolous. The ethics complaint, Jenna was exactly right about that. Um, and, uh, like... I don't know. I mean, I feel like the, the basically like the Trump. Uh, no, I don't know what the right word is. The, the Trump supporters here are essentially like creating this enormous double standard where their candidate and their packs have been acting completely ridiculous towards DeSantis, accusing him of all sorts of nonsense. And the moment DeSantis goes up, here's Morgan and like offers the slightest criticism. It's like, oh, my God, how dare he? Like the heavens are falling. I mean, the guy's going to. Yeah, one, the guy is going to run for president. That's pretty obvious. He's not violating any laws because he hasn't declared yet. Um, that you know that's nonsense. But like, yeah, he's probably going to run. And I think the idea that like you would give an interview on Piers Morgan after Trump, not even Trump hasn't even indicted. Remember, after Trump claimed he would be indicted, like it's nothing. This is this is just like the kind of stuff that I mean, if, if we've known anything from the past like three or four years, is that the news cycle moves pretty fast and nothing really sticks. So yeah, I don't I don't see. Basically, I think most of this is much to do about nothing. I mean, the indictment's a serious matter if it ends up happening. But, like, how exactly DeSantis responded to it at one time, I mean, I just think that's all trivial. Yeah, I'd like to go to uh, Allsource. Uh, you've got your hand up. Yeah, hey, thanks. I, I, I mean, I just kind of want to 
echo some of these comments about Ron DeSantis. I mean, I, I think one of the important things is, as mentioned, I mean, he's the governor of Florida. And, and what this indictment, you know, that we've all been talking about is related to to the New York. Right. And so I think that kind of reinforces, I mean, you know, just Ron DeSantis as a governor, you know, and looking at it at the time from a from a governor point of view, does he feel comfortable criticizing the laws and ways the judiciary branch of New York decides to run it? And I think that's not one of the things I think he, he understands, like, hey, you know, New York runs New York. I run Florida. They have their own ways. I have my own ways. And I don't want to kind of you know, I don't think he wants to kind of delve into the issues of how they run their own uh, uh, prosecutors and legal ways. And because I think he kind of feels similar ways for Florida. And he said he's not a declared candidate. And maybe this is and if we're going to talk about, you know, political power and sway, I mean, there is a conversation to have in the political sense. You know, maybe Ron DeSantis to say, hey, all this bad press on President Trump, and if he gets indicted or not, you know, I want the focus to be on that and not necessarily uh, on him internally. But, you know, I think he's running Florida as a governor. He hasn't declared his candidacy. And even if he does, is this something that he really wants to weigh into? And does, does it benefit him politically? Yeah. Um, Jenna, what, what do you what do you think about this? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I, I tend to be in uh, the, the last speaker and also Will's uh, camp in this that, um, you know, I thought that the the response uh, saying, you know, that the Piers Morgan interview was somehow ill timed or, you know, he he owes some obligation to come out, you know, immediately and condemn this or, uh, you know, any of these things is is really just a matter of people that are ardent Trump supporters wanting to put DeSantis into back him into a corner where he has to at least show uh, what they view as ultimate support for Donald Trump. And, um, you know, as he's poised to potentially run as a primary opponent, he may not choose to do that. And that is OK. Uh, one of the things that I've been just um, really laughing about, frankly, um, that on uh, social media over, you know, the last um, few weeks, especially, but even the last few months, um, you know, is this kind of concept of a loyalty pledge um, to to Donald Trump. And, you know, and he's the one who has suggested that uh, that DeSantis is being disloyal. And, you know, he was actually on my radio show a few weeks ago um, and you all can go and listen to that interview. And I asked him about that. And, um, you know, and he said he said basically, you know, the same the same thing um, and, and added on a bit that, um, you know, he feels like he basically made DeSantis. And so therefore, um, you know, he should he should wait. Um, but, you know, he's going to do what he's going to do. And um, and, you know, whether or not that's Trump's personal perspective, if we all understand and agree that this is an open primary, he's not the incumbent. Um, and even though he's running, basically saying, you know, I, I am entitled to a second term, there may be people that believe that they support him, they vote for him because of that. And great, you are allowed that perspective, but everyone else is allowed to jump in. Even if he was the incumbent, you are allowed to jump into a primary. And so I think that it's a little bit ridiculous to say that uh, we need to all expect that Ron DeSantis does what is politically expedient for Donald Trump instead of focusing on his own job and potentially his own uh, political aspirations. I think that's okay. And for a lot of the, 
you know, kind of ultra MAGA base that if anybody even says anything remotely pro DeSantis, like, um, you know, there was a comment from, you know, one of the absolute crazies out there, uh, Laura Loomer today that was slamming Kaylee McEnany for having Casey DeSantis on her program. She's like, you know, Trump made you and you were the press secretary. It's like, well, okay, Kaylee has been working for Fox News as an independent media for the last two years. Like she's going to do interviews. That's okay. That's not being disloyal. And, you know, and, and I was reminded, I mean, when I left um, my role as a prosecutor and I went uh, to be a defense attorney in my home state of Colorado, I actually went back and litigated cases and had trials against my former Boston colleagues. And nobody said, oh, you're disloyal. That's expected because roles change. People move on and people look at their own career and, and also their own fiduciary responsibilities to their current employers. And she has her own fights, too. You know, like Casey DeSantis is fighting against SEL, which, as uh, I think a number of panelists here know, is a form of critical race theory. I mean, that's an important fight. And just because something bad is happening to Trump right now, and that's unfortunate, doesn't mean we need to drop everything else that's happening because the world is going to keep on moving. Absolutely. And I think that we can uh, talk about a lot of things at the same time. And this is where, again, you know, Trump loves it in media when everybody on every network is talking about him and him exclusively. And so some of these people who, in my opinion, you know, some of these people who didn't get his attention the first and second go around are kind of a little bit desperate at this point, thinking that if they, you know, say the most bombastic thing, they're going to get attention this time. And it's really in my view, detrimental to the whole concept of a free and fair primary, because we have a general election as well. And, you know, I'm obviously conservative. Um, you know, I'm a registered independent now. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I tend to vote Republican. I voted for Trump twice. And I'm going to vote for whoever the GOP nominee is, because I think that we have to um, make sure to protect this country. And there is no way we can have another Democrat, whether it's Biden or somebody else, in the White House in 2024. And so I want to elevate the good points of Donald Trump, the good points of Ron DeSantis, and the good points of uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. He joins me weekly on radio too. And I think we all could uh, look at the fact that we have a, a wide bench as a very good thing. Unity. I just, I, I, you know, just to give my view, um, I mean, the issue, with, I think, with a lot of people when it comes to Ron DeSantis is he's clearly running He's there's no other governor like which other governor is going all the way to the UK to have an interview interview with Pierce Morgan. There's obviously steps he's taken to in, to make sure that he runs, and he's just skirting the issue not to basically declare straight away. And then you've got a scenario where essentially, yeah, you've got people who are diehard Trump fans, you have people who are diehard DeSantis fans, and then you have people who are still going to make a decision. And those people who want to make a decision, a major factor in their decision making is guess what. We're against the establishment. We're against the deep, deep state. And so you don't need to come out and support Trump. Like Vivek, Vivek, who came on this show, didn't come out and support Trump. But he came out vehemently and expressed that, guess what? What's happening now? What they're doing to Trump is that the state is using its power to basically take out a political opponent. And what he got that from that was a significant amount of respect, a, a significant amount of admiration. He didn't lose any support by demonstrating that he disagreed with what was happening directly with Donald Trump. And so when it comes back to Ron DeSantis, he has to basically put his cone out because he, a lot of people, when you look at his voting record, when you look at his past, he does look like like an establishment guy. And he is trying to Not demonstrate... To me. Now, well, Not to me. I don't think he does. He is trying to demonstrate... He is trying to demonstrate 
from certain actions, I guess what I'm not an establishment guy, and this would he was part of the Tea Party Caucus. I mean, he he was one of the co-creators of it alongside uh, you know Thomas Massey and all these other guys, right? Uh, Jim Jordan. So I I don't think it's fair to paint him as a rhino. I think this is a narrative that's being perpetuated by Trump supporters. I mean, Brick, you're the resident Trump supporter on this platform. What do you say? Yeah, I, thank you. I definitely am a resident Trump supporter. Uh, I am not one of those people who feels that uh, DeSantis owes blind loyalty to President Trump. Um, I, you know, I, I, I welcome his participation in the primary process, and I think that the conservative movement will be stronger for it. Um, I, you know, I, I think I might have been Will who mentioned something about it's not illegal for him to, as the governor go about campaigning. And I'm not a resident of Florida, so I'm not familiar with the, the so-called resign to run law that, that is in place in Florida, whereby if, you know, the governor is going to declare for a, an office above that, he does have to, in fact, resign. So, you know, to the extent that some of you, I, I think Brian lives in Florida. I think many of you also might be familiar with that rule. Can you clarify how that applies in Ron DeSantis's position? You know, is it, you know, on one hand, he's going about doing all the things that you would expect a candidate to do short of actually saying I'm running. Is that, is that in compliance with, with that law? And I, you know, I would just like to see him get it over with, have that law changed if he can, so he can declare and we can just go forward with the primary instead of this, this shadow boxing that's happening. Let me respond to that. Um, so, you know, that law has actually been changed uh, twice previously to allow uh, current elected officials to run for federal office. And so I have no doubt that uh, if DeSantis does run, that the Florida legislature, which is majority Republican, uh, will change that for Ron DeSantis. And uh, But I do think that you're right that he uh, is going to wait until the legislature does that. And that may be why he indicated on uh, Fox News, and this was probably a month ago or so, that he's going to uh, not even contemplate that until, you know, the end of the legislative cycle because he has business to do in the state of Florida. Um, That is one reason. Uh, I'm not aware of anything that he's done in terms of um, going on a book tour. I mean, that's, you know, he's not he's not campaigning. Let's be clear that he's going on a book tour. He's doing interviews. He is a national figure. Um, And so while, yes, he's taking steps that would, to all of us, appear to be laying the groundwork for a campaign, he's allowed to do that under the law, totally. And um, and I but I'm with you, um, Brick, as far as, you know, I would love to see him jump in sooner rather than at the end of the legislative session in Florida, which ends um, in May. And so, you know, probably wouldn't be until then. I I think he should so that we can all start having these conversations in real time, not just hypothetically. But, you know, that's going to be his calculation and uh, between him and the Florida legislature. But, you know, I I, my advice to the Florida legislature, just get rid of the law. I mean, if you're going to change it every time that, you know, your governor wants to run for for president, then, you know, just let it go and and, uh, let them run. Yeah, but Jenna, Jenna, isn't isn't that the point though? Like, why why do this? If you actually want to run for president, don't pretend you're doing a book tour. Run properly. That's the issue what people have gotten. So a lot of people on the right seem as I don't think he's pretending. I don't think he's pretending. I mean, I think that um, you know whether or not he's uh, laying the groundwork. I mean, look, you know, Mike Pompeo went and did a book tour 
Um, you know, there have been Mike Pence went and did a book tour and, um, you know, Pompeo hasn't announced yet, but people are speculating that he will. I mean, you know, these are things that normal politicians do. And I think that because Donald Trump is focusing his fire on DeSantis and everybody anticipates this, then we're all kind of saying, you know, oh, you're you're kind of dragging your feet in announcing. But he's under no obligation to do that on our timeline. So I think that that's a little disingenuous to say that, you know, he's doing this and running a shadow campaign and and holding him to a standard that's not actually there. No, welcome back. Hey, it's it, uh, it, good to be back, and uh, it's been great to listen to, and I won't dabble into the Trump-DeSantis thing. That thing, if it plays out, it can play itself out. I just have one big-picture thought I'd like to express, and then I'll listen some more. Yeah, go um, for it. Look, yeah. you, can say, you, can, you can choose to believe that the story of these past seven years is – Donald Trump is a victim and he's been persecuted and this has been the deep state or whoever after him every single time. You can choose to believe that and you can probably make a case for it. And probably most people, many people on this call believe that. Uh, I don't believe that. But here's here's the only thing I'll say. I Phone calls, phone calls like this kind of drive me crazy because we, we don't know what's going to happen. To me, the facts and the law are the only things that matter. And vis-a-vis this potential indictment in New York, it should only be up to the facts and the law. And if Bragg is just a political monster and all he wants to do is go after Trump and he's got a weak case, well, then he's got a weak case and he's going to look really bad if he puts forward a really weak case on a former president. And if and in Georgia. The only thing that should matter in Georgia is the are the facts and the law. And when it comes to the Justice Department investigating Trump for January 6th, the facts and the law and the same thing with Mar-a-Lago, you get my point. I mean, you can choose to believe that that they don't matter and that in Georgia and the Justice Department and that, again, it's just people after Trump. And Trump never, ever, ever does anything wrong or never, ever, ever would break the law. I, I, I can't believe that. I'm, I'm going to wait. And if there are indictments, I'm going to study the indictment and see what the facts in the law are. And I just think that's generally what we all ought to do. Well- let, let, me, let me respond but, to that real quick. And, uh, you know, and great to talk with you, Joe. I know we've had uh, some, some, uh, no, Jenna, I enjoy. Our I, I do forth. too, I do. you know, so, uh, so, so thanks for your comments. And, you know, I'm actually with you that I wish we could all just focus on the facts and the law. And if we could all do that, we would be so much better off in this country. But the legislatures of all 50 states and the, the congressional legislature as well has the intentional tort of malicious prosecution for a reason, because politics, unfortunately, come into play a lot of times. And so I wish that this were only about the rule of law. And if we could get back to that in this country, that would be a great thing. But politics come into this because there are politically motivated prosecutors like Letitia James who run their campaigns openly saying, I want to get Trump. So we have to talk about it. 
but Jenna, so, when do when do, when is that determination made? Like like look at look at Georgia. If it's, can we say already that uh, that the potential indictment in Georgia is already super political, or can we wait and see what that potential indictment might be? before we say this is a malicious prosecution? Well, you know, I think, again, we have to look at the campaign statements of Fannie Willis uh, that are down in Georgia. And so I think people are rightly characterizing this in their opinion. And listen, you know, you don't have to believe that, but you don't have to believe in the law of gravity either. But the facts are, if you want to focus on the facts, the facts are what they are. And the campaign statements of these Democrat-elected district attorneys, attorneys general, and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and others are what they are. And I think we have to take those on face value because those are also so facts is it, in this Jenna, Jenna, in your opinion, then, is it just not possible that a fair decision could be made in New York, Georgia, in the Mar-a-Lago case, and even in the January 6th case with the Justice Department. I've never said that's not possible. not possible. I've never said it's not possible because, again, so, okay. aliens' existence is possible, right? But I think that's where we have to focus on the elements of due process that are still embedded for a reason. I mean, our founders intentionally put in our Bill of Rights more protections in the context of a criminal prosecution than any other context for a reason, because they knew in their experience how weaponized government could become against citizens that were of the opposing party or political opponents. And so, yes, is it possible? Of course. But And hopefully the grand jury will act independently and will look only at the facts in the law and not just go wherever a politically motivated and prosecution would do, lead them. And, you know, and, and if this they is do, where... If they did? And, and if they did, then they would look at the facts and they will independently evaluate that and they would say so in their decision and their deliberation in their return of a decision. And they would say that based on looking only at the law and the facts, this is the conclusion. And this is why the elements of malicious prosecution are so important and why not even pursuing these types of charges when you have someone who's already openly said our entire motivation is to get Trump, that should put a giant red flag and question mark in the mind of any rational, reasonable juror in the context of a grand jury or an impaneled jury that maybe the motivation here is political. It's not just facts in the law. So, so Joe, I want to ask you a question real quick because a a federal prosecutor uh, that used to be with the Southern District of New York said that he couldn't believe that and, and this is not a Trump supporter. He's actually quite anti-Trump. Uh, he, he chalked these charges up to, from what he can find, as speeding tickets. He called them Mickey Mouse charges, and that nobody within the Southern District of New York would ever pick this up. And they they didn't do it before, and all of a sudden you've got Bragg doing it right now. And, and I know you're saying, okay, well we need to to put criminals in jail and you know hold them up on charges and stuff, but why? Trump. We're talking about uh, business filings here. I mean, is, is no, that no? And Nick, and that, and Nick, that could be the case. And look I, again when it comes to this case in New York, I, 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 I've tried to be pretty consistent. Damn it! If they're going to indict him, 
on what we think we know about New York, damn, they better have a real strong case. Because based on everything we think we know, like you and I, Nick, probably would agree, and I'd agree with Jenna, it just doesn't seem like there's enough there to go after a former president. I agree with you. Maybe we'll be surprised and there's more there. But again, I said this on a call a couple days ago. That this this New York thing, and I'm I'm a never Trumper. I can't stand Trump. You guys know where I stand. This New York thing, I could almost care less about. I've said that repeatedly, publicly. Uh, the president of the United States, the former president, when he was president, he got the Georgia Secretary of State on the call on a phone, and he said, "Damn it, Brad, I need you need to find me eleven thousand seven hundred eighty votes." Now, to me. That's a much bigger deal than paying off a porn star and falsifying financial records. Same with January 6th. So I'm not all bent out of shape about New York, guys. And and let me respond to that real quick, Joe, because um, I think that actually plays into a possibility of the Manhattan DA that if there is an indictment that's returned on even more obviously frivolous charges in Manhattan, wouldn't that give cover to Fulton County and others for people to say, well, if they indicted him in Manhattan, then certainly they're going to indict him there. And let me also say the word find has a very particular meaning. It means to discover something already in existence, not to fabricate, manufacture, or otherwise uh, try to generate. So my view is there's no there there either in that phone call, whether that was politically ill-advised or not, um, to say, you know, go out and find does not mean what the Democrats and the Never Trumpers are trying to make it seem. Well, well, hey, Jenna, and and again, I won't quibble with you on what he said. My beef is the president of the United States with the powers of his office should never be calling the chief election official in a state and asking him or telling him to do anything when it comes to an election, period. Well, and whether or not, you know, we we agree with that or not, the point is that um, that doesn't make him calling him and saying, you know, hey, I'm concerned about the administration of an election illegal or criminal. Or no, no, Jenna, I agree with that, Jenna. But to me, it at least demands an investigation. And again, the facts and the law hopefully shall dictate whether Trump is indicted for that or not. Hopefully. I agree with you on that one. Hopefully the facts and the law will dictate. <laughs> So, uh, you go, Tommy. Yeah, um, Gabe, you got your hand up. Do you have anything to say? Yeah, no, the, the thing I was going to say was I, I think, uh, you know, there's the whole discussion of whether or not DeSantis is going to run. And I think, you know, if anyone watched, like, the 2022 gubernatorial debates, I think we all got a pretty good idea that DeSantis was going to run. He felt, obviously, uncomfortable that he was asked the question, primarily because you know, he didn't have his position secure going into the race and, uh, you know, needed a fallback. And so the idea of him running was not one he was willing to tell the voters, I'll be in office for a few months and then I'll, I'll announce my, um, my presidential campaign. I mean, also the fact that like, you've got Florida legislators, even as of December, 2022 saying, I think it's a good idea that we open this back up so that you could run in parallel and not have to resign. So I think I think all of the pieces are there for DeSantis to run. Now, I, I mean, honestly, I think the longer and longer DeSantis waits, the worse his position gets based on, I would say, the lack of uh, 
pushback, we'll say, right? He's done some interviews or he said some stuff and some, and some stump speeches, but I don't think he's really like done anything of merit that would show why he's a better candidate. And again, I'm not a fan of either DeSantis or Trump. But we also, I think, you know, kind of touch on what Joe said is I think there's a there's a uh, an overarching theme here is that we all need to acknowledge the fact that Trump lies almost uh, every day. Right. Uh, and when he does, it's to fire up his base and grift off. I mean, a, a fundraise off uh, and, and whether it's, you know, him saying that he was going to be arrested on Tuesday to claiming he sent the FBI to help DeSantis during the 2018 election, uh, which, again, was debunked by the FBI, or the big lie itself about the 2020 election. We have to acknowledge the fact that we can't trust what Trump says, right? And uh, I think that's just something to remember with this whole thing. But since Georgia was brought up and Jenna's on the call, I'm actually curious. Jenna, do you think that Trump lost the 2020 election? Well, you know, I've been very clear that uh, the, that there were a lot of very problematic uh, issues in the 2020 election that should have been heard on the merits. And uh, the fact that we had such an irredeemably compromised election in the administration of the election is an issue that uh, the courts should have heard. And I'm very disappointed to see so many people who say, you know, oh, the um, campaign didn't do its job or, you know, this or that or all other kinds of things when um, the failure, of course, was on the judicial branch to not hear uh, election integrity cases on the merits. And in fact, Justice Thomas said that in uh, one of his comments when they mooted out um, several cases after, of course, Joe Biden uh, was ultimately inaugurated, saying, why are we keeping election law under this sort of shroud um, of mystery. Why aren't uh, we addressing this in a very straightforward manner? And I'm of the opinion that in the Texas versus Pennsylvania case, under uh, the Constitution, when it's a state suing another state, you have original jurisdiction in the Supreme Court. They did not have an option to hear that case. And I also believe that if the Supreme Court had chosen to hear that case, regardless of whether on the merits they held for Trump or against Trump. That would have been a better, more meritorious conclusion for the country, because then everyone would have at least said, okay, we had our day in court, we were heard, and due process ultimately happened. And that's the thing that I'm um, the most upset about, frankly, is that um, the the judiciary, I believe, failed the country in that sense uh, because they were unwilling to look at the merits of his election challenges. Right. And, and but, on that Jenna, note, I well, have the, to hop well, off well, for well, a, one, a one second. Wait, 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 wait. One second. Get, I have to hop get, off get. for a media hit, and I apologize because there. Uh, is it yes or no? Um, so I have to hop off, but I will see you guys um, in hopefully in a little bit. I'll try to rejoin in a bit. Um, but thanks so much, Mario, for having me. Thanks a lot. Jay. Absolutely Jenna. happy to have you back on. Yeah. Well, hopefully she comes back to answer. She will. She will. She will. She's, she's, she, she told us in advance that she. Yeah, five minutes ago okay. that she was going to. There's nothing to do. Okay. Not, don't, don't, take, don't take the credit, Gabe. Your question wasn't too good. She had to jump off. You know, I know you want to take the credit. <laughs> no, no. Well, I'm wasn't that good, my friend? Is it? You know, I, was, I figured I'd, I'd, give, I'd give her the, uh, the ability to answer, but I was hoping for a yes, no, you know. No, man. It's all good. But, but Gabe, it's not always a yes, no, is it? Because you can have a scenario where you can't definitely... definitely no, but one thing, I think Gabe, because I I, yeah, I, I was but... I was off for a bit. Gabe, your question was about the... the uh, what was your question again? Can you ask it again quickly? 
Yeah. So I, I just went through, I said, basically, you know, Trump lies a lot. But the last question I asked her since she was on the call was whether or not Trump uh, lost the 2020 election. And we also should keep in mind that Jenna Ellis was also censured for making 10 uh, false claims about the 2020 election. She acknowledged that. And I was hoping that she would also kind of uh, so, so on the, on the question, yeah, before, so on the, I, I on the first want... question, Nick, on your, I know, we're not, we're not going to talk about Jenna after she went off, so good, but I think that's what you're saying, Nick and I agree. But the, the point I want to make is, um, uh, I don't think, the question about the election is an interesting one, because we've asked it to a few panelists here, maybe we'll go to Jim or Brandon on this one. We asked this question to a few panelists, and Trash has his hand up as well, uh, and it's one that tends to be avoided a lot, um, so I'm just curious why you I think mean, that is, guys. I don't agree, Mario. I'll, I don't think I'll it's avoided. The I think what it is, it's not, it's not a, I, yeah, I I'll just go to Brandon straight after. Go ahead, go ahead, man. But basically, I don't think it's a binary answer because when someone wants, wants to say, wants, basically when someone asks that question, the reason they ask it is because they want you to say either no and then they've got you. Yeah, good point. Or if you say yes, if you say yes, then they want to call you an election denier. But the, in reality, you, you can't just give a yes or no answer. More, reality, yeah, yeah, it's a good point. It's a very good point. Yeah, it's, it's a lot more complex than that. In reality, yeah, and, and I mean, explain it, the complexity. I mean, you, so you, in, I, in the I United think... States, you had a scenario where in you had significant issues with elections for a number of years. So we had the Gore-Bush elections where there were significant issues. You had the 2016 election where, where the Democrats com complained that the elections were flawed and they didn't rely on the results. And then you had the 2020 elections. And there is significant need in America for election reform because you have a scenario where elections are done. The results don't come in week until weeks later. So the, uh, there's issues with technology. So, uh, so there needs to be significant election reform because the very fragment or the very thing that keeps an institute uh, working or makes us trust in the institute or trust in democracy in this regard or republic is that you can believe that when you vote, your vote is, is real, it matters, and it actually is a true vote. And so... In reality, this is a silly argument that both pe our people make. It should actually be both sides should be arguing for election reform. Because let's be clear, whoever wins the next election, whether it's the Democrats or the Republicans, both sides will complain that it's not a fair election. Well, and so and we, I mean, we can, the, I mean, the reality we can... is that we are having some of these discussions uh, related to particularly 2020, but even a little bit beforehand because of election reform. In other words, we're in a reform state right now. The American elections at one time were same-day elections, and uh, anything that was done by mail were typically highly restrictive absentee ballots. That's the way we did it in America for uh, all of modern history. And uh, that started to change this century with at first uh, early voting, which was um, the states that started with early voting would start, say, roughly 20 days before. And you had to go physically into a county clerk's office to to vote if you wanted to early. And then those uh, those ballots were in custodial custody at um, at the clerk's office. And that expanded to uh, greater absentee ballot reasons like it wasn't as restrictive then it went to mail ballots and then in 2020 and no one can deny the fact that it was a radical shift in some states of the type of voting method that we began to undertook it's because of reform that you know it was it was that we're having the problems we are so i think it's an I, important I it's I agree a, with oh. yeah go ahead ryan no, I was going to say, uh, you know, I really do agree with what uh, Solomon said there. I mean, it, it really isn't a yes or no because it was different all across the country. 
I've seen some of the evidence myself. I've seen where you had, you know, missing signatures from thousands and thousands of ballots. You know, you had some issues in some states where you had thousands of people that were voting who weren't even alive. Uh, it was just dependent, you know, wherever you were. But, yeah, I think we bit more than we can chew with how we handled these elections over the last century. Uh, proper procedures weren't followed in some areas. Ballots went missing. Boxes of ballots were found weeks later uh, that weren't even counted before Election Day. Uh, and so they had to figure all these things out. So, I mean, I don't think that, you know, at the end of the day, you could really give a yes or no. But I can say that we should all be in favor, whether that be voter ID whether it be taking our elections and putting them on the blockchain, I don't know. I think that there needs to be something. This should be a national Did Hillary lose the election in 2016? Did what? Did Hillary Clinton lose the election in 2016? Yeah, yeah. And she okay, so did Trump lose the election in 2020? Okay, I'm going to answer the question. It was leveled at me. The, the, the answer to the question is we'll never know because Democrats. It's, I mean, it's a yes or no. Every, you look at the numbers. I, I mean, the highest concentration of. Voters hang on. Are, I didn't cut you off, Gabe. Hold on. You asked a question. I'm going to answer it. The reason why we don't know is because Democrats stonewalled every opportunity to try to find out the truth about what happened in this election. And I think that a lot of people find that really, really peculiar because I can tell you that if the situation were reversed and it was Democrats, tens of millions of Democrats screaming that the election had been stolen by Donald Trump and that you wanted a forensic audit, I don't think a single Republican would have stood in your way from wanting to get the truth of the answers about the forensic audit and what actually happened in that election. But you're standing here trying to puff up your chest and ask us, well, did he win or did he lose? Did he, what's the answer to the election? You know the answer is we don't know. Nobody knows because you guys fought so hard to prevent anyone from finding out what happened. And then not to mention Hillary and so many other Democrats for months, for years, went around saying the election was stolen, saying that Donald Trump was illegitimate president. You know, you can't forget about these things. Also, jump in also, on this particular point. Yeah, just yeah. to keep it a bit balanced. And, and I do want to point out, like, I'm learning here, so I'm, I'm really curious. But there, there's been numerous lawsuits on this. And I know we're going to be talking about one today, Slaman, as part of the agenda. Um, and I think most of them were dismissed by court due to lack of evidence or legal standing. So we'd love a bit more clarity on this. Maybe also so you can go first and then Brandon give a bit more clarity. I see a trash discourse kind of giving a hundred. So maybe we'll go all sorts and trash on this particular point. Yeah. So Mario, I mean, that's, I mean, I think that that's the issue, right? That a lot of this was litigated in courts afterwards. There was dozens and dozens and dozens of court cases that covered this. You know, I would respectfully push back on Brandon. There was recounts, there were audits. You know, there's laws in place within the states that kind of cover this and how they can do it in one way or another. And these laws, a lot of these laws that, you know, we, we can argue, but a lot of these laws have been in place, especially for recount and auditing and how they do an automatic recounts, et cetera. They've been in the books and they followed the legal procedures of it. Um, I, so I think a lot of this was litigated. Um, people might not always going to, I don't think there's always going to be a hundred percent agreement. And I can understand people will still have doubts in elections and, you know, people bring up 2016. Uh, I think that's a valid criticism, right, to suggest that, you know, Democrats, there's a lot of Democrats and a lot of liberals who did not accept the 2016 election. I don't agree but did with they, that. So also, did they, did they go through the uh, same process again? Uh, this, I, I'm genuinely inquisitive. Not, did not, they go through- not to the not 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 to like the so so Hillary Clinton after the election did concede the day after the election from from at least I mean, you know, I had to look back. But from from a from a campaign point of view, you know, that was it. There were elements within the Democratic Party that continued to argue with it. And, you know, that's fine. But at least from a campaign point of view, there was an acknowledgement of it. 
And more importantly, I think people need to remember Hillary Clinton was in Donald Trump's inauguration in 2016. I mean, she, I mean uh, 2017, January 2017, she did go to that inauguration. So I think that kind of puts a little bit to rest with this notion of 2016 that Hillary Clinton didn't accept it when she was there exactly at the inauguration in 2017 for Donald Trump. But also, well, it's, dis- but, it's but, disingenuous to say it's disingenuous to say that it was audited or yeah, there were numerous recounts, but what, what they did was just recounted the same exact ballots. So if you've got 50 counterfeit bills and 50 legitimate bills, you can count them as many times as you want to. You're going to keep getting the same number of bills, but that doesn't prove what, which bills are counterfeit and which ones are not. That's what we wanted to know. And, what are and, the legitimate votes? The way, what are the real votes? It's also, we never got to the bottom of that. It's also important to say it's that also, it was it's not also important, litig- that it's they, also important. The, the, the election was not litigated either. None of the cases were heard on the merits. There was no case Correct. heard on the merits. Correct. So, so yeah, I mean, we can argue about what the no, of that is, but you just can't make that claim either. This goes trash. This goes, uh, give, give us a, a balanced view. I know you, you're leaning more right, but what's so there's two points. I think that Brandon didn't disagree with some points that Allsource made and vice versa. So Allsource did make the point that the, you know, the, the, the Democrats did challenge the 2016 election, but not to the same extent as uh, Trump did uh, in 2020. That's one point. But then Brandon did push back and say, but in, in terms of the recount, it wasn't a, a valid recount. Did, did we go through the right legal process in 2020? Were there loopholes? Did the legal system do its thing, or, or was there a lot of flaws in your opinion? And then obviously we've got Benny, Benny on the panel. Benny, good to have you back. Go ahead, uh, Trash. Yeah. So one of the one of my my one of my beefs with the question of did Trump, Donald Trump win the twenty twenty election or not is it's designed to have a gotcha moment, and I just I I reject that kind of conversation because. This conversation is not it's present right now and it's relevant to Trump. But in 2016, it was relevant to Hillary, apparently. And it's been relevant in years for years. I mean, this goes back past Bush. So, like, there's always these conversations. And so when we start going down the lines of party lines, I don't what I don't understand to me is why anyone would vehemently oppose any kind of 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 like explore exploring the what happened, whether it's machines, whether it's ballots, whether it's the law. I don't understand why it couldn't be a bipartisan thing, because honestly, at the end of the day, I want to share a country, even though I lean right with people that lean left, because I want to live in an objective reality and truth and then disagree and figure out how to figure it from there. But what seems to me is that the question is designed and and specifically uh, that was posed to Jenna, which I just highly disagree with how that was delivered, um, is that you want to paint somebody with a brush And my conversation is, look, we do know that they changed a lot of laws around the country. We do know that there was an excessive amount of more ballots, not voters, but ballots in this in this election. Was there problems with Dominion? I I don't know because the code is proprietary. I'm not allowed to take a look at it. That would be for a court to do, which no court got to see because they all dismissed on standing. Why why did they why did they dismiss, though? Well, they were just so so for for standing, you have to have a direct uh, person victim of said uh, uh, said accusation and because um, they were more representing across the states and not individual between two parties I believe that's why they were dismissed on standing and it was just an excuse yeah and, and so, it's, if I could jump in for just a second and say Trump it's very pointed, Trump it's hand-picked very, judges rebuked and, and yeah. threw these out 
So that's yes, I understand. And here's it's these are very wait, wait one more thing. One more thing. Okay, yeah. Well, let's one, try to limit it to two people talking over <laughs> one more thing. So. I was just trying to I was trying to clarify the issue about standing yeah. just to give a very quick example and, in the trash. I'll give it back to you. Just give me two seconds. Just give me two seconds. Oh, okay. Sorry. Jesus. Um, no, like for, for I'm helping your point and it'll take two seconds. For thank instance, you, for instance, uh, and one of the cases, the state of Texas tried to uh, present itself as um, a, a plaintiff in the case. And they said that the state of Texas lacked standing in the case. Well, it's one of the 50 states in the union that's claiming that that it's the victim of voter fraud. So, I mean, it's basically it was kind of up to the judge's discretion who has standing and who doesn't. And there's not a lot of precedent in these cases to establish that. So in many cases, it was I, I believe this is just my opinion. I can't prove it. But I believe that they just felt like it was too complicated and they're kind of like, we don't want to be a part of this. Let's just dismiss it and, and charge forward. Yeah. Sorry, so Trash, go ahead. I, I didn't know yeah. I was interrupting you, Brandon. My bad, dude. You know, I like it. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, and the other point was, was the cases that were brought forth and they were quickly brought forth and they were the wrong cases to bring forth at that time. And it changed the entire conversation and narrative of what was happening in this country. And then, and then it, and it just snowballed from there. And then there was no serious uh, uh you know, litigation of it moving forward. And so that was my big problem with it. Yeah. And yeah. The point so I'll the give was that uh, Dominion was only used, I believe in yes. one County. In yeah. California. That was in Los Angeles. So it was kind of irrelevant to bring up Dominion in a lot of these different places. I think uh, a lot of the fault can be laid at the feet of uh, the Kraken lady. So let's, uh, yeah, so, uh, uh, yeah, let me, I want to go to Gabe. Yeah. On Gabe, oh, Gabe to, yeah. I want to find, get find Gabe's quick response just for balance before we, we get Benny. Benny on the mic. Hey, Gabe. Uh, we got to get him back. We got to get him back up here. Oh, Benny yeah, dropped Gabe, out. Uh, yeah, yeah, Gabe, go ahead. Gabe, uh, Gabe, so I'm just going to ask the, Gabe a question as well, and then you can answer my question and then add on because I know you've got things to say. So, Gabe, sure. like, I, would, I mean, it's the same question as what you've been answering anyway, but basically we know that the Democrats um, complained about the elections. I mean, Hillary up until 2020 was basically saying that election was rigged or there was not rigged, but there was, you know, there were issues with the election. And then now you have a scenario where, again, you know, as you've questioned that basically the people, the Republicans also question the election. I mean, do you agree with me that this is actually something that is a concern for the future? And then we yeah, are continue on what you want to say. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I think you can bring up uh, Arizona as a question of like during the midterms and other states as well. Like, I believe there can be things that we can improve, especially on the technology side to make counting much quicker and that we can get things done, uh, you know, in an expedited process. I mean, you know, I think Republicans always want to complain about mail-in ballots, right? Mail-in ballots was something that Republicans wanted to, that, that they pushed early on, uh, you know, elections ago, right? So that's that's the only not right. That, Dave. That's not correct, actually. That's a hundred percent false. No, no, uh, I've been in the I've okay. been in the middle of those battles because I was in Colorado doing work a lot, and I've I was working with people in Oregon. I mean, that was actually very controversial on the Republican side. So no, it's not. That's not accurate in the least. Mm, okay, well, if you've got something, then, uh, I, I've got something. I've been it. working elections for thirty years, so no, Gabe. Republicans have not pushed for mail ballots at all. Okay, like like I said, if you've got something, I'm happy to take a look at it. You got but it. It's me, trying, my expertise, and and the thing is that well, there are, a, there, are, there here, have been Jim, some Republicans. Jim, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. There have been some Republicans who have been anecdote, supportive anecdote, of it, but it has not been a broad guys. right? So you're giving me right now an anecdote of your personal experience, but if you actually have, do you run elections, Gabe? Uh, See, we don't have to argue about this. You can just accept it and move on. It's well, not your strongest argument. I mean, anyway. this be, 
it's honestly the argument, Jim, that you're presenting becomes a he said, she said kind of moment. And unless you actually have. Well, then it's up to you to show the evidence of it. There are Republicans who have not been pushing for mail ballots. You're telling me right now, based on your experience, that that is false. And I said, if you have what you have. No, 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 no. You're the one that made the claim. I don't know why we're arguing about this. You're the one that made the claim. Uh, so you, 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 you do the, the supporting the argument. Claim has to provide the evidence. Sure. I will. So Gabe, I will have, have you got I will, Yeah, yeah. I will. I will. I will uh, load it in after I make my comments and then I'll, I'll send it to one. Yeah, yeah. Well, continue. So the other thing that I want to point out here is. So, again, yes, I, I do believe that uh, elections can be made better. Improvements in the voting process election. Uh, I, I don't think that, you know. Suppression or gerrymandering is the way to go about it, but um, the accessibility, right? I'd love to make a national voting day, right? That would be great because I, I personally have experienced this as well as others where I've I've gone uh, to to help voters. Is the the issue of you know having to work that day, commuting to and from work, not being able to vote when you can, and having having the ability to have the whole day free? Like that is something I think that we should totally have as a national holiday, right? That's one thing that I think we can do. In addition to that, you know, I also, this idea that if you can't tell me, like, straight up, yes, no, like, I'm, I'm willing to tell you, you know, Bush won, Obama won, uh, Hillary, uh, Trump won, Biden won. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to tell you who won and who lost, right? I'm willing to tell you yes, no. But if we've gone two years right now, and you're not able to present actual data. I mean, if I look at the numbers right now, I, I'm looking at a Trump supporter who voted for his wife after he killed her. I'm looking at the concentration of, of uh, double votes in Florida, in uh, in the villages, right? Like, I'm looking at this, and, and there tends to be projection that comes from the group that claims there's voter fraud, right? Like, the the call is coming from within the party, and that is the Republican Party, and I'm just I'm just saying that based on actual facts of where voter fraud examples are coming out, and those people who have been, uh, uh, you know, received fines or or jail time for it, right? So that's something to acknowledge as well. But I mean, again, if you can't look two years after the fact, and and I would say, you know, the past, the past, and you should look forward to 2024 and who you're going to back as your candidate DeSantis or Rick Scott or Donald Trump or whoever it might be. Gabe, Gabe, but it's not, I, 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 it, it's not, I want to jump in and ask you a question here real quick, because, you know, we've talked about the 2016 election as well. And that, you know, that it was not really challenged or whatever by and Hillary Clinton was, uh, I believe somebody said that she had accepted the results, but now it seems like she has come out and, uh, and said, that the election was not conducted legitimately. And directly after the election, she actually said uh, she blamed Russian interference. So what 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 is the difference here? I mean, she, she literally called Donald Trump an illegitimate president. And she still said. So I, I don't know. Well, yeah. I think, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the claim also was uh, corroborated by intelligence agencies, right? No, it was that Trump said. Off of a fake dossier that they made up. Yeah, keep going. All right. Anyway. Uh, well, I mean, those are the facts, I, Gabe. I mean, I know it's hard for you to accept facts, but that's the fact. Jim, you're the you're the one who's unable to accept whether or not Trump is still president or I, not. When, president when did you say that? He he lost. What are you talking about? I've never said that. 
Yeah, you never said that. Okay. So just uh, let me let me uh, correct no, me, guys. No, no, I, I, Gabe, I, I, I'll 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 help you out. Okay, Gabe, Gabe, I'll help you out. Uh, by the way, Benny Johnson's trying to come up. Benny, I'll bring you up now. Just give me two secs. Um, uh, but Gabe, a quick question. Uh, just gonna read a yeah. comment here. So in terms of Hillary Clinton conceding, and let me know how that compares to Trump. Brandon, you're on, on stage, so maybe you could respond to this. So I'll read out the following. Hillary Clinton conceded in 2016 presidential election to Donald Trump. In her concession speech, she, she said, quote, Donald Trump is going to be our president. We owe him an open mind and the chance to lead, end quote. She also called on her supporters to accept the results of the election and to work together for the good of the country. While some of Clinton's supporters were unhappy with the outcome of the election, she did publicly acknowledge Trump as a legitimate president-elect and called for a peaceful transition of power. So I just want to compare, and, and uh, I, I understand the, the, the whole narrative of, of Russian interference, but would you agree, Brandon, that Trump – I'm not saying wrongly or rightly, just, uh, just as a fact – Trump went further in challenging the, 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 the results of the election. The whole narrative was that the election was stolen. So he did take it a few steps more than Hillary. Is that a fair statement? I mean, I'm not saying it's wrong to do so. Or it's right. Or he has enough evidence or not. Just whether he took it a step further uh, relative to Hillary. Well, I, I think he took it a lot of steps further. And, and I, I'm very grateful that he did. And I think a lot of people are grateful that he did. And I think he should have. The first thing that I'd like to say is that uh, Hillary Clinton may have said that in her concession speech, but her actions and her behavior and the actions and the behavior of all of her constituents, including myself, for several months afterwards, I voted for the woman. I was one of the people <coughs> crying and having a nervous breakdown while she was giving that concession speech. And I was one of the people out there hashtag resisting uh, from the first moment that Donald Trump got elected right along with her who immediately walked back everything that she said and started claiming that the election was stolen from her. It was Russian interference and that we had to resist and do everything we could to uh, to interfere with Donald Trump and anything that he might try to do. That being said, um, inter-COVID in 2020, which, whatever, we don't even need to get into to that whole situation, but we, we I think we can all agree that it completely changed the way that we do just about everything that we did in our life and it was certainly used as a reason to extremely alter the way that we conduct our elections, both in terms of mass mail-in voting, uh, in terms of uh, changing rules, changing deadlines. And that opened the door for uh, endless ways in which people could cheat if they wanted to cheat. Now, to go back to the point that we were trying to make before, and gay people trying to say, did he win or did he lose? Did he win or did he lose? It's a yes or it's a no. No, it's not a yes or a no. It's a yes that he's not the president, and it's a yes that Joe Biden currently is occupying the Oval Office, but that we don't know what happened in the 2020 election because we were never allowed to find out. And again, I reiterate the, I reiterate the point one more time that if the situation were reversed, and this is, Trash was kind of making this point earlier, I mean, I would have wanted if, – if my presidential candidate had gotten the most votes in American history – I would want to be able to rub that in people's faces and not have anybody be able to come back to me on me for any reason and say, oh, that's not real. That's not true. That's not legitimate. I would want it to be so thoroughly audited that no one could ever possibly say that he didn't authentically and genuinely get that number of votes. But for some reason, Democrats did everything they possibly could to stand in the way of us ever getting an audit or any uh, legitimate uh, findings in the 2020 election. But no one stood in your way. If you're presenting this before, what was it, 86 Trump judges that said 
I just want to make sure I got the number right. Well, hang on, Dave. Uh, I'm going to jump yeah. in here because, you know, uh, I was actually, yeah, I I was actually part of you know, obviously that whole team. And, you know, to say that there was an opportunity to present uh, evidence is just manifestly false. I mean, at, Did you at have every turn here, the the courts would not allow a hearing on the merits. And local counsel on, and I'm speaking just on behalf of, you know, what the what I knew of the Trump campaign's filings. There were a lot of different people who had a lot of different claims, a lot of different other theories, a lot of different lawsuits. This whole narrative that, you know, you all lost 65 plus cases, that is a ridiculous talking point. We never filed close to that many. And this was local counsel who, uh, you know, had done their uh, their research. They They brought these claims. And what I think is so tragic on behalf of everyone involved, whether you're a Biden supporter or a Trump supporter, there was not a hearing on the merits for very serious election challenges. What, so what we merits? can't ever actually address this. The merits of the claims to say that the election was irredeemably compromised and that election officials in at least six states violated the administration of the election in compound different ways and whether or so not you have evidence? that was and, and hold on a second Gabe this is not you know yeah, this, let, 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 let this is not let you know finish. your opportunity to sit here and cross-examine me okay that's not what this is going to turn into and so what you are claiming is that there is you know no fraud in elections that's not true there have been Republicans and Democrats that have been convicted in multiple states in multiple different elections, not just the Trump campaign. Fraud happens. Now, whether or not it was widespread fraud became the talking point, and whether or not Donald Trump, in fact, was cheated out of an election was never actually litigated in court. And I think that's a travesty because we are still having this conversation two years later. There has not been a a legal ability for for lack of a better term, closure. That is what the process is for so that litigants who are challenging results on their the basis of their claims, and they were credible claims, in my opinion, that were brought in at least six states by the Trump campaign local counsel for President Trump and then 19 attorneys general who either signed on to or filed amicus briefs in the Texas versus Pennsylvania case that the Supreme Court had no constitutional option to not hear. They violated the Constitution in not doing so. All of those things are meritorious challenges that should have been heard. If you go and you actually um, review the response filing from the state of Pennsylvania in the Texas versus Pennsylvania case, they admit in that filing that there were issues in their election process. And that is a huge deal because if we do not have a forum that is fair, that is unbiased, which is what the judicial branch should be, that is hearing the merits of these claims, then we will never get to the satisfaction of knowing for sure who won. And so I'm not going to be pigeonholed into this, you know, was, do you think that Trump was, the election was stolen from Trump or not? 
right? That's, that's not the question because stolen, what does that mean? And we can all argue all of those terms and whatever. You may think you're very clever to try to pigeonhole people into this, but I can tell you knowing Jim Pfaff for a long time, he and I are both residents of the state of Colorado. He's a hundred percent spot on. It's not just his little anecdotal evidence. This is stuff that has been going on for 20 plus years. People have been fighting for election integrity on a variety of fronts. This just came to the fore in a very large way because it's Donald Trump, right? And his campaign should have been heard. It should have been heard on the merits. And if the Supreme Court had been doing their job, they would have accepted the Texas versus Pennsylvania case. They would have ruled on the merits. And even if Donald Trump had lost, we would have all had a judicial legitimate ruling that we could say, okay, we've been heard. And the Supreme Court has done their job and we can all rest on it. That is why nobody is still litigating the outcome of the 2000 election, because the Supreme Court weighed in. They did their job. Bush won. Gore conceded. We all moved on. And by the way, could Jim, respond, you know, when we talk Jim, about could I respond? The... Yeah, go ahead, Tira. Yeah, yeah. Let, let, let's let Tira respond and then I, I got to jump to Benny. I... Go ahead, Tira. You got to No, I was sorry. I was muted. Okay, so the reason why, in general, people feel that the election was stolen is because Donald Trump has continued to make these claims, irrespective of whether there is proof or not. Jim said there were no cases on the merit. That is not true. Um, Judge Russell in Nevada considered a case on the merits and said that the, uh, the Trump campaign or whoever was representing that campaign had no case, in fact, made fun of it. Judge Warner in Arizona gave a 35-page ruling that was basically devastating, devastating to the Trump attorneys saying, oh my gosh, everything that they're saying has no merit, doesn't make any sense. There was also a case in Michigan. In, in Philadelphia, there was a case that was actually considered about that the observers were not allowed to observe in an appropriate fashion. That went up to the Pennsylvania highest court and they said, no, 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 not an issue. Okay. Now, so there were cases on the merits. Notwithstanding that, there are also audits. There were also affidavits. There were lots of things that went on, all of which went to the fact that there was no significant fraud. Miss Ellis is correct. There's always some fraud. Okay, there was a person in Colorado who killed his wife and then sent in the ballot for Trump. Okay, I mean, I'm using that because it's a funny one, but there's always some fraud. But the question becomes whether there was significant fraud or provable fraud. And what's really interesting about the Trump attorneys in general is when they went into court, they literally almost never claimed fraud. They claimed mistake. They claimed accidents. But what you heard in the media was not what you heard in the courtroom, which I found interesting. Let's go to the Texas. Wait, can I just finish? Thank you. Let's go to the Texas case. That was really interesting because what happened there, Texas leading a number of other conservative states said, we just we think that the procedures in these in, in Pennsylvania was wrong and we want you to throw them out. Now, that's a really interesting statement, because in general, one state really doesn't have the ability to ask someone to do something like that unless they're harmed by it, which is why the court didn't hear it. They had a perfect right not to hear it. In fact, it was basically intervening in another state's electoral process about which they had literally no interest. That's why the, that's why the court didn't hear it. That's why standing is important because otherwise in our judicial system, you would have millions of cases of people bringing in without injury, bringing claims. Now, sometimes you can do that, but in many times the court for management purposes, and also because that is the fundamental basis, one of the bases of our legal system says you can't just come in if you have no interest. So a number, final point, 
the Heritage Foundation, conservative, went back over a 40-year period, I think, and looked for electoral fraud. They found about 1,500 cases of proven electoral fraud. Now, I understand proven fraud is different than speculative fraud, etc. But at the end of the day, electoral fraud has never been a significant issue. And the difference between what Hillary Clinton may have said, and I don't know exactly the details, was she was never claiming actual fraud like Donald Trump was. She wasn't saying votes were switched, Dominion did stuff dead people voted. She wasn't making claims that had been disproven over and over. What she was saying is influence, which is a different issue, okay? Donald Trump made specific claims that were discernibly false. He was given a report, in fact, before he made the call to Georgia. He was given a report saying, this is not true. Dead people didn't vote like that. The suitcases were in suitcases, and he ignored that. You can make whatever claims you want to, but whether that's legally a problem for him, but they knew and yet still made these claims. And that's why this is different. And that's why this is sort of difficult to really parse out. So I don't agree with people who say well, that our electoral system Carol, is wrong. Thank thing, you so one much. Thing, one thing to come back on there. Listen, hearing on the merits, every case that you brought up, certainly the judge took a look at the the initial documents that were filed with the court to verify whether he thought that there was a meritorious case. But they were never argued on the merits. And that's the point. No, no, no. The make. cases I referred to were actually argued on the merits. No, there were not. There were. There were. You read Judge lawyer, Russell. Made, read Judge well, Russell's thirty-five page ruling where there was a two-day trial, I believe, in which he heard from witnesses and from experts for both sides, and he concluded that the experts, the Trump okay, people, if, brought if in I, were not Kara, experts. If I let me speak now, if I grant that to you, we still have about sixty-one other cases that were not heard on the merits. Now, by the way, I'm not making an argument here that those cases would have even been successful. The point is that there are people who have concerns about what has happened. And those cases at some point, kind of in the way that Carrie Lake's case is going right now, even if it's after the fact and you may not have the ability to change the election, hearing these cases on the merit is a very important factor when you've got this much trouble. And uh, Jenna made a great point about 2000. That thing got heard on the merits in the Supreme Court, and people disagreed with it, but nonetheless, it was actually heard. That's an an important thing. But the even bigger issue in my mind is not Dominion Motor Machines and Nevada and all this kind of stuff. The biggest issue in my mind that I'm most concerned with is none of the Article Two cases were heard. The Supreme Court put down any ability to listen to that. Uh, uh, Clarence Thomas was very critical of the fact that that wasn't heard on the merits. And I believe that if there is anything that is clearly valid in this, it's all of the Article 2 cases, because Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2, if people don't know this, says that the legislature determines how electors are are chosen. And that case was not there. And there are very real cases and very real concerns in that. So, Tira, I'll give you 30 seconds to respond if you want to respond, and then I'm going to Benny. So, Look, what I'm trying to say, Jim, is there really there really aren't legitimate claims here. What there are are, and I hate to say, I'm sorry, I don't mean to make a pun, but trumped up claims, okay, that Trump has continued to pursue, irrespective of the fact that so many of them have been disproven. Well, I listened that, to... That's so, so irresponsible to say, though, because not, they Jenna, haven't been can disproven. I just, can I just they have finish, not been ma'am? disproven, that's false. Can I just finish? For example, let's take the suitcases of um, votes underneath the table that were surreptitiously brought in the middle of the night Georgia. 
They were at suitcases. They were the baskets that actually, when you separate the envelopes from the ballots, you put the ballots in those baskets. They were never moved. Okay. There's a lot of stuff like that. There were claims about yeah, sharp. But, but, but Kira, I'm going to interrupt Kira yeah. just to say, well, no, no, no. Jim, I Jim, 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 I want to get, I'm going to get, I'm going to get Jenna in here now. Go Thank ahead, you. And you know, there, there, you're pointing to several different instances of things that, you know, and, and, uh, and instances that, you know, maybe, okay, they, they weren't suitcases, they were boxes or whatever. The bottom line here is when the media says fraud, okay, the media also characterizes a lot of legal things imprecisely. But what the point was is that the elections were not administered according to state law. And the argument from the Texas attorney general and others is that they do have an interest because every state participates in the electoral process under uh, article two to elect our chief magistrate. So they do have an interest in another state, not uh, irresponsibly having their elections uh, run in a way that their electors are then presented that will tip the outcome. So of course they have an interest and most of these cases uh, were kicked out on the basis of standing. They weren't heard on the merits. And you can point to a few maybe that, you know, were, were heard by other challengers. There were a lot of different cases going back and forth. But at least uh, the meritorious cases from the Trump campaign's filings, as well as the Texas case, were not heard on the merits. And that's very important. And I would just say as well that, you know, you can you can parse this however you want and you can anecdotally point to things. But the bottom line is America did not get a resolution to the 2020 election. And I don't care if you love or hate Trump. That is not a good thing for our judicial process, for election integrity or for any elections moving forward. America actually yep. got a resolution. It's just that Donald Trump will not accept the resolution. And he has convinced people, because he's a very good marketer, as I think you yourself have pointed out, Jenna, that he has convinced people that it wasn't fair. Okay, we don't really have evidence. And I disagree with you completely on whether Texas can intervene and sort of say, gosh, golly, I didn't like what Pennsylvania did. I think the Supreme Court made the absolute right decision there. If you think about that on an ongoing basis, if any state can go in at any point and sort of say, I was affected by this, I don't like it, etc., that would be a mess. And I think we all agree that might be a little overreaching if that were to happen in other areas. Okay, so I think they did do the right thing there. And let me just say one more thing. Some of the laws were changed. Some of the processes were changed. Those were, let's take Pennsylvania, for example. In the Pennsylvania case, basically what happened, Republicans Republicans had passed a law that said we're going to vote by absentee ballot and we're going to allow anybody to, we don't need any reasons, okay? They then, after they lost, went in and challenged that law saying, oops, it was wrong, it was unfair, it was unconstitutional. Now, going through the system, basically it went up to the Pennsylvania highest court who then said, no, it's not unconstitutional. States are allowed to deal with some things in their laws. Now, the opposite, and I'm giving you this, the opposite happened in Wisconsin, where Wisconsin based... Sure, we got it. Sure. Got... Okay, I'm done. It's, it's fine. I don't need to go into details. I have a lot. <laughs> Yeah, it's too much. <laughs> um, I want to go to so, Benny. Benny's yeah, been sitting here for Benny. thirty minutes, guys. Come on. Hey, Nick, Mario, didn't want to interrupt. Uh, good to see you guys again. Uh, I'm going to jump off here. Uh, I had a really good time. Looking to do it again. You guys have fun. Thanks, guys. Yep. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, Benny, welcome in. Yo, what up, guys? Uh, <laughs> so yo, you can Benny. either continue. This is, uh, this is thanks for thank you so much for inviting me. This is like walking in late to Thanksgiving, and all of your family members <laughs> are screaming. 
about the COVID vaccine or something. Uh, <laughs> or like race relations. And you like walk into the middle of a fight. And you're like, okay, I just wanted some pumpkin pie. Sorry. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Big mood. Yeah. That's a big mood. So, yeah. um, well, I mean, like what I said, what I, I mean, I guess I have my thoughts on the 2020 election, but no, nothing can sum it up better than Jen, right? Jenna, like, she, she's like the master on this. And she, I think she spe- speaks for a lot of conservatives, which say, like, come with me on this thought process. Is there election fraud? You must be, we must have shared facts, okay? To have a shared country, there must be some shared truth. Does election fraud exist? Do people go to prison, especially in swing states like Arizona, for election fraud? Or even dark blue states like California? Do people go to prison like this month for mass election fraud? And it depends on your definition of mass. But the answer to that is unequivocally, yes. I can show you the literal court cases. I can show you a dude that lived down the street from me in Tampa that is going to jail for election fraud, for voting like five times. Okay, so you have to join us in at least admitting that there is a problem. Okay, and then if you can admit that there's a problem, then we must find a shared solution. And I think that that's I mean, I think that's the the big question here is, is there election fraud or not? Because it's become such a stigmatized issue because because Orange Man bad and because TDS is is the most is the largest raging pandemic mind virus that has ever existed. And so if Donald Trump touches it, half the country maybe doesn't like doesn't think it's real. But it is real, actually. And this is a huge issue for a democracy. But I would argue this, and this is just me walking into Thanksgiving, chucking a pie, and then leaving. <laughs> but I would argue that Donald Trump did have the election stolen from him. But it was the 2016 election. The 2016 election was stolen from Donald Trump. Now, why would I say that? Because Hillary Clinton, in the placing of spies inside of Donald Trump's campaign through the deep state in the placing of James Comey with the Steele dossier, Crossfire Hurricane, in the placing of the Mueller investigation that went on for three years, cost $30 million, he ham- they hamstrung what should have been a fair, just sort of starting point for a presidential uh, term. So what they did was they, they, they Achilles healed Donald Trump from square one. That's why Hillary Clinton, I think, could could like snipe and cackle her way into like, we hope Donald Trump has a great time. And then you watch Obama say bye to Donald Trump on the steps of the Capitol, knowing full damn well that son of a bitch had a, uh, a, a secret radioactive nuclear weapon hidden inside of Donald Trump's own administration that was just going to absolutely destroy him. And go talk to people who worked in that administration, man. Like, go talk to Jeff Sessions, for instance. You should be the number one law enforcement official in the country, and you're not able? Like, they got you. Because one time you had a sip of Smirnoff vodka, you're not allowed to look into this Russiagate hoax. And by the way, by the way, uh, it's really, it's really, really some bloody cheek on the left to call the right conspiracy theorists. Will someone, anyone, is the Krasensteins on here? Will anyone defend the Steele dossier? Any of you people? Will a single one of you, like, defend the Steele dossier and what you did to a legally elected president? So, yes, Donald Trump had this election stolen from him. It was the 2016 election. Is you planted a landmine inside of that administration to handicap him. And you, you know what? Great job, guys, because you did it, actually. You hamstrung his attorney general. You hamstrung his entire administration. It was a black cloud that hung over everything. 
and you did not allow the people their voice. And so you wonder why people are pissed, and you wonder why people are upset, and you wonder why people have a lack of faith. Yeah, here you go, baby. Hey, you got my kids here. You wonder why people have a lack of faith in the in the in the systems. That's why. I'm I'm grilling outside, like with my kids. So I'm like, I got like a hot grill, like chicken shrimp in front of oh, me. That's awful. And I'm just yelling yelling into my phone. But hey, <laughs> that's my take. My take is yes, it. Donald Trump had the election stolen from him. It was the 2016 election. Of course, there are huge problems with 2020 election. But that's the election that shame on you people. It was you people of the left, the conspiratorial left, the conspiracy theory TDS broke brain individuals who planted this sick lie that was paid for, Russian disinformation, verified, 100% confirmed. And you people had psychosexual fantasies about it day and night. And they continue to this day inside of Alvin Bragg's office in New York, in Manhattan. You people really do need to see a head doctor. That's my, that's the, the end. That's what I got. Hey, Mario. So, so Red Devil... Uh, Mario, I, uh, can, I, can I just say goodbye really quick? I, sorry, guys. I, I also have to do a media hit. I'll try to jump on again later if you're still here. Okay. Hey, Thank yeah. you for the brief time. Thanks, Brandon. Appreciate yeah, it. See you guys later. Okay. Hey, Red Devil. Uh, we'll take. Yeah, you've uh, welcome to the stage. Actually, uh, you said you've worked with voting machines, uh, and and that you're alleging that both Democrats and Republicans have been cheating since 2000, uh, and that people need to understand the larger narrative. So let's hear part of that larger narrative. Now, I want to go directly against what was just said as far as the left being more responsible than the right for this cheating. It's absolutely both sides that are equally implicated in this all the way from the beginning. We look back at 2000. We can see the hanging chads in Florida. That was really one of the early roots of when this process began, when machines began to be involved in our election process, when our nation or, in fact, our world began to lose track of, of the fact that humans can actually count their own ballots and that there is a legitimate way to go about this. Of course, there's always going to be rare instances of fraud, but when you introduce the machines, you introduce a degree of complexity which spirals out into every aspect of elections all across the nation, all across the world, which creates confusion, distrust, and the absolute collapse of society that we're experiencing right now. And it's not just the machines. Machines are just the shield, just the distraction, just the, the, the piece that could be manipulated if convenient or if some, some uh, loophole is found or, or some vulnerability is produced. But really, this goes all the way back to not just the machines, but also what's fed into the machines, the ballots themselves, whether or not those ballots are legitimate, whether they have a legitimate chain of custody. And I want to st take it one step further. And this is this is something that's breaking, whether or not the voters themselves, the names on the ballots, the names on the ballot envelopes, the signatures on those envelopes and, and the names printed with those signatures are legitimate names or legitimate people. And there might be multiple records associated with each of those individuals, uh, whether it's in a specific county or all across the nation. But it's, it's a really a deconstruction of the entire public system that we have, the entire system of the state of the government that we have. And we need to go back to the beginning and figure out who actually has a beating heart in this nation who or who is a fraudulent individual, whether they died in the past or they were just made up for the convenience of any given situation to be able to be injected into the election system. So we need to go all the way back to the beginning and look at that. Of course, we need to get rid of the machines. Of course, we need to get rid of mail-in voting. Of course, we need to vote on one day in person with a, a hand count. Of course, all that's true. But I, I think we need, you need voter ID yes. as well. <laughs> you don't have and, that. and we need to take a thumbprint and we need to put that in ink 
We need to put that ink on each ballot so everybody knows that forensically it could be tracked back to them if they are a part of any kind of fraud that takes place. And so there's a lot that needs to be done still, but we, we can't just focus on one area or the other. Lindell likes to talk about machines. Uh, some other people like to talk about the ballot trafficking. All of those are components of it, but we, we really need to, to stop pointing the finger at one party or the other and realize that both of them feed from the same trough international criminal organizations that have taken <laughs> charge of these people and are, are causing them to act towards their will rather than the will of the sovereign people of the country in which they are infiltrating. And I'm not just talking about America. This is Brazil all over, uh, and, and all that can be verified. Benny, jump in. Yeah, dude, like, what, like you ain't going to find any problem with me with what was just said. I, so I travel a lot for my job. So I'm piecing out all the time to the airport. And why is it that the government knows exactly which flight I am? I, like, of course, I'm not able to board a plane without an ID. In fact, there's signs all over the airport right now. Has anybody flown recently saying, are you ready? Are you ready for your government? Are you ready for your government ID? Are you ready? Are you ready for real ID? Because you will need a real government ID to fly. So I don't understand why we don't have like real government ID, uh, like as it pertains to our votes. Like, what is more important, me going to Cedar Rapids, Iowa, or my vote? Well, I'll take the vote. And why can't we implement, like, why don't we take that as seriously? I don't get it. I think you can wreck a country just as easily uh, through voter fraud as you could with an airplane, right? And an act of terrorism. And there, there are different ways to wreck a country. And what, like, why do, why do, why do we secure one way where you literally has, have an agent of the government grope you and confirm what's in your pants uh, has that ever happened at a voting center? I'm not arguing it should. I'm saying, like, why does the government take one thing super, super duper serial? And, and then the, the other thing, it, it is like, actually, the, ba- the ballots are now worth less than the paper they're printed on because there's so many of them. Everyone's seen. I don't care if it's like some, one lady brought up, like, the, the people dragging out the suitcases in Georgia. OK, you know what? I don't actually know all of the details of that. I'll leave that to Jen Ellis. But I'll tell you this. It don't look good. I'll tell you this, uh, I can point you to a bunch of people that are in prison right now for dragging ballots around that weren't them, that weren't theirs, sorry, that they didn't have legal right to, to have, including a guy down the street from me in Tampa here that was put, that's been put in jail. So, like, that, that doesn't look good. That's not the way that, like, we're, we're supposed to have ballots. And so, I don't, I don't know, Red Devil or whatever, but I completely agree with everything you just said. Like, why, why don't we take this seriously? By the way, I'll say the one, the one final thing is that, like, I hate it when Canada gets something up on America. And Canada clapped back really hard when people were talking about Canadian voting. And they were like, no, it's all same day, uh, in-person, uh, marked ballots, like one day of vote. Like, can't, like the, there's some election forum in Canada that clapped back about like the way the Canadians vote. And they, they obviously choose communists and uh, Chinese simps and blackface Chinese simps to be their leaders. But whatever, that's on them. Like, you know, I hate it when they get one up on us. France votes that same way as well. Uh, same day, same day, marked ballots in person. Like, am I wrong that we are the only country that does it like that has like a month of voting and you can vote by like mail or by paper airplane? I mean, that seems insane to me. Are we the only westernized country that does this? Because it's like suicidal, actually. Like it's borderline suicidal. Yeah. So it seems like the government can't really do anything well. Uh, We all kind of know that they're very inefficient. Uh, they're, 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 they're bad at pretty much everything they do. Um, so 
uh, actually, I want to go. I, I want to go to Renato on this. Um, do Do you think that these challenges to the 2020 election do they have any merit? Were they Were they fair? And did Hillary Clinton not contest the 2016 election as well? Well, well, good point. Um, l- let me say a few things. I mean, I would start by saying, you know, you said, did Hillary Clinton contest the 2016 election? I, I'm not she, talking necessarily through the courts. I'm talking about the fact that did right. she try to discredit Donald Trump and call him an illegitimate mm-hmm. president and actually mm-hmm. reduce faith in his administration? Yeah, I think w- this is what I would say. She called him to concede the next day and showed up, right, at his inauguration and all of that. But did she try to, to cut him down and, and put him down and denigrate his administration later? Sure. I agree with that. I think and there's an important distinction. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm talking now. And I was quiet when you spoke. Um, but, you know, th- there is, I think, a very important difference uh, and distinction between challenging the legitimacy of our system, as some have done, like Ms. Ellis, and criticizing someone when they're in office, trying to cut them down. I mean, there's a lot of very sharp rhetoric, including in this room, right? Uh, so I, I think that, you know, just to focus on what I do know about, you know, one other you know point of agreement that I will say here is, you know, regarding voting machines, uh, paper ballots sound good to me as well. Having a paper trail sounds good to me. I'm not an expert on voting and I don't claim to be. Um, you know, I am a lawyer. I all, I, you know, I have st- stood from afar and watched um, the Trump suits unfold. And I will just say, like Benny, I, I was not involved in the day to day of them the way that Miss Ellis was. But, you know, from observing them, I don't I think there was a number of false statements that were made in her in her commentary earlier. Uh, and when I look at the decisions by judges, including many judges that were appointed by President Trump, judges who some of whom I know and respect, great conservative judges, uh, I just I, I don't think it's accurate to say that those judges determined solely on procedural grounds. Although I agree that many times that was the case, that there was nothing to those decisions. I mean, I'm reading a decision now. I'm looking at it by Judge Bebas, who is one of the, you know, Judge Bebas was not only appointed by President Trump, but is one of the foremost conservative jurists in the country. And he said, calling an election unfair does not make it so. Charges require specific allegations and then proof. We have neither here. And when I read and look through this decision, which I've been doing since she spoke, since Ms. Ellis spoke, I see a, a very carefully reasoned and, just, and very, very sweeping decision that undercuts and you know finds nothing um, of substance to the claims that were made. Now I have heard I heard a discussion earlier regarding whether or not cases were quote heard on the merits. You know the reason that I, I agree. You know when I looked, I was pulling up statistics when others were talking here. I mean the reason that the the Trump won twenty eight uh, tw- won only twenty eight out of one hundred and ninety four decisions, judicial decisions, and ultimately lost all the challenges was because in in many cases, the quality of the lawyering was so low that there was no, the allegations ultimately that were made in the legal documents were not even sufficient to bring forward the claims. So while I agree that hearing cases on the merits would be preferred, as somebody who didn't follow all the ins and outs of the cases. I was not a, a engaged by any side, but just looking at the quality of the pleadings, they were they were quite poor. 
And I'll note that Ms. Ellis was disciplined by the State Bar of Colorado for intentionally misleading judges and by throwing okay. shade and attacking that, the judicial well, system. Yeah, so I'm going to let, if you're, if you're going to. And, yeah, and actually, that is true. No, no that, that that's actually true. not true. That is true. No, okay, that's, yeah. no, it's Renato, not I'm going to let Jenna respond to that because that was a charge against Jenna. I'm going to let Jenna respond. Thank you to, uh, for that. I'm not going to comment on, um, you know, the weaponization of government otherwise and, uh, and all of that, other than to say that is a false statement. I was never attorney of record in any of the cases, so I never made any statements to judges in any context on behalf of any of the claims of the Trump campaign and your charge of the quality of lawyering uh, is a charge against the local council. Uh, and so that is not true that that was the basis of uh, the censure in Colorado. And I would encourage everyone to actually go and uh, read not what the media is portraying, uh, but you know, was that what actually happened? But I also wanna say and clarify uh, the charge as well that um, people like myself who worked on behalf of Donald Trump um, and that the intent was to undermine uh, the legitimacy of the system. That is also not true. And that is a biased talking point. The intent of the challenges were to get to the results of what actually happened and to promote free and fair elections and make sure that every legal vote counted and counted fairly and accurately. And so whether you love or hate Donald Trump, the goal is not to undermine the legitimacy of the system. The goal in all election integrity challenges are to make sure that the system is, in fact, legitimate. And for the, the 2020 election, in my view, what is so amazingly ridiculous about this entire conversation and all of this rhetoric from, you know, this this guy who just spoke that I've never heard of um, is that. This is a charge against the intent of Donald Trump because, you know, people think that, you know, he had all kinds of different motivations and whatever. And they're totally skipping over the fact that Trump campaigned. Fine. We can all agree or not vote or whatever, but we should all come together and want a meritorious finding on the merits. And I didn't say all cases were kicked out on standing. Many of them were at least from the Trump campaign, but things like Texas versus Pennsylvania were not heard. And somebody said earlier that, you know, that the Supreme Court didn't hear that case because, well, they never issued a reason or an opinion based on that. So all of us here, whether you like Trump, hate Trump, thought he won, lost, whatever, the goal of election integrity should always be to make sure that our system is legitimate and that everyone has faith and confidence and that the fraud that does happen is minimized to the extent possible. And so I really, really uh, would encourage people like the speaker before me who, you know, is making all kinds of false personal attacks and clearly hasn't even read what's going on in Colorado to note that I wasn't the attorney of record in any of these cases. I was not local counsel on any of these cases. Um, instead of making these, you know, very small minded personal attacks to note that we should all come together as Americans and really want a restored faith and confidence in our system and to make sure that states take election integrity very seriously. And that's all that I'm going to say on this. I, so, so, so Jen, I, wait, hold uh, on. I've got a number of things I, to say in response. I'm going to give you 15 seconds. So hurry. Well, you're going to give me 15 seconds. You allowed her to interrupt me. She has well, you made you made you made charges no. against her. So I have that are that are accurate. I am. Okay, actually go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Colorado go ahead. disciplinary order now that she agreed to. 
in which she agreed that she engaged in a pattern of misconduct. She agreed that she engaged in conduct that involves dishonesty, fraud, deceit, or misrepresentation, and adversely reflected on her fitness to practice law. She acknowledged that many of the statements, by the way, statements that she said See, today see we're getting off track here. Yeah, because I'm now, sorry. Now I am, no, but I am, I'm we're not, not I'm getting not, off track. Nope, really nope, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. I'm, I'm sorry. Not, Go I'm ahead. Sure Jenna, Jenna I'm, she's going to achieve by with personal attacks like this. Yeah, this is, this is not, this is not the topic. It's about Trump. You can make your political arguments, but you don't need to go attacking someone personally. You do the exact same person who complained previously that, you know, it's childish and why people having personal attacks is just unacceptable. Uh, I'm going to go to Red because I think he'll have something on note to say, which will be about the topic and issue at hand as uh, r- r- rather than personal attacks. Go ahead, Red. Uh, thanks again for the opportunity. I just want to talk a little bit about 2016 versus 2020. So what we saw in 2016 was uh, really only the result of the insurance policy. We didn't see a lot of the, the fraud itself. And that election was a lot closer than it should have been. Trump should have absolutely wiped wiped the entire thing, and and that was mentioned by a previous speaker. And the the reason why he didn't is because they did put their fingers on the scale significantly. They had quite a bit of weight pushing against having Trump lose, but the turnout was just so overwhelming that it broke through the, the barriers that they had put in place. And this is the barrier. They refused to allow more votes to be inserted into the election than voters were in each county. And so that's the barrier that they had. When so many Trump voters showed up and actually voted for Trump, and I did not, I voted for the the third party again, uh, Gary Johnson, again, libertarian every single time, even 2020. The, the idea was, though, that in 2020, they took away that barrier. They took away that restriction on the votes so that they had the opportunity to inject more votes and there was actually voters in each county. And so we have these, these counties with absolutely statistically impossible results that are coming through with, with uh, uh, in certain precincts, hundreds of more voters than there are uh, votes than there are voters and more ballots being put into those draw boxes. Where are those coming from? Those aren't real people. This is down to the core of our civic society. We need to go back and look at the 2020 census and say, what actually happened in that 2020 census? Maybe even the 2010 and, and begin from the ground up to rebuild this system. But I, um, I'm, I'll, I'll give it back over, but I've got a lot to talk about. Lawsuits. My name is Jim Wiley. I go by Red, Red Devil. Uh, feel free to hit me in the DMs. Thank you, Red Devil. Uh, let's go to Joe for some balance here. What do you think, Joe? Yeah, I mean, I, look, I, if anyone does any searching, you'll see that elections are typically won by who, whoever has the most money to spend. Um, even when Trump was running, uh, I predicted he would win, even knowing that he was going to spend less than Hillary because he was using a lot of marketing tactics I typically use for brands, which is he started with the miners and then with the people that were coming back from the VA. He started with a niche group of people and then started growing growing that way. You started seeing a lot of red hats. I think people who wore those red hats probably didn't even take them off to sleep. Um, and you could see the wave that was coming. But that wasn't the case in this re-election, right? He lost the miners. He's yeah, he, the miner, the miner shut, mines shut down. They didn't open. More were shut down under his presidency than the last couple of presidents. Uh, VA hospitals were actually worse. Those two people, he failed, so he needed the money. Biden had almost double what Trump had. He also had more total votes. Like, there's no indication that anything would have changed 
based on historical facts, even before machines. I know Red Devil's talking about machines and a lot of a lot of uh, things that can happen with machines. Trump is the only anomaly since like the time of Carter that not Carter, sorry, when there was a there was a president that left. I think it was Ford, and that was because <clears throat> he took office because someone the previous president died. I don't remember the whole story, but there's two anomalies in the past hundred years. And he had almost double the amount of money of, of Trump. He was going to win. Americans don't make decisions. The people who fund them do. Right. And we have to, we have to come to grips that until we take money out of politics, we don't really have a vote. You can show up or not. It doesn't really fucking matter. It's whoever has the most money wins and look at the campaign financing of every single election and who won. And you'll see, Every single time, except for two times, it's whoever had the most money. So why we even question the election? It was he had double the amount of money he was going to win. Well, I agree with you. The money, but Trump had uh, more money. Uh, Uh, He had half. Trump had seven hundred eighty-five million. Biden had one point one billion and zero six. The money is a big part of it, but is is that money going through the public disclosure process? through the, the FEC, is everybody aware of those contributions, whether they're going through a PAC or whatnot? Or is this money that's going to the back pockets via uh, signed deeds, via mon- money laundering, that's actually influencing the elected officials themselves, the election judges, those officials, the county clerks, and recorders? This, this is media spend. Judges. But, but yes, of course, there, there's money in media spend. But what's more important is the influence in who counts the votes, who's paying for those votes to be counted. Well, in 2020, it was Mark Zuckerberg with $400 million that went to CTCL and other nonprofits that redistributed those funds to different municipal governments in order to get PPE, of course, protective equipment, when they're really just uh, buying drop boxes for the ease of ballot laundering, ballot cracking, ballot stuffing. This is all a process that they've used. Yes, of course, there's money involved, but it's not the public money. Yeah, there is a lot of public money involved, and it would be great to get that out of the picture. But what's going on underneath, that, that's what we need to look at even closer. So, Jenna, I want to ask you a question real quick. What do you think would need to be done to restore faith in the American election system? Uh, what needs to be changed? Um, I mean, there's so much to this, I guess, that you may not be able to answer that uh, totally, but broadly speaking, what do you think it would take? That's a great question. And I think full transparency uh, would be a great start. Having some uh, safeguards and security like voter ID, like uh, paper ballots, like one day of voting, uh, not this universal vote by mail and all of these different options for drop boxes and, you know, days at a time having one election day. And then also having uh, legislative reform where election officials are required uh, to turn over, be fully transparent to all of the candidates and even, you know, the American people um, should be able to look at all of the particularized uh, results and and then have kind of uh, like Virginia has what they call a rocket docket for some civil litigation, have a very specific timeline on candidates that can bring challenges based on these uh, timely 
filings or disclosures from election administers and that they can be heard on the merits and that this isn't just this overly politicized bunk to say that, you know, you don't have standing or this isn't uh, necessarily outcome oriented. A lot of the the problems that candidates face um, is because they can't even get access to the information or it's unavailable or there's not audits um, in a timely manner. And so a lot of what, in my opinion, happened in the 2020 election uh, was that the clock was just ran out by by the courts and um, and also by the state legislatures that refused to uh, step in under their Article Two authority. So we need to have transparency. We need to have legislative reform. We need to have the ability to bring these challenges meritoriously and get heard in courts and have free and fair elections. So um, the Heritage Foundation has released a really great um, election transparency uh, paper and initiative that I would highly encourage everybody uh, to read. And, um, you know, even though obviously they're more of a conservative uh, group, this isn't a partisan issue at all. And, you know, clearly, you know, I obviously uh, represented the Trump campaign and and Donald Trump in 2020, but um, that doesn't change the fact that, due process and process should happen. Um, and these things should be fully transparent, regardless of who you're representing, or, you know, if you have a, if a personal uh, stake in, in the outcome of a, of a candidate because of being the candidate yourself, or being a representative of a candidate, we just need to really drastically um, have more accountability, and the ability to file these challenges timely and, and be heard. So thank you for that, Jenna. Uh, before I, w- I want to get Joe's response to that quickly, but uh, I also want to remind the audience to go down there and leave our questions, uh, re- leave your questions, and we're going through them. Uh, and so we'll get to them shortly. Um, Joe, what is the issue here with what Jenna is saying? What voter ID, paper ballots, one election day, uh, you know, and easy auditing? What is what is the issue with that? Why, why is that? So polarizing. <laughs> you know, Jenna earlier said something very, I believe, idealistic, which is until everyone believes we have a fair voting system. Well, that's never going to happen. You can't get every person to agree on even if the sky is blue or that the earth is round. Right. Um, you're going to have people disagree no matter no matter what. Um, and the statement. Joe, Joe. But Joe, just about that, isn't that like, I mean, I, I guess what you're saying, because you, it's been like you're saying, like having certainty, but I think when Jen is saying it, or when I said, I made a similar comment earlier, I don't mean like fi- certainty from a philosophical perspective. Of course, you're not going to achieve that. But what we're saying is you what the scenario you have now is anytime there's an election, 50, well, 50% is just a hypothetical, but you, are, you know, I mean, a significant portion from either side, depending on what year it is, mm-hmm. do not do not believe in the election you can never have a society where you a, a functioning society where people don't believe in the result of election so reform is needed to increase that and so even if you of course you wouldn't get 100 percent certainty but you get to a point where there can be an election and people can agree to the result of that election yes but if that was the case i don't think this would be the election to question it right maybe the bush and gore election would have been one to question it not one. Well, I don't know. I, I would say, Joa, you know, I, so I, I just posted in the nest there. Uh, you know, I, as I said, I've, I've, I've had my ups and downs with Trump. I was a huge Trump supporter. The nest fact, doesn't show up for uh, me, but I'll, lo- I'll look at it. Okay. Well, but so like one of the, one of the charts that I put together at the end of 2020, this was right after the election there, uh, was a chart 
demonstrating what the media gets and what we all get from the feeds there, which is basically here are the results coming in from all the various states. In the end, Trump actually held up. He printed out this chart on a on a on a big placard and, and held it up over um, the White House podium to show what you know what I was showing, which was basically that in the middle of the night in Wisconsin, there was a, a host of very strange anomalies where a, a huge batch came in. Now, it very well could have been that those came in from Minneapolis or from uh, you know from from some uh, very strong blue hold, uh, but we had no idea. There's no sort of accountability. There's no um, transparency that we can see as to where those things came from uh, and even just the the so the, the what the media sees what you get fed over fox news what you get fed over cnn what you get fed over msnbc when it comes to those results come from this very strange source and again none of that has been really fixed i i think you you need that sort of uh you know transactional thing i don't know if there's a blockchain component to this thing that that needs to be there so you have uh, you, you can see your your vote all the way through, uh, but yeah, it's it's going to be very difficult to roll back, um, you know, all the COVID policies that changed the election and basically, uh, you know, destroyed the red wave yeah, last year. That's actually was, what I was going to yeah. bring up. You would expect anomalies because we had an anomaly, right? We had more people voting with with mail in ballots due to COVID than any time in history. So of course you're going to expect things you've never seen before because something happened that's never happened before. I think that's why so many people have a problem with this election. Besides the fact that, you know, this whole thing about there being election fraud, I mean, it's out there. It was written up before the election even happened. Right. And even in, even Trump himself said it right before it even happened. So it's, it's like the narrative played out. Like, look, I'm not for either one. I think they're both crooked. I think, you know, both of them should be investigated. But this was something that was premeditated before it even happened. There's tons of evidence out there that that's exactly what happened. And, yes, we're going to see anomalies in the data. I think America has a very old voting system. Don't know why it's not taking care of the American people. But instead, each state has X amount of votes. And the states with less people in terms of weight actually have yeah. more weight per vote than the states with a lot of people, which is a bit ridiculous, but, you know, I don't think... It's well, part place. of it is just the, the, the shock to the system sometimes fixes things. You know, I've been around since uh, the election of 2000 and the, 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 the Bush-Gore election there, and Florida was completely embarrassed, just red-faced over Broward County votes being found in bags and the hanging chads, if you remember all that. And now they've got their crap together. They were done. I mean, their election was done by 8 p.m. They had all the votes in. There was very little controversy. And then you go here in California, you go to, you know, Pennsylvania was the perfect example where you had in one year in, in 2016 about 200,000 absentee ballots. And then that shot up to 2.3 million. And it's just like things are going to be crazy. You look in, in Georgia where in 2016, 6% of the mail-in ballots were rejected and then it grew by a factor of 10 and only 0.6% were rejected the next time around and so it just it it really it it lends itself to incredulity when you when you look at these things it's just it's, just, it's going to be difficult to overcome those hurdles i think unless you know we hit ground bottom and maybe we have in these last two elections i, I don't, I don't think the one the biggest issue for me that never gets brought up is the amount the total population of california and how many electoral votes they have. And then you look at the total population of Wyoming and how many electoral votes they have, and they have near 
two times the amount of voting power per person in Wyoming than they do in California. So why are Californians worth less than people from Wyoming? Do you know what I mean? That to me is the most messed up thing there is. Well, that's a matter of sort of timing of the census, right? I mean, here in California, we're actually projected to lose about 10 seats here in the next uh, census. No, uh, that's round. not a member of the census. That's because that's how we've been running. That's mm. what the Constitution says. That's how we, we basically deal with our electoral college votes. Okay, it's 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 nothing to do with the census. I mean, it goes up and down according to the census, but it's not a census issue. Can I just make, I'm driving, so I, Nick, can I make one or two comments? Is that okay? Because I'm yeah, afraid I'll lose you. Okay. So, um, I look, I don't think, I think everyone knew what was going to happen in this election in terms of there were masses of absentee ballots, much more than usual, that basically on election day, because Republicans were told by Donald Trump to vote on election day, that it might look different, right, than it did the days after. Because the Democratic cities were going to come in with absentee ballots and they were going to be heavily weighted in favor of Joe Biden. So if you found yourself confused or upset or whatever, you shouldn't have been because actually literally every commentator, every news article was saying that. Even Donald Trump knew that. And some of his people said that. However, I want to go back to something because I do think maybe there are areas we can agree on. Okay, I think voter ID would be fine as long as we can come up with a way to do it that would be fair, that would be equitable and also wouldn't impose uh, difficulties on certain people. We, ha- we have a system now of 50 states get to do everything they want to, and that creates confusion, right? Because nobody knows every every state law. Nobody could. Maybe there are some people, but it's hard. And people don't understand the procedures, and it can be different in different states. So it would be really nice if we had some So, so Tira, degree- Tira, can, yeah. can, 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 can uh, I want to ask you here, are you talking about, are you advocating for federalizing the election system? Well, I think that that would not, if we could, if we could agree on some sort of voter ID, I don't have a problem with that. If, like I said, there, there are issues. Like sometimes it's done sort of unfairly because in different states you have to get a birth certificate. If you, there are things that have created hardships for people. But if we could come up with some national system, I think we should try because that would be easier. Some of the things that Miss Ellis said, I, I don't agree with. I have no problems with drop boxes. Man, I love them. And they're easy. You know, I just wish they had better security. Maybe we could work on that. I also don't think just voting on one day is absolutely necessary. Okay. We certainly could arrange to have early voting, things like that. I I mean, there's no real reason to not have vote, to always have it on one day, because let's get real. What that does is it favors Republicans or in general, it has favored Republicans or it has favored people who are able to get to the polls in one specific day. Often people who have more um, financial resources or at least have have the ability to leave their jobs, potentially, things like that. Now, we could make it a national holiday. I get that. But I think there's some things that I don't think I'd agree with, but other areas where I think we could all come together, and that would I would love to see that. Okay? I would really I, love I think to that's see fair, us. Tara. I think that's fair. I think, look, here in California, for example, it's super frustrated because, you know, I've, I've spent most of my career doing elections, and ha- had this been a traditional election, Governor Newsom would not be our governor anymore. We would have definitely recalled him because typically it's enthusiasm and whoever you get to the polls. But because we had this, you know, replete mail home ballot thing and everything else, um, you know, he, he was able to sustain himself in the governorship. I think that the challenging thing is it's really difficult to roll that back and it's hard to justify it in a lot of ways. So I think there probably are some common ground things we can do, but, but it definitely, you know, yeah, I, th- I think the Republic, like here in California and in New York, we got wise. We started doing, you know, the, the, the ballot harvesting or we started doing, you know, early votes, really pushing it. So like, you know, in, in Pennsylvania, for example, it's huh? too easy to vote. You have, you have homeless people voting because you have ballot harvesting. Yeah. 
Homeless so people home, shouldn't wait, even be allowed to vote. Homeless people shouldn't vote? Is that your No, condition? they shouldn't be allowed to vote. They don't have a really? say. Yeah, really? Unfortunately, we have... Okay, Absolutely. so Ian, our system... Why should they have a right to vote? Our How, system so is predicated... So they're going to vote for free stuff. Can, can I just tell you something? And they contribute nothing. Wait, I, you've been are, speaking for a while, so I like okay, to speak. Okay, sure. Of course. Yeah. I don't believe homeless people should be allowed to vote because they don't contribute anything to the system. What do they have to do besides benefit from voting for free stuff? That's all they're going to vote for. It's like letting 12-year-olds vote. What are they going to vote for? Oh, time off of school. No school, no homework. Wow, what a great what a great plan. Free V-Bucks for Fortnite. Wow, amazing. You know, like you shouldn't let people vote if they don't have a fucking any skin in the game. It's as simple as that. That could apply to a lot of people that. here, Ian. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like... Grifters, people who don't work. Homeless people, no. They should people not have in nursing homes, perhaps? Is that where you're going? Jeepers. No, people who have contributed to society, people who have paid their dues, people who have worked and then have earned their pensions, they should be, absolutely be allowed to vote. But people who don't, people who are jobless, people who are in their 20s, who don't have a job, who don't pay taxes, should not be allowed to vote. It's very simple. And, and, and once upon a time, America used to have that. Most countries did. And now look at where we are. Maybe they could get a job as a as a ballot harvester. America used to actually have not allowing blacks to vote and women to vote, too. So if you want to go back to things, maybe. Look, I don't agree with you. I think we have a system in our country that we try and enfranchise people. That's one of the bases of our democracy. We are we are trying. We liked people people to vote. Okay, I I don't agree. I can't. People who commit crimes are now voting. And now you're trying to get, you know, people who go to jail, felons, you're trying to give them the right to vote. I mean, excuse me, you committed a crime. You shouldn't even be allowed to vote. Why is that even a question? It's a slow erosion of, of, of the republic. It's turning into a, a mob. It's, it's a democracy. Yeah, it's not a good thing. Ask the Greeks about it. Yeah, but Tira, I, I, one question I have for you. So you would agree with me that uh, cleaning voter rolls is a problem and that mail voting actually in, of itself is a problem. Like if you want early voting in-person early voting, which I still have problems with, but is far superior to to mail voting, which I am defining as unsolicited mail ballots. I'm not talking about absentee ballots that are solicited. You would agree that those are real problems, that there are actually in the, the reform, and we are in a reform period of voting. We've reformed from what we were beforehand. We're, we're, this is all new. This is not something that is well-tested. And, and, and again, we've got four of the last six presidential elections have been disputed by either party. I mean, th- this is a messy situation, and we've got to grab control of it. Uh, so I would actually not agree. I would not agree that we should jettison mail-in voting. What I would say is we should have a maybe a bipartisan, I mean, people will hate this, but a bipartisan commission to see if we can come to some resolution on certain things, okay? I don't, there are many states that do everything by mail-in voting, and they're absolutely fine. Isn't Utah one of them or something? You know, there's never well, been well, an Colorado issue. Well, Colorado that I spent a lot of time in right. does, and I, I right. that's what I'm that saying. And, a problem. Well, you think it's a problem. I would Most agree. Colorado is my home state, too, and it is a problem, and that's, okay. that's one of well, the things that we need to reform. Okay, so obviously we clearly disagree on this. Just interrupt real quick. I'm not talking about uh, absentee ballots that are solicited under some construct. I'm talking about mail ballots that are sent out in an unsolicited fashion and in some states to very dirty voter rolls. That is a risky thing to be doing. You know, I will agree that our voter rolls are a mess. Okay. We, and we have people registered in two states and, you know, because they moved and we can't clean them up because it's a amount of money that people don't want to spend at the state level. So we should do that. Okay. I don't know that it's leading to massive fraud. I don't think it does in point of fact because people just don't, 
no, I don't believe that, but we will table that, okay? But I think we should clean those up. I think there are things, like I said, we can agree on, and others we might disagree on, but I do think, you know, a, a national voter ID system of some sense, I don't have a problem with that if we could implement it fairly. I disagree with Ian, however. I mean, look, but, but, I, I but feel very strongly that if you're a prisoner, can I just finish one thing? Because sure. if you're like a prisoner and you have served your sentence, and you're supposed to be reintegrated into society. Whether or not you believe that or not, Ian, you should, I think, most people actually believe this. If you look at the polls, you should probably have the right to vote unless maybe you've been guilty of certain specific crimes. Okay, I just don't agree that we just disenfranchise people for life. And I don't think if you're homeless, you might have been a person who who was, you know, very substantive before, but something happened. I guess I just don't see that. I think we were based upon the idea that people should be able to vote and we should try and encourage voting. Thank you. So so I will, uh, I'm going to bring in trash right after this, but uh, I want to give... I just wanted to say, right, that um, voter ID, Republicans are trying to do it, but guess what? Every time they do, Democrats respond and say it's racist. They say it disenfranchises stupid people, disenfranchises people who don't understand how to read. It's like, that's ridiculous, right? I mean, if you know how to read, if you're, if you, if you can sign your name anywhere, I mean, and anybody can, what's the issue, right? But they're claiming that voter ID makes it too difficult for a lot of people who don't have a college education to vote. And that's none of it's true. And it, it is a slow disenfranchisement of anyone of, of value, anyone who contributes to society. It's ridiculous. I worry, I worry, Ian, about the homeless day because we could all be homeless by the time Joe Biden is done here. So let's just be cautious <laughs> on that. <laughs> that's a legal term I mean, of art. At that point, I mean, you're going to have to take back the country through other means. You know, at that point, it's like, you know, you're not going to be reliant on, on the state for anything. Yeah. So I, I want to jump to Jenna real quick because uh, I just want to say we sincerely appreciate you coming by. Uh, I know you have to jump off. Uh, you know, we'd love to have you again soon. And uh, I want to give you a chance to make some closing remarks here. Uh, we're going to keep the space going for a long time. So if you decide you get bored, you want to come back, we're going to be here for hours. So, uh. <laughs> Well, that's great. Yeah, well, well, thanks so much um, to Nick and, and also Mario's team for having me. I've been wanting to join one of these spaces for a while. And um, my closing comment is just this, you know, regardless of all the personal attacks and, you know, whatever, uh, and that which really ultimately don't matter. I love the fact that we have these types of spaces because the fact that we're all uh, disagreeing and having good conversation is exactly what we should be doing. And I wish that we could do that in an environment and in a forum without the weaponization of government and without people worried that they're going to get censored on social media or they're going to get, you know, hauled before uh, a star chamber or, you know, whatever it is, um, we should all be able to express opinion and talk about how do we best preserve and protect our constitutional republic moving forward. That's what it's all about. So I really appreciate everybody who's been here. Thanks for um, the opportunity uh, to join. And I'll just leave it at that. And uh, thanks again so much, guys. Thank you, Janet. Come back anytime. Absolutely. Nice being here. Yep. So, uh, and we are bringing in more special guests. We're working on them right now. It won't be too, too long, but uh, we'll have some more interesting people to talk to here. Trash, I'm going to toss to you. Thanks. Uh, hear me out, guys. Okay. So, I'm one of the Trump voter dissenters on massive wide-scale fraud um, because they admitted what they did and how they did it. So, I put down it in the bubble down there. And then, like, listen, listen. I can't litigate machines. I can't litigate. I'm not an attorney. I can't litigate cases. That's not, that's not where I'm going. All I can do is go with what I'm given. And, and what I see is it, it makes a lot of sense. So down in the chat, uh, I put a link to 
a February 2021 article uh, in Time magazine written by Molly Ball. And it was called the uh, the secret 2020 election shadow campaign that saved the election. Right. Well, they detail in here how it was done. Right. So we're using uh, four hundred million dollars from the CARES Act. Right. And then Zuckerberg comes in with another three hundred million. And then you get various different millions uh, donated from very different reasons. But what that money enabled them to do was build this massive apparatus where they could go collect all of the they could lobby to get laws changed. Then they could they could also go collect all these ballots that were sent out unsolicited or even solicited or they were that was the law in the state. It was changed. It was it was different for each state, which is what made this so which is what made this so sick. And so you go through it and you say, okay, you know, you got Zuckerberg, you got the $400 million of taxpayer money, I would might add, that was used through these activist groups to change laws and to change how the system was. Then they put entire teams together to go out there and collect votes, knocking on everybody's door. Hey, did you vote? No, I'm not going to vote. It's right there. Hey, it's right there. Just fill it out. I'll grab it for you. And then they, you know, whatever conversations happened there is whatever happened there. And they're just collecting all these ballots and collecting all these ballots, which is why there was an insane amount. Now, that would be one thing. Right. But it was another thing that, as we know from the Twitter files of how we saw the massive censorship apparatus that has been operating on social media for a very long time. And this is where the conversations have been happening. And so we saw them in Twitter files, but Twitter wasn't ground zero. We think it's not going on at Meta, Facebook, Instagram, all these things. And so what you had was you had Democrats and Republicans on both sides that were in this entire group of people that were using several hundreds of millions of dollars in conjunction. There was censorship that it wanted to go one way. And so how do I know this as well? Well, because all the big tech, big tech companies overwhelmingly uh, donated to Democrat politicians and Mark Zuckerberg himself donated money. So we see all of this and then we take the censorship into it. So even if there was honest votes cast, these people were never getting the information that they should have been getting to make an honest decision to begin with. And then on top of that, there were so many people out here able to go collect all these ballots from people that would never be a voter because there was ballots everywhere. And it was and it was taxpayer funded. And and if you go through this article, I encourage you to just go through it. They they are bragging and they're telling you exactly how it was done now. Are there are there issues with machines? Yeah. Proprietary code for voting machines. Uh-uh. I want blockchain. I want same day blockchain, right? That's what I want. But again, I, I can't make those arguments, but these are arguments that I can make. And if anybody on either side of the argument, whether they're pro-Trump or against Trump, would be against this, I have to wonder your motives. Like this is plain as day what happened. This is what the conversation should have been having the whole time. Might have been able to fix a lot of this stuff. But instead it was narratives and back and forth and censorship and banning and there was no ever conversation to be had. And it's just really frustrating to me. I just kind of wanted to put that out there because it's right there. They tell you how they did it. So uh, you spoke on some relevant points to Red Devil. I, I've been messaging back and forth with you here. Um, you have a February 2021 article uh, in Time magazine written by Molly Ball. And it was called the uh, the secret 2020 election shadow campaign that saved the election. Right. Well, they detail in here how it was done. Right. So we're using uh, $400 million from the CARES Act. Right. And then Zuckerberg comes in with another 300 million. And then you get various different millions uh, donated from very different reasons. But what that money enabled them to do was build this massive apparatus where they could go collect all of the they could lobby to get laws changed. Then they could they could also go collect all these ballots that were sent out unsolicited or even solicited or they were that was the law in the state. It was changed. It was it was different for each state, which is what made this so which is what made this so sick. 
And so you go through it and you say, okay, you know, you got Zuckerberg, you got the $400 million of taxpayer money, I would might add, that was used through these activist groups to change laws and to change how the system was. Then they put entire teams together to go out there and collect votes, knocking on everybody's door. Hey, did you vote? No, I'm not going to vote. It's right there. Hey, it's right there. Just fill it out. I'll grab it for you. And then they, you know, whatever conversations happened there is whatever happened there. And they're just collecting all these ballots and collecting all these ballots, which is why there was an insane amount. Now, that would be one thing, right? But it was another thing that, as we know from the Twitter files of how we saw the massive censorship apparatus that has been operating on social media for a very long time. And this is where the conversations have been happening. And so we saw them in Twitter files, but Twitter wasn't ground zero. We think it's not going on at Meta, Facebook, Instagram, all these things. And so what you had was you had Democrats and Republicans on both sides that were in this entire group of people that were using several hundreds of millions of dollars in conjunction. There was censorship that it wanted to go one way. And so how do I know this as well? Well, because all the big tech, big tech companies overwhelmingly uh, donated to Democrat politicians and Mark Zuckerberg himself donated money. So. We see all of this, and then we take the censorship into it. So even if there was honest votes cast, these people were never getting the information that they should have been getting to make an honest decision to begin with. And then on top of that, there were so many people out here able to go collect all these ballots and people that would never be a voter because there was ballots everywhere. And it was and it was taxpayer funded. And and if you go through this article, I encourage you to just go through it. They, they're bragging and they're telling you exactly how it was done. Now, are there, are there issues with machines? Yeah, proprietary code for voting machines? Uh-uh, I want blockchain. I want same-day blockchain. Right? That's what I want. But again, I, I can't make those arguments, but these are arguments that I can make. And if anybody on either side of the argument, whether they're pro-Trump or against Trump, would be against this, I have to wonder your motives. Like, this is plain as day what happened. This is what the conversation should have been having the whole time. Might have been able to fix a lot of this stuff. But instead, it was narratives and back and forth and censorship and banning, and there was no ever conversation to be had. And it's just really frustrating to me. I just kind of wanted to put that out there because it's right there. They tell you how they did it. So uh, you spoke on some relevant points to Red Devil. I, I've been messaging back and forth with you here. Um, you had a apparently you've been a part of a half a dozen of these lawsuits uh, pertaining to you know things that were actually mentioned in the Twitter files. And uh, I believe Mark Zuckerberg was actually brought into this. Uh, and then you sued Facebook over what was revealed in the Twitter files. So, uh, you know, if you want to respond to that or add on to it, we'd love to hear it. Thanks, Nick. And just building on what Trash said, because that, that was absolutely 100 percent on point. It, it was a First Amendment violation that took place. In addition to all the confusion surrounding the voting process and, and whatnot, it's a First Amendment issue. And before we even knew that the FBI and all of the U.S. intelligence agencies and probably foreign intelligence agencies as well were feeding this information to uh, Twitter and to Facebook for them to take things down. Before we even knew that, there was basis for us to claim, and we did in a $160 billion lawsuit against Meta, uh, previously Facebook and Zuckerberg, that they were violating our First Amendment rights as state actors. Zuckerberg is a state actor, and the reason being is that those $300 million uh, plus dollars that he funneled into our elections. When you contract via a nonprofit Center for Tech and Civic Life, CTCL. When you contract via that nonprofit with your donations and they sign contracts with municipal governments to provide funds to the elections, you're funding the election. You're a state actor. And you can't do that with your left hand and at the same time be silencing American citizens 
who are retweeting posts about Hunter Biden and the child pornography on his laptop. You can't be doing both because if you're a state actor, if you're funding the elections, then you owe us our First Amendment rights. Now, if you're a private entity, uh, censor us all day long. But we knew long before the Twitter files. And that's what's so frustrating is we got to the Supreme Court on the Friday that the first Twitter file dropped. And we were at conference at the Supreme Court and we were denied, unfortunately, dominionclassaction.com. We also sued Dominion as a part of that. Jocelyn Benson, Tom Wolfe, Gretchen Whitmire, uh, Kathy Bookvar. Uh, those are just the Democrats, not to mention Brad Rathisberger, Brian Kemp. These are Georgia Republicans that stole the election from Stacey Abrams in 2018 and did it again. So uh, this is on both sides. Both sides are guilty. Okay, so uh, Gabe, I'm sure you have plenty to say to that. Uh, looks like Red Devil is making accusations about both sides. So, uh, Gabe, jump in. Uh, yeah, actually, I was uh, I, I was in and out because of meetings. Uh, but I did want there was one thing that I did want to bring up. I, I sent it directly to Mario, uh, just on some of the stuff that I talked about earlier, which was on mail-in ballots and how Republicans were actually uh, big proponents or pushers of of supporting that. Um, so, you know, you can go back to 2016, where there's a Tampa Bay Times article that says so much for the Florida GOP advantage in mail-in ballots, which tells you since 2008, Democrats have overcome the Republican mail-in lead. Uh, you can go back to 2020 when Trump pushed the idea or denounced votes by uh, by mail, yet Florida and other states heavily rely on it. So I just wanted to bring it up to, to clear uh, to clear it up since Jim said that I was wrong. And I just wanted to make sure that everyone was aware that mail-in ballots benefits everyone, especially the GOP. Um, so I just kind of want to add two cents on that. Uh, but I, I didn't really hear what uh, I think Red Red Devil said, so I can't really comment on what he was saying before. But I'll, I'll, I'll chime in after he uh, speaks. Yeah, so Red Devil, you, uh, you had a lot of disagreement there, a lot of thumbs down. So uh, I want to ask you, like, what is the what's the argument against mail-in voting? Uh, as I've said before, it seems like maybe the government isn't the most reliable entity in the world, and we just saw mass mail-in balloting in 2020. Uh, so I'd like your thoughts on that. Absolutely, that that's probably one of the key pieces of this entire scheme that's being implemented. And in different jurisdictions, in different states, in different counties, different ones of these will be utilized to different degrees. There's the the machine component. There's the mail-in component, and then there's the actual ballot production component associated with the voter rolls. And the, the, the one about the mail-in voting is chain of custody. When you take what is a legal affidavit, a ballot, and, and the signature on the envelope attesting to the legality of that production of that ballot, and you redistribute that through the mail system, which I think the, the, the point was just made, that the government may not be the most effective and efficient um, supplier of services in general for anything, much less for, for mail. I think uh, we have got two uh, or in multiple other instances of private entities providing very effective and, and uh, timely service on the delivery of parcels relative to the USPS. And then we're trusting them with all these legal documents, these affidavits that are mass mailed out in easily identified envelopes to addresses and individuals who uh, addresses that may not have structures on them and individuals who do not exist to the tune of 
a double digit percentages variation on the population of these precincts and counties. That's a huge issue. And it's the chain of custody associated with all these ballots that are being blasted out across the country and across the world. We, we see some of them who that aren't actually uh, the chain of custody extends into Mexico and then back across the border and true the vote. I want to give a shout out to them on the hard work that hard work that they did there. But that was just the beginning. There's a lot more to go. Uh, Melissa, thank you for joining us. Uh, much appreciated. What's your thoughts on this? We're talking about the election, the veracity of the election and some kind of the problem problems that are occurring regarding the voting. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Um, I thought we were going to be talking about the indictment, but yeah, I'll hop right into the, the election um, discussion. But yeah, I mean, what happened in 2020 was absolutely despicable, in my opinion. Um, for most of you probably uh, who don't know, but um, I was actually born and raised in a third world country. I come from Zimbabwe, so these are the kinds of things that happen, you know, in third world countries. So for someone like me who has that type of frame of reference, it was very clear what went on in the 2020 election and how, you know, uh, there was absolute fraud and um, how, you know, the the left basically met, manipulates the system and basically hides behind the, the idea that black people are too dumb to have an ID when <laughs> I come from a country that is 90 per, 99% black and every single person lives, has an ID and is a, and votes with an ID in my country. And these are people that live on $30, $30 a month, you know? So the idea that black people in America can't have an ID to vote and you can't vote one day, one day, one vote with an ID in a in a first world country like the United States is absolutely ridiculous, um, and the the idea that we're we've turned election into weeks and months and mailing in votes and you know all of these things, this is just something that is created to create uh, fraud, and it's very plain and it's very clear to people who have lived in third world countries why these things happen. Because this is exactly the type of things that happen. The fact that election, the election was stopped. I've never seen that happen in the United States. I've been here almost 20 years now. I came here when I was 19. <coughs> and um, just watching how the election was stopped in the middle of the election, um, you know, in the middle of the night, I think it was around maybe 2 a.m. I stayed up all night. And all of a sudden, oh, we're going to stop counting votes and everybody can go to bed. You know, Trump is leading by 10 points or more in many states. And then we wake up the next day and all of a sudden we've got all new mail-in ballots coming in, many of them that were, go, you know, breaking almost 100% for Biden. I mean, and this is this is a fact. Um, so, you know... Um, I just think that the American people just need to look at what's happening, not from a left-right perspective, um, because I think the the powerful entities that have run this country and have run both parties, they have divided the country on a left-right Republican versus Democrat basis so that we're too busy fighting each other to truly understand the true nature of what this country is up against. And um, I think that's the kind of bigger picture 
we need to be looking at because everybody has their own little team. Well, it's the it's the Republicans. Oh, it's I'm on the Democrat side. But really, if you look at it, there is a globalist group that is basically, in my opinion, controls both parties for the most part. <laughs> and um, and now with the World Economic Forum, this used to be a conspiracy theory, but I think this is becoming clearer to most people. When you look at the, you know, what the World Economic Forum has been has been saying out out loud, you know, talking about how they control most of the the um, cabinets in many of the Western nations. So, in my opinion, the you know both parties basically were captured maybe a few decades ago. So really, they didn't care who you pick. You know, you could pick uh, Jeb Bush or Hillary Clinton. The same agenda, the same globalist agenda still goes on. You could pick Romney or Obama. They don't care. But when what I saw was the difference was with Trump. And when Trump came in, the system was completely shocked because he was not one of the picks that they that they, um, you know, thought would further their agenda because he, he's independently wealthy. He's somebody who's independent. So whether you like him or not, I think everybody needs to recognize that fact that the the system was completely shocked by the fact that somebody outside of the paradigm that they want the American people to fit in came in and completely upended the good thing they had going because they didn't care who you picked. And I think that's now even clearer because now you see how even both the Republicans and the Democrats attack Trump. You see how the Bushes are now buddies with the with the Obamas and everything. So this idea of Democrat versus Republican is just a complete uh, farce, in my opinion, and is something that is created just to divide the American people so that they're too busy fighting each other on these, uh, you know, social issues and like the the minor differences, but the major so Melissa, things. Got, yeah, yeah. So Melissa, I got a question for you. Sure. You, you mentioned you mentioned about um, your race and so on and so forth. And one question I do have is, uh, I'm not from the United States, so mm-hmm. this is just from an outside observer, Okay, that you have a scenario where 92% of the black vote went to the Democrat Party. But then when you look at it from a social point of view, from social values, when you look at the values of people from that community, they actually align more with the Republican Party. So first question, what is what, what, first question, what do you think the reason for that is? Well, I think it's uh, basically social engineering that began in the 60s, because if you look at um, the black community, they are, you know, they've always been conservative in their values, but they began to vote for uh, the Democrat Party in the 60s when when LBJ basically, the Democrats basically figured out that, you know, they're they're, going to... go further with their agenda if they have black people on their side. So the, um, so they passed the civil rights act, even though it was Republicans that, uh, a Republican house and Senate that really pushed for it. But the fact that he actually signed it into law, LBJ, you know, the Democrats got the, um, the, uh, what do you call it? Um, they got the, um, oh, I'm losing the word. They got the uh, benefit from, they got, okay, I can't, <laughs> the basic word is just escaping me. But basically, uh, the Democrats were able to use that as a way to say, hey, we're on your side. 
And um, I, one of the uh, authors of a biography written about LGB, uh, LBJ says that he basically said that, this is a quote from his book, that LBJ said that we're going to have these N-words voting Democrat for the next 200 years. And ever since that 1964 elections, Democrat, uh, black people started to vote 100, uh, almost exclusively for the Democrat Party. And that's when a lot of things like welfare were introduced um, into the black community. And basically, um, I believe that was the beginning of the end of the breakdown of the black society, which is the black breakdown of the black family. Because what you see happened was there was an in, they were incentivized to not marry their their wives or marry the the women to marry the men, so it broke down the family. So you fast forward from 1964, 80 percent, I think even a higher percentage of black people were married than white people. Okay, so Joe, I just, I just want to get someone else's uh, Joe's view on this because he's got his hand up, so I think he disagrees. Joe, what's your thoughts on this? Okay. Yeah, I was more curious on your statement where you said the values of the Republicans align better with the black community. Yeah. And I would I would challenge that. I mean, you have I don't think there's there's From a black perspective. So, for example, like uh, oh, sorry, go ahead, Joe. I'll let you finish. No, please, please tell me, because, you know, I, I think they're, they yeah. have a lot of the values. They vary as greatly as white people do. And. Some align better Democrats, some align better Republican. But even as a stereotype, I still don't see how it aligns better when Republicans typically cut their the main yeah, yeah, financial I'm, motivation. I'm, Republican I'm, is cut taxes for the wealthy. That'll drive that'll drive the economy. That's, economic, that's the yeah, overall that's belief. Economic. Yeah, yeah. So that's from econ- so that's why I was quite clear when I said social point of view, Joe, not economical. So yeah, I agree. Economically more liberal but socially more conservative and the reason for that is for example when you look at the 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 view in terms of like for example liberal ideas such as lgbtq their views on teaching those ideas to children their ideas about specific gender roles so on and so forth so that's why i said from their religious values so and the same with the religious community as well muslim community can be put in that same bracket where so uh, they are socially conservative and yes a lot of them still vote liberal and, and but economically probably liberal too so from that perspective i, I was talking about it Joe. so I, that's why it perplexes me why 91 percent vote or 92 percent sorry in the last election voted for um democrats um and did, i do did, believe yeah sorry, did, sorry. did you just say that republicans are for lgbtq community and like gay marriage and equal no, rights no, no, for... I, no i said liberals are so liberals, oh, are, okay. liberals are, whereas people from the Muslim community and also black community and various other religious communities aren't. And so it and the so it doesn't make sense from a social point of view why these communities are voting liberal. And obviously there are other reasons for that, but it isn't based on policy. It isn't based on policy of these viewpoints. But isn't that a, a relatively recent phenomenon? Like it's not um, socially that wasn't until relatively recent that this became such a, a huge diversion issue. So whereas, you know, um, the support from the black community for the Democratic Party has been uh, something that has been happening for quite for quite a while. No, I mean, it's true. I mean, it's it's only been the, the last decade that, uh, you know, gay marriage has become 
uh, basically every elected official now pretty much supports it. I mean, it was actually curiously, ironically, Joe Biden, who uh, jumped the gun in the 2012 election. I think it was um, uh, late 20, yeah, late 2012. And uh, he talked about how the, the Obama administration wanted to uh, uh, really support gay marriage uh, as a, a federal right. And uh, there was lots of concern because he, he, he had the media got, he got ahead of the media and, I got it out there, and now it's pretty much there. So it's it's an interesting phenomenon because I think it's a, a cultural piece there. But I, I I had an interesting thought when we were talking, uh, Melissa. You were mentioning how this is, you know, not a just a right left thing. It is very much a, a political thing. I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, one of my clients in 2010 was Joe Miller, who was a Republican running the primary against Lisa Murkowski uh, in Alaska. And, uh, you know, she's just a machine up there. She and her, her father, who was a senator before her, they're just they're an absolute machine. And, and what happened was Joe edged her out. She didn't get enough votes for the primary. And so she wasn't going to be on the ballot. And, and so she would have to run as a write in candidate. And so she she ran as a write in candidate and she won. No one has ever done that in history. Well, we went back and we looked at a lot of details and. You know, they went to uh, the Inuit uh, reservations. They went to um, some of these rural areas there. And you can see on these ballots, everything was written in the same hand. It was basically really illegal. It was really incredulous, but there was really nothing you can do. And so the, the game is there and it's difficult if you, if you, you know, if you, if you can't beat it. The, the problem is, and this was a book by Hugh Hewitt one time called, uh, If It's Not Close, They Can't Cheat. Uh, and the entire history of politics is just like middle school pedestrian type of cheating that has happened again and again and again. And so it's uh, it's with these tight races ever since uh, 2000, it's going to be very, very difficult, um, you know, to get more and more trust in the elections as these uh, elections will be replayed again and again into the, the new year of, a, of an election. It's crazy. Well, Justin, wouldn't you say that the division, and maybe I'm wrong here, but wouldn't you say that the division, to the extent that it has become, has become much more over social issues over the last uh, few years, as opposed to like in the past, it seems like it would have been much more on the economical front of things. And now it's much more, you know, um, social. Well, it, it depends. I mean, the, you know, the, the pro-life fight, for example, has been going on for 50 years. That was very, uh, social. Uh, you had uh, a, a lot of social issues that were very prominent. Uh, in fact, you know, the entire Republican modern movement was built upon sort of revivalist social, um, platforms. But always, you know, uh, as, um, you know, the, the great Democratic uh, consultant to, to Bill Clinton would say, it's the economy, stupid. Right. And, and that's the whole thing is I, re, I think this time around, we're going to see a lot of people trend that way. Um, like I'm, you know, my, my group is going to DC this next week and we're going to meet with senators and congressmen and tell them about our experiences during the pandemic. Uh, but I'm telling you, I, I don't have terrible lot of hope for that. That's going to be a front burner issue because I look at the economic issues and people are like, wow, this is really going to play, uh, you know, that, that's going to be the main issue coming up in the election here. So, uh, with, and, and now with, uh, Roe versus Wade being overturned, that becoming a state issue, I think it probably had an effect in this last election, but that's going to be a less and less of a, of a national issue. Um, and I think, uh, you know, some of these social things might take a backseat, but they're pretty hot right now. I mean, you look at, for example, the, the polls around, um, you know, some of these hot button issues, uh, the, the transgender issues, um, the transgender surgery for minors issues. I mean, these are, these are significant things 
And you see much more uh, emotional things than, you know, so I think it becomes much more divisive to me than like economics. You can come to some levels of like, you know, common understandings because those are numbers. You can kind of, you know, uh, maybe not. They're they're emotional issues, but they all, I think they become very poignant when they become very logical too. Like they're, you know, there are very few people who disagree that, uh, a transgender man should be competing at the same level as just a, a biological woman, you know, especially in sports like, uh, you know, uh, MMA boxing or swimming or anything else. I mean, there's just, they, just a natural competitive advantage. The polls overwhelmingly show that people say, that's just common sense. Why can't we get to that? Right. Uh, I, you know, I think those are, those are the things that are, they'll become very hot button, which is stuff that is very poignantly social, but also real common sense that, uh, that has broad, uh, broad support. Yeah. So I want to, I, I want to move the topic slightly, but still before, about the same issue. Before moving it, I, I want, I want to ask a quick question. So what, what's the outcome of the, um, so oh, I do want to move it to the DeSantis interview. I think that's what you're going to say, Slam, and maybe get an update on China and Ukraine. But what's the, what's the, I con- was going to, sorry, the other one is, uh, uh, Mario, I don't know if you want to do that. Oh, the yeah. one, which is the, still about the same issue. Arizona. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so before we move to that one, um, I've just got, a, what, what's the, what would you say is the outcome, uh, Justin Slayman? What, what's the outcome of the debate that, that, that happened about, uh, uh, the Trump, uh, Trump, uh, dismissing the election results or challenging the election results and, and Hillary comparing both? And what, what do you say is the outcome of that debate? Well, the, you know, I say the residue is still with us. I think this is going, you know, depending on who loses, that that party will basically cry foul, and there's mechanisms for them to cry foul. Um, the question is that they, you know, the the Republicans really got hit. We got really hit on the conservative side with uh, the January six uh, uh, protests and everything that happened on that day, and uh, it, it really, you know, took a took a bite on these things, and it, I think it impinged on free speech in many ways, uh, but. We'll have to see where the election kind of goes in the next little bit here as to, um, you know, how prominent these issues of election fairness and everything else are. I, I'm hoping that the next election is, is not so close because in close elections, it's just, it becomes really, really nail biting. And, um, it's, it's, it's frustrating because we look like a banana republic when we haven't decided an election going into uh, the next year. And what, what happened in Arizona, Slayman? Yeah, it was it was interesting because uh, obviously you know you got the information from Twitter and then you got information from the newspapers and it was just it was just mad because what you had is basically majority of the papers the mainstream media were like Carrie Lake lost right because she lost because there was basically seven issues and six issues didn't go her way and then you had on Twitter and alternative media where everyone said Carrie Lake won the Supreme Court judgment. Um, and so, I mean, I've got my own thoughts on it, but let's get some people's thoughts and then we can add to it. So, so give us an overview. Uh, Who's Kerry Lake? What's the judgment? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So basically, um, you had Kerry Lake and Katie Hobbs who basically fought for the election, governor elections in Arizona in the midterm elections in 2022. And the race was very close and it wasn't just between them. There was other races for, uh, uh, within 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 Arizona that were even more closer, such as the Hamday result, uh, um, election. And so what happened was the, the result was so close and there was severe issues or severe concerns with the number of things that happened with the elections, whether it's what happened to some of the ballots, whether it's, whether it's 
what happened to the uh, balloting of uh, of of the um, of people when they voted, and even to the extent that there was also about the size of the paper of the ballot and due to the size not not matching to what it was meant to be those votes not registering in the correct manner so carrie lake contested the results of the election she took it to court and lost she took it to the court of appeal and lost but then she took it to the supreme court and the supreme court found one issue in her favor and that and now that's being so that's going to go back to the court to be determined so that's i hope i've given a decent interview i'm in overview on my on, on what happened but yeah what's your thoughts on that trash yeah he's, he's bringing now trash is getting us a speaker uh that can give us a bit more insight oh. but yeah so so okay, yeah so. doc justin trash give us your thoughts on this i'm, I'm curious what happened there i'll defer to, to doc doc maybe you want to give an overview on that yeah sure so uh, one person that you guys maybe now or in the future should look at to bring up on this topic is a phenomenology. I think a number of people in here know who she is. She lives in Arizona. She's got some very close connections to the people involved there. She held a space on it today with Jim and, and Tom Fenton and myself, among other experts. So she's, she's really a subject matter expert as far as that goes. But, but I can say that I've been following the case very closely. I watched uh, every hour of the trial. Uh, I've read the appeals. I've, I've read all the motions and papers. And I have a certain perspective on what the, the Supreme Court, the Arizona Supreme Court did here. Um, yes, I, I would agree with Suleiman that um, uh, the, the media, the mainstream media has skewed this to the left in a way that's really sort of stunning. But uh, Carrie Lake appealed or asked for what's called an expedited review. This is sort of a precursor step to um, having an appeal heard or granted. So she, it's akin to the Supreme Court uh, granting certification or cert. Uh, to a to a claim and, and eventually the case gets heard in, in front of the Supreme Court. The in evaluating the appellate decision, what the Supreme Court did was look at I think six questions presented. Questions presented as appellate language for these are the six issues that we think uh, really need to be attended to by the court and were misread or misinterpreted uh, by the trial court. So it went through the appellate court. They denied it. Um, the left cheered. And uh, the Supreme Court uh, heard uh, Carey's writ uh, for expedited review, granted it, but only on one of the six questions presented. But what's what's being mischaracterized is that is the the, the most important in terms of the number of votes that could be affected um, either for or against Lake or Hobbs. It's the issue related to signature verica- verification to, to confirm that uh, mail-in ballots or ballots that were dropped off. Um, actually were signed by the person who was entitled to sign that ballot. So what they did in a very unusual um, legal um, remedy is instead of making an order based on the appellate review of that same decision, they sent the, the question back down to the trial court judge, said that he needs to take new testimony and evidence and he needs to review those same signatures that he denied uh, reviewing in the original uh, trial case. In the original trial case, Carrie Lake presented 13 different issues that she wanted uh, adjudicated by the court. The court uh, called those down to two issues and only gave two days of review in a trial. Uh, She didn't, uh, he didn't, uh, as a judge there, he didn't, um, uh, you know, consider the bulk of the evidence that supported 
that the election was fraudulent, uh, particularly as it related to Maricopa County. There's also a separate county who has claims that are right that will rise eventually up to the Arizona Supreme Court. And in that county, they were missing paper, lots and lots of paper for ballots. So as people came in and didn't have a ballot, they couldn't print ones out for Republicans. There's a Republican ballot. And so, uh, sorry, just got a text there. Let me get back to my screen. So what we're looking at now is Judge Thompson has been able, has been ordered to review the evidence as to those 260. Some people think more than that, 300,000. There's no instruction at this point as to whether or not he has to hold a trial, uh, hear motions, or um, provide a forum for argument uh, by either party. He's he's free, in my understanding, to uh, just review the votes, apply the standard, the legal standard that Kerry Lake argued that the Supreme Court uh, uh, granted review on the signature verification. It's my opinion and the opinion of a number of other experts that have uh, really know a lot more about Arizona-specific law who spoke up in Phenom's uh, space this morning that uh, just that one issue would be enough to flip the vote to Lake. So the question comes, well, what's what's going to happen if that's what that judge finds? Well, that that judge, pursuant to the Supreme Court's agreement could simply award the election to Lake based on a recount. Um, she, he could uh, hold uh, hearings and, and, in effect, have a new trial. Okay. It could be kicked right back up to the Arizona Supreme Court, who, who did say in their order that both Lake and Hobbs will be able to file uh, what's called a response, which is okay, that's, uh, okay, that's, the response that's, and the reply that's... back to uh, okay, the Supreme one second, Court. Okay, one second, Doc. So I just want I want Fidgetil's uh, view on this because I know he might have a different perspective and he is also a lawyer. So Fidgetil, yeah, and I brought up Robert as well. He's got a lot of uh, knowledge on this uh, trash discourse. Recommended him. Uh, so we'll go to Fidgetil hey and then Robert. Hey, hey, Robert, good to have you back. Go ahead, Fidgetil. Hey guys, um, <clears throat> uh, not an expert on the the situation, but I did read through it. Uh, my understanding is that uh, five out of the six were kicked out, kicked out um, as basically not subject to re-review. And that uh, on the specifics, the one that was kicked back for uh, re-review was not about the facts of the matter in terms of whether the signatures were right or wrong or, or improperly counted, but simply to the simple question of did the policies that were in place for reviewing signatures, were those properly applied? So it's not, it's not an implication that the facts of the matter as to whether they were or were not uh, fake signatures or, or what have you, simply whether the policies that were in place were properly applied. So uh, that's a yeah, I would disagree with you there, digital. There's going to be a new physical count of the votes. Yeah, the, the, the fact. That... No, the the concept was more broad. It was a review, not 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 to uh, say that you got to look at the policies. I think I think it was first first go back to the original trial court level. Judge Thompson basically just blew off the evidence there was on, on signature match and there were allegations at the time of like something like th almost 300,000 ballots that did not go through the signature match process or there where there was just an, well, no that's an, the an, allegation that's the yeah, allegation. yeah yeah we're in right, front sure, of a large but, audience allegation that that occurred I did say that yeah it's an allegation of, of, of 300,000 the since that time there was an Arizona Senate uh, presentation that specified exactly what it was. They came up with a number, 290,000, 
saying like, I think it was like 150,000 that would not have passed because of Arizona law and another 130,000 that were egregious at when they actually uh, compared the signature on the absentee envelope to the signature on the registration card. There was just, just no way they could be the same. So those are the things that, that gave it, um, a material amount so that Arizona Supreme Court said this is a material thing to look at and and now is directing the trial court to go into that right now. So, Robert, so you're saying that the Arizona court, Supreme Court has them, asked them to look at the 130,000 um, ballots or is it the 130 plus the 290? It, it, frankly, it's it's the whole anything that would have been involved in the signature matching process. So it could be one point. It's almost it would be a million million three actually. That's right. That's right. So, but the the Arizona Senate um, matter when I have to give kudos to Carrie Lake Council, Kurt Olson and team to get this in the Supreme Court to appeal it. That the Supreme Court was sort of trying to do some math in the back of their heads, like okay, yeah, the nineteen inch to twenty inch ballots, yeah, it might have been nefarious, but it, they're thinking, well, did it did it close a gap? So, Robert, I just got a question. I just want to, just so we all understand it properly. So, um, obviously, the Supreme Court made this judgment, but it's not, I, I, as far as I understand, and please just uh, explain it for everyone as well. Um, so, as far as I understand, now this, it's not that 1.3 million, as an example, is going to be rechecked, but isn't this now going back to the lower court? And if it is, what is the lower court deciding? Right. The, 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 it's going back to the trial court, the original judge, Peter Thompson, who who in a very rushed manner, you know, before Christmas, he's trying to decide who's going to be, you know, governor on January 2nd. So he's it's in a super rushed state and he's getting he got like hundreds and hundreds of affidavits about signature match mismatches. We had whistleblowers from from the people inside the the, the processing company Runbeck. And he and I think that was a very time consuming lift for him. He's like, oh my gosh, you know. So he, he he probably just dismissed it because of the time load, but but um, the other ones were more kind of uh, concept um, so, counts. Like what's, what's the, what, yeah, yeah. So what's the chances of a judge basically going against his own ruling in the first place? Because I know the way you're saying that, but let's be clear: no judge is going to say I rushed it, I didn't do it properly because I was under pressure. Wouldn't like. I mean, what's the chances of a judge overruling his essentially his own judgment? Well, Doc's and- got a great Doc's got a great <laughs> theory on this, and he he knows the interplay between the Supreme Court and the trial court. But this is clearly one where the trial court botched it. Okay. Go ahead. I will go to Doc in a second, and actually, let's go to Doc now. So, Doc, if you can clear that up, and then also, Doc, if if Judge Thompson once again sticks with his own ruling. I'm assuming that this will go back to this Supreme Court again. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's where the interplay is now. It's between the Supreme Court and the judge. But I, the chances of that happening, I think, are one in a million. That really well, the reason the, it's back. The chances of Judge, are you saying the chances of Judge Thompson staying with his old verdict is one in a million? Yes, because it's already been pointed out to him that he misapplied the law in really a, a tremendous way. That's why it's it's. Normally what happens in, in, you know, in America, and I know it's in California where I operate, it's true also in Arizona, and Jim can speak to this, <clears throat> the, when, when you uh, appeal a case that goes up to the appellate court, the appellate court has the opportunity to look at the evidence depending on the pleadings and the facts of the matter. 
they don't always look at the evidence. What they look at is did the judge make an error in law or applying the law? So the appellate court and the Supreme Courts don't want to get into an examination of the evidence. They leave that to the judge, the trial judge. So what's happened is that the, the Supreme Court got this case, and instead of reflecting on the rulings or ruling one through six on the questions presented from the appeal, they're sending it right back down to the trial judge and telling him that, look, you misapplied the law here as to the evidence. And there are several statutes, Arizona-specific statutes, that the, the Supreme Court has pointed him to. So he is going to have to, and he will want to, apply that standard in an honest way because the Supreme Court really you know, could, could destroy his career if they wanted to. I mean, I mean they, they could just take, take him yeah, out. Yeah, I mean, so, that's in, that is interesting because in the UK, we um, in, when, when our cases are appealed to the appeal court, even to the Supreme Court, and it is based on if, for example, the law has been misapplied, but then what happens is they actually do look at the evidence and then they make a judgment. So um, we got um, Robert... So is that the case? Is that oh, sorry? Let's go digital. Digital. Is that the case? That is this. Hap- does this happen in every case? That basically, when it goes to a higher court, they don't look at the evidence. They just look at whether it's a misapplication law, or was this a specific def- case when this happened? By definition, and I, and I just relooked at it real quick. The reason why it was allowed to survive is that it was kicked out the first time by the lower courts for being untimely filed, and the the court just said that they don't believe it should have been kicked out for being untimely filed because she couldn't have brought in earlier. So it has nothing to do with the substance. It has nothing to do with the merits. It has nothing to do with the facts. Like, what, what are you guys saying to this audience? But no, but it, uh-uh. they, they said uh-uh. it latch, latches was a BS argument to begin with, but the materiality was what you the didn't court say that agreed earlier. with. You didn't say that earlier. I you mean, said, I mean no, no, I'm saying you that said I said that the claim was that the facts could be reviewed. That is not the case. They simply said that the latches argument didn't necessarily kick out the claim. Just no, they said the guy, that it was material. Just, 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 so, just so everybody knows, what that means is sometimes there's limitations on filing claims, and by not meeting such limitations or latches, which means you didn't enforce or waiver or other reasons why your claim, uh, the court essentially for. Uh, 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 maintaining the sufficiency and efficiency of courts saying you should know that you have to bring a claim within a certain time frame or if you do certain actions you no longer have the right to bring the claim that that one all the other ones are kicked out on the merits that one cause of action the court said it should be re-reviewed whether it should be dismissed simply because of a timing guys that is what occurred well, I think you're wrong, and we'll find. We'll, I think you're wrong. I think you're misleading the room, or maybe you just don't understand the law in Arizona. And we'll find out. Okay, digital. You and I can have a little handshake bet on that, but I bet you're no, wrong. No, but doc, doc, it's not about handshake bet. You said you read all the papers, you read all the filings. I'm not. But if digital's wrong, it's easy to refute him because if you read it, you can say no, that's not the case. This and I the- repeat, the Supreme Court did not evaluate Lake's signature claim on its merit. Only on the legal no, they sent it back to the trial court judge to review his orders, Fizzle. They they t- telling the judge, the trial court judge, you misapplied the law as to the evidence that you that was under your purview. So go look at it again and apply the statute. No, I, I understand. And then they kicked okay. it out saying right. it's not timely. It does not bring merit to the facts or the allegations. No, but it it, it does cause the court to review the the evidence. 
Do you think, I mean, okay, let's take, play. No, play you're, 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 absolutely, you're absolutely correct. It was yeah, dismissed no. essentially without a, a, a functional and substantive review of, of, of the facts. Well, fidgetal. But let's to take... imply that, that, that this ruling has any implication on the facts when all five other claims were dismissed and she lost the first two times. Well, let me ask I don't you think you've read, I don't think you've read Lake's appeal. I really don't think you've read Lake's appeal, Fidgetal. I really don't. Fidgetal, is there, is there, are you suggesting that it could go back down to the trial court and then be dismissed on other grounds, other procedural grounds? No, that's not his point. That's not his point. So, Robert, Robert, his point is this, and I'm just listening to Fidgetal, and, and it basically breaks down the argument that you, you and Doc made earlier because your argument, which was, and it made sense from that perspective, that because it was sent down as a misapplication of the law, then that would make sense that he would be under pressure to basically rule in a different manner. But based on what Fidgetal is saying, that actually the reason it's being sent down isn't because of that, but it's actually been filed in an untimely manner. It means that actually, as a judge, he has more impetus to say, guess what, I reviewed the evidence properly last time. I made the correct judgment except that, this, you know, it was filed in a timely manner this time and I'll make the same judgment. So it gives them more credence to do that. Is, is that right or wrong? No, so the, the trial court, it, 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 it asked, the Supreme Court asked for a re-review of the matter on signature verification. It didn't, that doesn't, that doesn't box the trial court in. It actually, I, I'm in Doc's camp. It, it, he's got to do it right. You know, Latches was, was bogus. Now, now he has less reason to dismiss it. He now needs to look at the evidence that was presented and it was compelling. Are you saying that the ruling said that the latches was patently false or are they just asking to review whether it was properly applied? What would be the, what would be the point of reviewing the latches issue all over again by sending it down two levels back to the original trial court and ask that judge to apply the, the law on verifications properly? I mean, Fidgetal, come on, man. A lot of people listening in this room. Yeah, what do you think they're going to do with it, Fidgetal? When they go down to the trial court, what do you think the trial court's going to do with it? I think the trial court will say that the determinations on everything else of the claims uh, with regards to malfeasance or uh, extreme recklessness or intentionality that were dismissed the first time will apply to the same claim and probably not use a latches argument and make a substantive determination on the, on the facts and what they believe the merits are, she will then appeal it again, and the same thing will occur. What? No, okay. Why, why, why would Hold on a second. Come on. Fidgetal, why would the court waste everyone's time doing that? Why would the Supreme Court send it back down for, for, for just an order they could write right now? I mean, come on. I mean, Fidgetal, let me ask you a question, because I think that's... Uh, so. The question is this, Fidgetal. Um, in reality, because what the judge did was he said that it was filed in an untimely manner and so therefore the evidence wasn't dealt with in an appropriate manner. So isn't it that we're basically in a situation of not knowing? So now what's going to happen is when he does look at the evidence, it could go either way. It's like it doesn't determine either, either side. So um, I'm not a gambling man in general. If I gamble, that money's just being thrown away usually. Um, I will... Uh, as as a as a, a manly bet or an adult bet, I will bet either Doc or Robert that my analysis is incorrect and that she is uh, meritorious on that single claim. 
I will bet no, 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 $10,000 right now that she will not be meritorious on that claim. Doc or Robert, will you take that bet? Well, let, let me just go back to your point and, and, and then I'll yes answer. Or no. It's really a yes or no question. Yes, I propose the bet to you, sir. <laughs> Accepted on public, uh, recorded public. Wow, that's going to be like like four or five ETH at that point. Fantastic. So the, w- let's look at why the Arizona Supreme Court rejected the other arguments. In my view, and, and, and they've had hints along the way, they basically bought Maricopa, the, the defendants, Katie, Ho- Katie Hobbs' view that even though you had these diversions in 19 to 20, and in, even though you couldn't really find 35,000 ballots, that so what? No big deal. It was, it, every, they think everybody's vote got counted and, and it, and it wasn't in a, an amount that would have, you know, caused any damage. This, that's, that, that's one of the main reasons why the other counts were dismissed. But it's very much different in this other case. When you're looking at the signatures, you're talking about potentially 300,000, the votes that shouldn't have been counted at all. And, and that's a, a totally different matter. So materiality and, and the, the court mentioned materiality. So I think it's, it's actually, um, a bigger issue. This is the signature issue going down to the trial court is a bigger issue. It's got a lot of, a lot of, uh, complications to it so actually i have a i have a, a question about the signature because i'm trying to understand and, and i don't know if it'll dog or robert please you know educate me so my understanding is and then i'll ask my question is when you when you do a mail-in ballot there's one envelope which shows your signature and then there's a separate basically inside that envelope is your actual vote right and so the process is you open you validate the signature then you remove your vote to maintain anonymous voting or you so don't, when people, or you don't validate it, or 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 you wave it through and you don't actually verify the voter. That's the right, allegation. right, right. But I think when people are talking about the the auditing of mail in ballot and they said, well, we need to validate the signature, then how do you, when you are when that's the argument? My question is, and Fidgetal, Robert Doc or whoever, how can you maintain anonymous voting, right? Because that's a core tenet of democracy. So I would just like that. How would you maintain anonymous voting? After, because once you validate the signature, that you can't go back and connect the two. They're disconnect. Yeah, the the, ba- the ballot envelope is separate from the ballot, and at that point, you don't know how the votes are. But but you need to look at that signature and compare it to the registration card signature, and that's the allegation. The Carrie Lake team said they didn't do that. There's no way they could right, right. But how do can that. you do? But how do you know what signature that person voted for? Uh, I think that's the yeah. problem. Are you getting? Right? Are you getting to the count? Yeah. Then we. This is this is the next step here. Is that well? What do you do about it? it just suppose those. You don't know whose votes those were. Say there. Say there were a hundred thousand that that shouldn't have voted. You know. You don't know who they voted for. You don't know how it could influence the election. And that gets right back to the core of the case. Like, was this was this administered the right way? The Cary League team says, no, it was done illegally, then didn't follow Arizona law, and therefore you should set the election aside and, do, and, and have a do-over. So that's what they're alleging here. Because you, you can't track down to the voter. You don't know who, you know, theoretically you could. You've got a barcode on the, on the absentee envelope. You can go back to talk to those people or try to survey them if they live in California or if they're dead. You know, you could do it, but it's just a nightmare to do, right? So, yeah, no, but, there, but I mean, how is, do you prove though? I guess the question is though, but the, the core issue I think at hand though, right? And you would agree with this, Robert, is that you have to validate the signature once the voting occurs. Like, so once the ballot gets, and however the laws are, some of them do it prior to election day, some of them do it after, and every state is different. But at that, I think the argument though would be from, you know, counter to Carrie Lake or the voting ballot is like, you had your chance when the voting was going to, that signature was going to be validated. After the fact, it's, you know, it's too late. 
correct? No, no well, that, that's the there point. Was, the point there is, was no it, chance. There was no. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm saying there was there's no chance to for for Lake to uh, contest the verification of the signatures. When would that have been done? Right. She she got to court the trial court level as fast as she could. Right. These were questions. For, these were the, the questions you're bringing up now were questions that she brought before the court, the trial court that were not reviewed. Again, she got she got a trial court review on two of her 13 claims. So there is a way to verify the signatures. Once the ballot and the and the envelope are separated, there are QR codes on the ballots that link the ballot to the envelope. But what you're talking about is a huge administrative process when you're talking about potentially up but to But Doc, wouldn't you agree votes. that then you're you're violating a core tenet of democracy, which is anonymous voting at that point? Right? So like, no, like, no, like no, it, that's preserved. one principle <laughs> all, for another. That's no the, the the privacy is preserved. This is like what happens right before you open that envelope. They, 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 they aren't supposed to open that envelope if, if the signature doesn't match. Then they're supposed to actually go back to that voter before they open it and say, oh, by the way, your signature doesn't match. You've got a chance to cure it. They didn't give these voters even a chance to cure it. They violated the law in that way as well. Not only did the signatures not, not match, but they didn't give the voters the opportunity to cure. Right. And the allegations are that the process that they did go through, the signature ver- verification, was not held to the standard that's required under Arizona law. When you have signature verification that has an error rate of one to three percent, then it's permissible to, to, to not count, say, hypothetically, not count that vote. And so that vote didn't get counted because it wasn't scanned right. The signature wasn't verified correctly. But but there are reports, credible reports out of Arizona, evidence that was offered both at the trial and appellate court levels that the error rate was anywhere between 13 and 25 percent. So what, what's happening there is you're having signatures that do not match the signatures on file because the ballots are being or the, the ballots are being presented by people who don't have the right to sign that ballot or their fake ballots, you know, go going to conspiracy theory. And too many of them were getting were getting through because of signature verification process run by Rombach, which, which is an independent contractor hired by Mir- Miracopa County, intentionally or negligently or maliciously reset I, those the signature verification standards. Guys, one second. I just read it again to make sure I was I was fairly accurate um, to make it very 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 clear. The lower courts applied latches because the implication or the, the, the deduction was that she was saying that the rules themselves were not proper or illegal or what the Supreme Court case decision just said was that she was not alleging as to their uh, legality in, in, in their existence, but rather how they were applied to the election that she claims that there was uh, malfeasance or or issues and the supreme court simply said that because it was to that application not the underlying law in and of itself latches was inapplicable or not the right ruling and it should be adjudicated on the merits based on her claim as to the application of the law in 2022 digital do you do you do appellate work unfortunately i have Okay. Well, well, sir, then you know that that when a Supreme Court of the of a state or the country can resolve a question like that simply at the level by saying latches didn't apply, 
But here, here's the hypothetical thing the trial court judge is going to come back to the Supreme Court with a different standard that you think is going to magically erase all these questions that are raised by the signature verification process, the ballot printing process. What what procedural standard is it going to be? It's because it's not ripe? Is it because there's no standing? Is it going to be because it's moot? What what, what procedural thing that the that the trial court judge can come forward with that the, that the Supreme Court would consider that they couldn't have considered themselves and stop this whole circus going back to the trial court level? What is that? I don't know. Right Maybe I didn't learn that in law school. It is, it is a circus. This is, this is a circus. Uh, all of these claims from everybody at every level uh, of office and election has lost. Consistently, patently, period. The fact is, he kicked out every other claim as non-reviewable, but in his analysis, simply said that the decision to allow, to, to allow the latch's argument was misplaced because it relied on the wrong date. That is you know, I don't, I don't understand what you're saying, so I'll let other people comment. I'll, I'll stand on my bed and, and uh, shake your hand if I lose, sir. I'm with Doc. <laughs> if, if he's... If the application of the law is in question, what do you think a judge is being directed to do then? To decide whether it should, should be misapplied in the future or to actually apply it and decide the, decide the merits of the case? But, so, but if I may, just, just, can, just for, for my education, right? In the 2022 election, because we're using Carrie Lake, she was, was she the, the like, I'm, I'm tracking she was the main one doing kind of challenging the, the, the legitimacy of the election or trying to do a redo was there any other Republican? Because I don't believe Blake Masters continue on, or am I wrong? So this this has implications for other candidates. This is a, an impact. It didn't impact all the voters in Maricopa County. But uh, but but did Blake Masters join this? Were there other Republicans candidates no. in no, Arizona no. that supported Terry? No, he, he, he didn't. Case? But they're separate. They're separate count cases. Abe's got his, and Mark Mark Finchin probably doing his. Who knows? And um, but. But now, if if you're asking, Abe's loss was a, a lot less as well, wasn't it? Then yeah, he's he's, it, yeah. he's still in the courts, and he's only it's a, it's a gap of 281 votes out of four million, and so no, this imp, implicate impacts everybody. It in, imp, impacts the ballot questions, congressional candidate. It could M maybe well, it masters, masters less so because his his loss was more significant, wasn't it? Well, I mean, if you have 290,000 out of 1.3 million. Uh, total absentee ballots. I'm rounding here. It, it, the allegation that came forth in the Arizona Senate was that about 300,000 should not have been counted. So three, 300,000 out of 1.3. And, you know, how, what you do with those? Do you, do you back those into a, a, an adjusted tally for candidates? I don't think so. I think this is that the election was fundamentally flawed. And that's a Kerry Lake argument. And, and this gets back to the application of the law, Vigil. What's the judge going to do? He's he's got to decide about the application of the law. Do you are they supposed to verify signatures or not? Are you supposed to have oaths or not? Is it supposed to be a real voter or not? Yeah, this to answer your, your question, also, to, to, I'm sorry, I, I was talking over somebody I didn't hear. So we'll we'll go fidgetal. And then I know Patrick, you have your hand up. So if you, and, but uh, Doc, if you want to rebuttal Fidgetal, and then we'll go to Patrick. So Fidgetal, Doc, and then Patrick. So uh, I'll just reverse the question: Why didn't he rule on the merits, as you're 
stating. Who's he? You guys just said why, the Supreme Court judge should have what he should have ruled on the merits. Like, what are you saying? What, well, by the well, way, no, no, you were saying that you were you were saying that the only function of a trial court judge, based on the instructions from the superior the Supreme Court, was to come up with a, an alternative theory of other than latches that you you felt would would. Uh, uh, be able to satisfy no, the, uh, no, no, the parties no, no, no. in the Supreme Sim- Court. So simply that latches was the improper dismissal reason to dismiss that that claim. Okay, and he remanded it to the trial court. Right, but he asked that the trial, that the Supreme Court ordered them to review those the signature verification process. They said there was a violation of the statute as it related to that process. And go back. They're telling the trial court to go back and apply that standard. Doc, can you post that language in the nest from from the from from the decision? Uh, I've read it a couple times now. I haven't seen it, so I'd love to see it. I don't have it at hand. I've I've read it. You know, anybody, anybody want to come out of the queue? Yeah. Okay. Well, while Doc's looking for that, uh, Patrick, I'm not going to look for it. That's if if he wants to make a point based on the language. Um, I've given this my interpretation. I'm not saying that I'm absolutely right. I've been pretty correct on a lot of this stuff going along. So I think that's why I'm up here. I think people respect my opinion. This is my opinion. I think it's well-informed because I was listening all day today to the experts in Phenom's case. I've read the pleadings. I've watched the hearings. I've watched the trial. So, but I'm just, I'm just one guy in California. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've been a, 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 a attorney poll watcher and I've seen fraud, shredded ballots I mean, in, in California, I but I mean, anyway, that's, that's, that's fine. I mean, when no one's questioning your credentials, obviously that's not an issue. But when, and same with Fidgetal, he's a very experienced lawyer. There's a lot of respect for his credentials as well. And hence why as viewers, when he makes a statement directly quoting um, um, exact sentences from the case, and you're countering that, then we do want to we do want to see where that's from. You see, well, then, he's he's not directing the he's not directly quoting. That's why he's asking me for the specific language. He's no, no, interpreting he's, no, based he's, on his memory. No, no, no. He said he's saying he he quote as far as I know. Please correct me, but he read it, and then when you read your when you made your statement, he said I've just read it two times and I didn't see what you said. Please, can you show me where it is? Is what what happened as far as I know? Okay. Well, that's that's fine, but I'm not going to go argue this further. I, I, I waved okay, the no right problem. flag as in my debate with Fidgetal. We bet on it, shook hands, and uh, I'm sure there's a number of other people who'd like to, to speak to that issue yeah, if no, you want no. them to. No problem. Uh, Patrick, uh, I, I, as far as I know, uh, please correct me, I'm sure you're from Arizona as well, and then you're an experienced journalist, but, so we'd love to have your view and opinion as well. Yeah, thanks, uh, Suleiman. Yeah, I'm an uh, I'm an Arizona voter, Arizona resident. Show of hands in the room. Anyone else from Arizona? Great state of Arizona. Uh, fantastic. Um, look, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of us in the state that uh, feel that they were disenfranchised by what happened on election day. It's absolutely outrageous uh, that 60 percent of the voting uh, polling places in Maricopa County, which is the biggest county in the state, whoever carries Maricopa County carries the state, carries every office in the state. Uh, that's well known. And, uh, you know, had that happened uh, to you know, the Democrat Party, um, I would expect they would be rioting. Uh, it would look like Portland and Phoenix, okay? Not an exaggeration. I'm just saying. 
Um, but they don't do it, things like that in Arizona. People are very polite. There's a lot of Midwestern uh, transplants and refugees from the Midwest there. We uh, handle things a little bit differently. We like to go through the process, play by the rules, and do things um, politely. Um, but <laughs> there's a lot of people that are outraged. And one of the reasons is, is because it's very clear to everybody in the state that nobody had ever seen a gubernatorial campaign like Carrie Lake ran. There's so many people that were first-time voters that had been sitting out, much like the uh, Obama and the Trump effect in previous elections, because they were uh, motivated, they were excited by the Carrie Lake campaign. She drew crowds that have never been seen in any governor campaign um, in Arizona and maybe in the United States. So very, very rare. It would be very rare to draw the sort of crowds consistently that she was drawing. And a lot of people who were disaffected voters from other, you know, libertarians, there were some Democrat, uh, you know, mi migrants in, in that pool as well. So my initial question was for Robert Bose and for Doc, and it was the political dimension, but I think it's somewhat answered a little bit, or at least the question was raised, is that the down-ballot races on this, this is not just about Kerry Lake. And if, you t if you're talking about the margin of error, uh, although statistically it looks like Blake Masters uh, lost by a considerable margin, you know, we're only talking about a difference of 125,000 votes. Okay, so that's for the U.S. Senate. You're talking about the balance of power in the United States legislative branches in Washington, D.C. Now, on the congressional, U.S. congressional races, those were pretty much, I would say, others would agree in the room, those are kind of dyed in the wool, they're set in stone. But the attorney general's race, you're talking about the official number is uh, 510 votes difference between Chris May and Abe Hamaday. Now, this has huge implications, as does the Secretary of State race, as does the county recorder race, right down to the county level, because this is what it's all about on, on the local level. There was massive changes in the way that the elections were run in Maricopa County because of COVID, okay, the central... And Patrick, yeah. can I just ask you a question on that? Because I, I know you got more to say. I will definitely come back to you. But specifically on that point, and this is why I worry about Doc's bet, bet with Fidgetal, because even if he may be right legally, I think he's almost risking too much because isn't that a factor that basically there's so much at stake in terms of the Senate, in terms of, um, you know, the Secretary of State race? There's just so much at stake that it puts so much pressure on the judge to again rule in the same way that he ruled before. Yeah, um, Suleiman, it goes deeper than that. Um, you're talking about the state house and the state senate balance of power as well. Uh, a lot of those races, much uh, the, the the much closer in the in those houses on the state level than in previous years. And that's who sets election policy. If, if there's going to be election reform in Arizona, which Carrie Lake promised that she was going to do, you're talking about the important of the state senate, the state house and also the Attorney General, but the Secretary of State, and then who is actually controlling the machinery of elections. This is the County Recorder's Office. These are uh, the, the people in charge of these positions. Have There's been dubious things raised about them running super PACs to take out Carrie Lake, okay, um, like Stephen Richer. And, uh, and others too. Bill Gates, uh, is not, not from Microsoft and other Bill Gates. Um, he is also, uh, implicated as being involved in running the same super PAC. These are the people in charge of counting the votes. The Katie Hobbs, 
who supposedly won the race. She was Secretary of State. She was in charge of these elections. So you can understand how people in the state are just outraged. And to see the media trying to squash this and people in this room trying to basically, you know, discard, uh, disregard any challenge to this is just without standing, I think is unbelievable. Because if that happened in your state, if that is your vote, you wouldn't absolutely wouldn't accept it. Democrat, Republican, Libertarian or Independent or whatever, Labor or Tory. OK, completely outrageous. So uh, there, there is more than a case here on more than one level. And if this is not settled, this this is going to have to be relitigated again, and it might be relitigated uh, by people maybe protesting. Or and this is what we don't want to see. We want this. We want fair elections. That's all anybody in these positions want. And they don't. What they don't need is people obstructing that process of investigating and get to, getting to the bottom of what happened. Because if both parties don't have faith, I think someone said this previously in the room, don't have faith in the system, not just one party, not just the one that wins, but both parties, then we can't move forward as a country. Certainly, you can't move forward as a state. So um, there's a lot of issues but, there. But, but I have a question. I have a question for you, because I, I think that because I, you know, I understand that people bring this up all the time, but like, but if the courts say no, right, this goes to court, right? Because I think we all in agreement that a, a dispute like this would go to the courts, either state or federal, depending on what's specifically being claimed. But if, if, if the courts say no, for whatever reasons, either factual or standing or whatever, like, I, I, I feel like that settles it. I mean, this kind of like Bush v. Gore, it was the Supreme Court that made a decision. And then everybody was like, OK, understood the decision was reached. But I feel like when the courts say no in Arizona or Georgia or whatever, I feel like that's not enough. So I'm just trying to, like, do the courts have to completely well, just get out of the wait, way? Or okay, the- let me uh, quickly. Uh, I, want to, I want to defer to Doc. But before I do that, all source. Bush v. Gore was in, in it was decided by the court in the end, but uh, the the ultimate decision on that historically and by the law would be that Gore conceded. Okay, he did. He conceded by telephone. So that's the final word. Okay, you can take it as far as you want, right up to the Supreme Court. There could have been a massive decision in Pennsylvania in the in the uh in the last in the 2020 election and that went right up to the supreme court and one of the new uh appointees amy justice amy coney barrett she did not weigh in on that uh unfortunately so that could have easily swung the other way that could have swung the result of a major swing state in the 2020 elections but the courts on their own point like but but that's not my but that's not the the, the justice let me finish also let me finish i'll give you the, the the real the real kicker okay courts on their own courts on their own are political um what happens outside the court influences the decision of any judge anywhere courts that do not decide on the letter of the law they they ultimately will rule on the political atmosphere that exists around the court so it's a political problem to begin with therefore the solution will ultimately be political and to say that just because of that judge there that was appointed by trump which is a fallacious argument that they dismiss the case which is ridiculous because even trump uh, appointees judges are under various political pressures look at the supreme court uh, uh, justices who had people on the lawns of their houses 
uh, wanting to break into their house or attack their families. There is political pressure in all directions. So to say that just because the court decides this or that judge decides that is not the end argument. The, the solution is ultimately political with the voters, the state legislations, and those who hold office within the state. That's why this Arizona case is so crucial to this issue of election integrity. Patrick? I mean, I mean- it's got to it's got to be done in in the context of the claim in the Cary Lake matter, and it, this is a primary remedy sought by Cary Lake was to set aside the election or declare her the winner. I, you know, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but if you have 300,000 potential or 290,000 votes or even half of that that are decided determined that did not apply, did the law wasn't applied properly, and they shouldn't be counted that the remedy for her is and that the judge would have to consider, does it, is it a do over for the Kerry Lake election? I mean, that's the that's only the question. Uh, right. Robert, that, that would be, for but do we, do we do over all that? Because like, I think people forget. Well, like, as a voter, no, hold sorry, on, hold on, hold on. listen, Patrick, no, no, wait, 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 as a voter who I, can I clear cast up, a ballot, guys. hold on. Okay. I cast a ballot in this election. I, I care about every single dot I filled on that ballot is equally important as Carrie Lake. And as a voter, I speak for other voters. I think they would agree. It affects all voters. But now, do the other candidates have to bring their their own cases no. to get a remedy? Or no, they, no, the that, judge have I would like to. Do to it? That's for a doc or somebody who would be more au fait to give an opinion on that. Doc, what, doc, what, do, what do you think? And also, if you want to change the conditions of your bet. Uh, I, I do want to go back to all based sources. On, based on Patrick's uh, a very strong argument, which I is my view as well, that the political aspect of this it w- may just be way too strong. But anyway, go ahead, Doc. So, yes, the political aspect on all of these election challenging challenges cases have been way too strong, and I can tell you exactly why. And also, when a court says no, a trial court says no, that's not the end of the story. That's why we have appellate courts and Supreme Courts. So in this case, the courts have not said no. What the courts have said is, yes, go back and look at this. But in terms of dealing with the political connotations, Patrick's right when looking at a, you know, a ground-level analysis of it. But really to understand why the courts here have been reticent to grant a broad review of the claims. Again, only two of the 13 trial court claims of Cary Lake were, were adjudicated by the court. <clears throat> is It goes back to the Bush v. Gore uh, case where the Supreme Court over and over again did not want to weigh in on that case. They wanted the resolution to to be they wanted to be resolved within the Florida uh, court system. But they eventually had to step in because the Florida Supreme Court misapplied the law from a constitutional standpoint. And as a result of the decision in that case, that's that through the through the the presidency to Bush, there was a lot of pressure put on the court. They came under a lot of personal attacks. People Doc, I've got a question were... for you, actually, just, just on what you're saying. Um, you know, the Arizona Supreme Court, what is the makeup of it in terms of political affiliation? So I, I don't court... know. My, my understanding is the, the, the head judge uh, is the Democrat and has issued other rulings that are consistent with a liberal review of these issues. But let me let me finish my my, my point, because I want to bring it the, back. The to whole Arizona. panel heard it, by the way, the whole the whole panel heard this case. So it wasn't just one of the judges that made this determination. Right. The, the Supreme Court has uh, can elect to have a full panel review or a single judge review or a three panel judge review of the claim. It was it was that serious that the whole panel and the Arizona courts did. But but look, this reflects back on the 2020 and the 22, 2022 election. 
is the courts do not want to get involved in what's called political question. And there, there's actually doctrine in the law, and I'm sure Fidgetal has heard this as well. It's a political question doctrine. And the courts, and Roberts is a particular advocate of this position, where if he feels an issue is overtly political, in that it, 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 it particularly when it revolves elections and voting, they want the, the voters to pick representatives who will change the law, and they don't want to be dragged into this. So from my perspective, that's what, what the appellate court in Arizona took that, that, that uh, perspective. But the Arizona Supreme Court, looking at how important these issues are, and Patrick did a, did a very good summation of the attitude that I understand most Arizonans have, and that there is a there is a potential for this to, to go up if it's not reviewed properly and competently and extensively digital. That um, you know the, the the political question doctrine is is just in the courts desire to sit out because there's political pressure against them because they're good old boys friends with the appellate court judge or the trial court judge and they don't want to embarrass them. In, in my opinion, the way that the Supreme Court ruled on these issues is they picked. The one thing, the the one the the one uh, claim of lakes that had a broad potential, broad base impact to uh, uh, up to 1.3 million voters, that if if rendered uh, uh, a review was rendered under the the Arizona law properly, that there would be a different vote result, because Maricopa County is I don't know what 60 percent of the vote in all of Arizona, maybe more than that. So just ordering either a recount in Maricopa County or, or switching the votes or disqualifying votes based on the review of the signature verification, not only would that put Lake potentially back in the lead, but especially given uh, the Abe uh, Hamada's, uh, you know, lead was only, uh, or loss was only 517, that could affect every other race. So, so Fidgetal, I know you had your hand up, so you want to come back on that. Uh, but in addition to that, if you could just answer this question, the reason I asked Doc this question is because Patrick said, and I agree with Patrick, that a lot of these things are politically motivated. And I've looked at a number of cases in the US. And generally speaking, when cases go to the Court of Appeal or the Supreme Court, they go the way of whoever has the majority of their people in the court. So whether it's Democrat or Republican. So, I mean, what is, do you know what the makeup of the Arizona Supreme Court is? One. And then the second thing is obviously, I know you've got to come back. Okay. So first of all, um, I love this slippery soap argument. So every court is biased. So the, the 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 two the two rulings beforehand and the Supreme Court all biased. Or I'm not sure what you're saying that it wasn't biased in the Supreme Court. And no, no, so they, I'll give you examples. I'll, I'll add a bit of substance to it. So I'm not talking about this case. Like I looked at a few cases, but let me just give you an example. I was looking at the three or three creative case, and what happened was each time I went through the various courts. If it was a Republican judge, it went the way of three or three creative. And when it was a Democrat judge in the Court of Appeal, as an example, it went against the three or three creative. And now it's gone to the Supreme Court. In my view, it's going to go towards the three or three creative. Uh, the decision is going to go in their way. So uh, that was just an example. And so I was saying, is it, I mean, what is the makeup of the Arizona court? And I'm, I mean, are my thoughts right or not? I understand what you're saying. Um, and you're watching that happen in the U.S. Supreme Court, where decisions are being rendered based on... Uh, not political leaning per se, but political leaning guides political ideology and interpretation of, of uh, laws, case law, uh, and such. So does that exist? Absolutely. And the U.S. Supreme Court's a perfect example. 
they make decisions based on their interpretation and how they believe the Constitution should be interpreted or not interpreted and so on and so forth, right? That's just like to say that that's somehow uh, alarming or surprising would completely miss the entire point of why the Republicans didn't allow Obama to get his uh, his uh, his representative uh, or his pick for the Supreme Court into the Supreme Court, right? Like that's why they did it. That's why it's it's so important. Um, and it's playing out in the, the way the decisions are being made from the US Supreme Court. So like that's just nothing personal, but that's that's a nothing burger, right? That just, that is what it is. That's why both parties do their best to get their uh, their judges and, and and their legislators into the positions that, that they want them to be. Uh, that's why Trump was able to get so many appointees and he did that in the first place, right? So that, that's a nothing burger. Uh, I, I do want to reiterate, this does not have any impact whatsoever on any other case. All they were saying is the one claim that was not adjudicated on its factual merits should be reviewed not, well, first of all, not should be reviewed on its factual merits. Just saying that the latches, the, the dismissal of the claim based on latches was inappropriate because it was not relating to the validity of the of the the rules themselves, but as to the application of the rules to her uh, uh, during her uh, election process. All Fintel, I don't think anyone I don't think anyone has said here that that this will affect another case. Just, just, just to finish, that's what was basically. okay. Uh, just to finish. Was, no, just okay. just to finish. What you can know is that the court kicked, denied re-review of six of the seven claims, and the only one that they that they allowed to go back was the one that wasn't uh, adjudicated on the merits, in theory, or more importantly, was dismissed improperly. So we, my we agree that is, it wasn't adjudicated on the I'm merits. almost done. Right. I'm almost done. My guess is, and which is why I bet you ten grand, Doc, is that the same response to the factual merits of all of her other claims that were dismissed at every at every level, right? Because she could not prove the evidence that the, the allegations she claimed were 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 true enough to to uh, to get agreement from the court in that in that regard, right? It's going to go the same way. So yes, they will factually review it. And they will come to the same okay. evidence. And by let me the way, jump, and let by me the jump way, in the court now. specifically in the ruling said that they can re-engage the sanctions motions for bringing frivolous claims. Okay, you need to land the plane, Fidgetal. Okay, first, I, just, I did not agree to bet you ten thousand dollars. If that's what the number that you said, I didn't hear that. No, I don't agree to that. I offered you a gentleman's bet, a handshake. You offered me. I thought you offered me an agreement to that. If you want to bet $100 or, or just be a gentleman about it, but no, I'm not betting you $10,000, and yes, this is a recorded space, I, I, I reject the notion that I that I agreed to your offer. Fine. I'll, 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 how about one Ethereum? I'm not in crypto, man. <laughs> it's $1,817 right now. No, 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 no. It's it's really not that – it doesn't mean that much to me that you would win on this because what you have on your side is the corruption of the courts and the corruption of the Arizona 
you know, government writ large now under Katie Hobbs. You, know, you want to talk about, uh, Patrick talked about the, the overwhelming support and crowds that turned out for Kerry Lake. Let's, let's flip the coin on the other side and look at what Hobbs did. Hobbs would not agree to any debate. Hobbs would not go out in public unless it was controlled. If Hobbs was confronted or with complaints from people about her performance as Secretary of State, she was, the, your security attacked them. I mean, Dude, that was if, if this wasn't a third they, world they knew, they knew that Trump was such a, a dumpster fire of a republic election, would lose the people would not be ready to revolt, as Patrick has said. You are not on the ground in Arizona, sir. You don't know one what's second. going on one, there. One, one, and one we're, be, we're, we're talking second. to thousands and thousands of people right now. You've got to get on the right side of this issue. No, right? no, this but don't, is not don't, a republic. Don't, that's, not, that's not a good argument. Like most, other than Patrick and uh, Trash, no one's from Arizona, but yet everyone's invested in what's happening. Ed, I've got a question for you, and it's linked to what Doc said. And it is something that concerned me when I was watching the actual election when it was happening early on in 2022. And that was, sorry, in 2022, it was Katie Hobbs being in charge of the election. I mean, did you find that problematic, Ed? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can see the argument. I, I can definitely see the argument from the from the right on that. Uh, I didn't follow the Arizona election as closely as I probably should have, but so I, I don't really want to say one way or, or the other. But but like g- going back to the point that you know this whole crowd size thing. Oh, Kate, Carrie Lake had these huge crowds. Like I, that's that's something that's always bothered me. Like Trump gets huge crowds, but so that's supposed to translate into an election winner and do more votes than Biden, who gets very small crowds compared to Trump. I don't buy that argument because as a Biden supporter, I I could care less about going to one of his speeches or one of his rallies. I'm just I don't care about I don't care about him as a person. I just care about his his ideas and his ideologies. So so I, I think that I think the climate on both sides are a little bit different, where Trump is kind of like this this representation of yeah, what people are more emotionally invested in trump yeah yeah, yeah like I, like I don't, I don't even know how i can explain it but he's more of like an icon of the party he's like this figure and he's 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 a great marketer he's made that he created that but that i don't think that necessarily translates into meaning more people support him support his ideas and him than biden it's just that people who support biden aren't Super. Don't, they don't follow him like uh, you know their sports teams like they do Trump. Hey, hey Ed, can I respond to Ed since the question was came from me? Ed, number one, Ed, I want to thank you for walking in and staying as long as you did into the and maybe it was Brian. I thought it was you into the American mission space. Deal with um, the, the conservatives and Megan there. I respected you for if that was you or I respect your brother. What, was it was, was that today or another day? I, I thought it was last night or yesterday, but it, it was Brian. Case, I think that was Brian. Was it Brian? Okay, yeah. so you know Brian. Brian represented both of you well and, and spoke well in defense of both of you. So I wanted to tip my hat to you as far as that goes. But as to your point that uh, crowd size doesn't really matter um, because of the nature of the candidates and the individual candidates themselves, referring to the presidents, you know what it really does show is voter enthusiasm. And voting, voter enthusiasm has always been a polled metric for and tied to likely voter outcome. So I think it's perfectly reasonable and statistically could be demonstrated that the crowd size would lead to turning out at the polls and would lead to a higher vote count. 
and so we can disagree so, on that. But I think no, that's just no, a no, I, I definitely I definitely see your point on that. But I I think like Biden isn't an exciting candidate. I would I completely agree with people who say that, and that's why I think somebody like DeSantis would have a better shot against Biden is because I think so many of Biden's votes were anti-Trump votes rather than Biden votes. So I I think like I I think that. That's Biden. what you think, right? You don't yeah, know that, that. That's that's my opinion because I, I know, for me, I really cared more about this election because it was against Trump, and I know a lot of friends who have felt the same way. But you would have, irrespective of who the candidate was, you would have voted Democrat, though, wouldn't you, Ed? Yeah, but I know so many people who were like, "Okay, I have to vote this election because we can't have Trump reelected." And, so and I'm going to I'm going to agree with turnout. I'm going to agree with Ed here because. I know so many people, so many people who voted for Biden that didn't really know anything about Biden. They just knew that he wasn't Trump. And basically, I, well, I don't the really. The media onslaught on Trump really worked then, didn't it? All the oh, no, absolutely. Trump's absolutely. social media accounts really worked, didn't it? The whole 100%. Mainstream media really worked, didn't it? You no, people no, it, have been it, under it, a psyop. And it started with the, the PSYOP here generally that tied into the pandemic and the banks and everything else that people in spaces are freaking out about today started with the PSYOP to take out Trump. The pandemic I, I, was part I, I of think it. It's COVID more, was part of it. Doc, I think it's more like the chicken or the egg. I don't think you can blame the PSYOP. I think you can also blame I, – I, or I guess I should say no, no, no. Look, blame look, the look, PSYOP. I, but I, I you, guys blame are, you guys are both very correct because I am actually an example – of somebody who was duped by that psyop. So I voted for Biden, not because I like Biden. I just didn't like Trump. And that was because at the time, the temperature was so high, the division was so high, and the, the psyop, which worked, I, I, I don't know if you were being sarcastic, Doc, but, but it did work. Because no, I know no, it worked. I'm not worked. being sarcastic at all. I think this was a plan oh. that, that I... Planned, and that's why. Let me remember this point. That's why in 2016, Hillary and her supporters didn't go into court to contest the election. They made a shit ton of noise about it, and there are reels that are all over social media of, of liberal after a liberal after a liberal complaining about the outcome of that election. But they didn't go into court. And why the fuck was that? That's because they had this plan. Right. That's because they, from the moment they had Quasfire Hurricane loaded up, and they were trying to impeach Trump from the start. But in terms of uh, stop the steal and the vote, my question would be, why did Trump lose all those court cases? Didn't so like the media mainstream narrative was that he had 47, 48 court cases and he got laughed out of court on all of them. If anyone here had any details on that, on what the true revelations of that were, I'd be great. I'd be very, you know, I'd like to hear it. I, I, I could tell you, I could talk to you for three hours straight, make every point in my favor and you wouldn't be able to debate me, but that was a debate that was held early in the room with with Jenna Ellis, and and frankly, if you if the hosts want to go down that road, that's fine with me. But it's it's it, you're you're mischaracterizing the outcome based on what the mainstream narrative, you know, media narrative has been on on those cases. Not, no, I'm, I'm actually those... asking a genuine question because after after Biden showed up and the whole kind of magic spell on everyone from CNN and all that kind of wore off. And lots of people like me, it was like, wait a minute, we've been duped. So now 
you know, not everybody has the time of day to go back and reanalyze all these things. Okay, what actually happened when that pipe leaked in that room or, or whatever. So it's a genuine right. question. Like, what are the arguments against these things? Because, again, the mainstream narrative from ABC, NBC, all these things were like, no way. He had Look, he had his chance. He had the court cases, and he would laugh at all of it. Let me answer that real quickly, yeah. and let me, let me tag in Jim, who's got his hands up, who knows as much, if not more, about these issues than I do. I'm going to go take a shot, and I'll be right back. Um, Jim, you got your hand up, and you were called out, so go for it. Yeah, well, give give me a question. Sorry, I I got I got quickly distracted. Okay, so um, okay, so once oh, I thought you had your hand up to could, yeah, could, no, could, I, I did, but, but Jim, I had a question for Fidgeton actually. Suleiman, Suleiman, why were the forty-seven could, cases dismissed early on? That was the question. Why were the forty-seven? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So, oh yeah, so, but if we can keep I, it concise because uh, I think we did cover it earlier in the space as well. But yeah, just yeah, no, we, no, I know no, we have just, new listeners as well, so just go for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, just the 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 quick response to to all that related to the cases after 2020 is just that nothing was heard on the merits. Now, Tira, I'll just give her credit. She, she mentioned one case that might have, I, I might have to concede was, but of, of the, the vast majority of these cases were dismissed on standing dismissed on the, the judge's ruling that there were, was no merit to the case, but there were never, they were never adjudicated in court so that you had discovery, which would be very difficult right after, or an actual argument between the parties. That That's that's the reality of what happened there with those. Okay, back on the, the, the one case Tira mentioned was where the Pennsylvania legislature uh, abdicated its responsibilities to the courts to decide about drop boxes and absentee voting. And, and the, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court backed up the lower court. So that's that's the only one she was referring to that really had merit. That was considered on the merits. But back to Ed's point about about um about the, the turnout and things like that. Uh, scientific results just recently with a very good uh, polling company, Rasmussen, just showed that uh, they surveyed uh, voters in Arizona that uh, Carrie Lake won by eight percent, and that even the down ballot races, uh, Fincham, Hamaday, they would have won. Um, oh, they actually surveyed voters, real voters, and and in a very scientific non non biased, well weighted poll that um that the outcome would have been different. And, and um, now going to the, um, the, the president. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Just just a quick, a quick one about the precedent. We, we, we were, we were talking about, you know, does this have broader implications for other races that, and, and, and have, have voter, have uh, outcomes of votes been, been altered. And uh, we don't have to go back too far to Charlotte, North Carolina and a U.S. congressional race where a Republican won. Uh, the Democrat challenge based on improprieties and absentee votes. <laughs> and they went to court and they got they got a new election and the new election happened and the Democrat won. So that just happened. There was another one in, in the U.S. Senate in Vermont a little further back. And that took about a year to displace. So the, the winner in that case was taken out of the office a year later. And and the in the the challenging I think it was a challenging Democrat in that case too. The, the Democrat was seated, so and you can go back to Arizona hundred years ago, but that's uh, yes, less relevant. Yeah, yeah. So Robert, on that, and I've got a question for Fidgetal before I go to Patrick because I know you already handed Patrick and then Red. But Fidgetal, there was something you mentioned, and it's just been on my mind. I wanted to ask it, but I wanted everybody else to speak as well. Um, is you said, let's say in this hypothetical situation, Carrie Lake was to win her case, that it wouldn't have any impact on the election race of the other people. 
Now, I never understood why that wouldn't be the case, and I'll explain why, because you basically got, let's say Carrie Lake it was to win her. Wait a minute, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, that, that, that was a, that, that's not what I said. Yes, if, if she wins, i.e. proving that the signature uh, rules were misapplied, then yes, it would have, uh, it could have substantial impact. What I said is that this ruling by the Supreme Court says and does nothing as to the merits of whether that claim is correct. And I followed why that would up. They, why would they I send it back down up. to the trial court? That makes start, no sense. I've already you? covered this so many times. Because yeah, the law was, in a, it was improperly applied. They said that the, the, the denial of adjudicating the claim, mind you, they went to the merits of the other ones and found that she could not prove with the evidence that there was enough evidence to support her claims of problems in the election. They dismissed this one because they improperly, according to the Supreme Court, applied the, the law of latches as to the, the validity of the rules themselves instead of what the petitioner was actually uh, alleging, which was that they, not that they were improper in and of themselves, but that they were improperly applied at the time of the election. Therefore, the timing argument with regards to latches was improperly applied by the lower courts and improperly reaffirmed by the appellate courts. And the Supreme Court simply said, A, latches is not, uh, it was improperly applied because of a misunderstanding or a misapplication of the timing of the, uh, of, the, of the petitioner, of Carrie Lake. That means that the court could dismiss it for a whole, the trial court could dismiss it for other reasons, just not latches based on the wrong timing of the application of the law. And what, okay, I, digital, what, what I, I did follow up with I think you should is, discount the seriousness of, of Judge Thompson. I think he, he approached it very seriously. Uh, maybe he made some mistakes that now the Supreme Court is saying he, he made mistakes on that particular one on signature verification. Mistake. Now when he's getting remand, what do you think he's going to do with Just come up with some other procedural BS reason to dismiss it? Or is he going to hear, hear it on the merits? My guess is that he will hear it on the merits so that it doesn't have any chance of surviving another appeal because she can still appeal that on the, on the merits, right? If he, if, if, if it's declined again, again, what I said is probably most likely, which is why I, I made a bet with doc that apparently wasn't heard properly, which I understand. That's fine. I'm not, there was no money involved. I can verify that. Oh, you, you can go back. I, I specifically said $10,000, but it's okay. Let's go to the videotape. <laughs> I heard 100000 Videotape. That's not what I accepted. You might have said that, yeah. but I, well, well, I, mean, I did I mean, I did hear people. I mean, I did hear people. hear people. 10000 and I, that's why I was worried for Doc, and hence why I tried to explain yeah, yeah, to some... why it wasn't a great idea to go ahead with that bet, even when taking into consideration the political rough and rough. Yeah, I did not go and into that sometimes bet. when you're talking on these spaces, you know, you just, you don't catch sometimes what someone says. Cost, cost, I mean, just we, we need to leave that line and get yeah, to yeah. the discussion, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's cost, okay, and there was no consideration, so uh, that's, that's No fine. valuable consideration, be accurate. No valuable consideration. All I'm saying is, uh, yes, I believe that the judge will most likely address this on the merits and not try to redismiss it based on a, a technical uh, uh, reason. Uh, I think he would be foolish to do so. I think he will adjudicate on the merits. And the reason why I did, although you didn't hear me, Doc, correctly, um, or at all, maybe whatever the case may be, the recording will say that I said $10,000, but that's fine, is because 
I believe very, very 10,000 reasons strongly that the judge will adjudicate the merits in the same way he did the other six claims and found uh, the evidence lacking. It's a dangerous game here. I mean, if he if he preserves not applying the law on future elections, more more voters are going to be disenfranchised. It'll be allowing fake voters coming in the system, dead ones, Californians, uh, illegals. This is really dangerous for it without regard to party. We need yeah, to protect so, so the Robert, voters. Robert, Robert, I mean, I, I mean, let me ask this question to Patrick, actually, because you got your hand up and then you can continue. I mean, Patrick, I agree with Robert. It is dangerous. I actually think that there are significant issues just looking at it from observing. it. I did watch that election quite closely that there were did seem like there were significant issues. But at the same time, I actually agree with Fidgetal. I do actually think that's what's going to happen. He's going to get the case. Obviously, he can't drop it based on a technicality. So he will look at the merits of the case. And I think that he will still come to the same conclusion. And I do believe that a lot of this is politically motivated. So um, anyway, what's your thoughts on that, Patrick? And then go ahead. Well, I know from lawyer to lawyer, I know you guys love fate to come, please. So I don't want to get in the middle of that. And uh, there'll be no handshake bets either. But I'm speaking as a citizen. I'm speaking as a journalist. I'm speaking as a voter. And I, and I would I would wage this fight for anybody. And I know that might be hard for people to believe, uh, you know, but I would ra- I would wage this fight if for Democrats, for minorities, my my uh, my, you know, forefathers waged this fight in the civil rights movement uh, for segregation um, and things like this. So this is an American issue. It's not a partisan issue. The problem is it's become a partisan issue. And see, this is the problem with American politics right now. We have a myopic uh, view of history and our place and our context in it. And this is a big problem. This is the source of a lot of the toxicity that comes with partisan, the partisan polarity in the United States right now. But what Doc said, I want to add to what Doc said because I think it got kind of steamrolled over uh, in the, uh, the, the technical legal jargon analysis, which is very important, and I agree. Um, the courts, uh, at the end of the day, they're, they're processing these issues uh, the best they can with, with the restraints of their institutions and all the pressures on it. But the political issue is still, to me, one of the overriding issues because uh, and there's a, there is a misconception by a lot of people that uh, courts operate uh, in, in a sealed, uh, sanitized vacuum and they're not affected by what happens outside the courtroom, and this is not true. If there's any uh, ruling on this particular case, if there's any concession whatsoever, it has massive implications. And I'll tell you why, because as we speak right now, there are many cases, more than a dozen signature verification cases, which are being adjudicated, winding their way through the legal system in different states. And before the 2020 election, I shall point out as well that the Democrats uh, deployed dozens of lawyers and civil rights lawyers to sue states to stop signature verification, uh, including states like North Carolina. I don't have all the details, but Robert uh, Robert Barnes, uh, attorney, has documented this really well. So they deployed a lot of resources before the 2020 election to challenge signature verifications uh, on various dubious grounds, like it's discriminatory, and it's the same type of thing with uh, opposing voter ID. So there's clearly a strategy there, and what it does is it comes down to money. If there is uh, some positive result in Arizona, this then reverberates politically, and when you have things reverberate and cascade politically, that means more money is available to hire 
uh, trial lawyers, to hire litigators, to challenge a lot of things that just there just isn't the political capital or the funding or the interest or the belief that you could be successful there. So to say that this isn't going to make a difference and this is insignificant, I think is incorrect. But certainly the ones who don't want to see the result are going to tell you that. So I'm here to speak for the people who want to see election integrity realized and not just talk, but they want to see that everybody trusts it. I said it was if 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 the results came back in her favor, I said it would be very important and very impactful for the for the precise reasons you just accurately uh, mentioned. Excellent. Uh, I completely, then, completely agree. Then I can buy you. I can buy you a beer. Absolutely. 100%. So rain check there. But um, I'd like to I'd like to kick this over to Jim this issue. Um, because Jim probably has a good political perspective on this about, uh, you know, how the politics, the ecosystem of the political conversation, the, the, the public support for against or an issue can affect how things are going to be decided in courts across in different places across the country on issues just like this. Go for it, Jim. Oh, oh, sorry. I, I accidentally muted myself. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it's really hugely important. Like, so we sit in here and discuss the legal issues and it was a fascinating conversation between Robert and Fidgetal and Doc. And, 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 and that's the stuff that we deal with internally. And I think even with outside political influence, courts are working through those technical matters, which are part of what we do in courts, but we we really have come into a place, and particularly when it comes to these matters, as they've been uh, well in, in 2000, and then jumping ahead to 2020 and, until now. Um, you know, we we've changed the entire way that we work through the political system because the kinds of stakes, and I'm saying this from a an issue of taxonomy here the kinds of stakes that we that are at play are greater now than ever and that happened i believe it, largely not entirely but largely in part due to the fact that trump did come on the scene so so the political matter is is one issue in a broad sense more specifically i'm convinced because of the reactions to these things the, and, and we need to be fair, by the way, and Fidgetal made actually does make some good points about um, the legal process. And I think we we often can make the you get mad at the judge when the judge is really attempting to follow the proper legal uh, approach to this, the, the law approach, the requirements of the court. But I'm also convinced that you've got many judges in this country who are have become because generally politics is always at play in courts but that are becoming particularly sensitive because of a perception that Donald Trump is a problem by, by the way someone earlier on brought up uh that he was a Trump appointed lawyer and he even did this well that 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 may be true and that's an important point but what's what's neglected from that particular argument is the fact that that Trump-appointed lawyer may be running away from giving a positive result for the very purpose of not being said the Trump-appointed lawyer did this. So there's a whole lot of play here, and this is a human process. We have to remember that. But I think 
uh, what is so critical in this entire discussion that concerns me most is, and I've brought it up earlier, but I'm going to repeat it because we have not uh, come to a place in this country to recognize that we are in a, a very recent post reform of how we do elections. This, we've had a radical shift in the last 15 years of how we do or so of how we do that. Early voting was never on the scene prior till about 2002 to five. I can't remember which year it started up, but you never had early voting in states. Uh, Oregon in, by 2006 or seven, I think it was 2000 by 2006 maybe had gone to uh, unsolicited mail voting. That's a radical transformation of how we do uh, elections. And when it comes to the Kerry Lake case that we've been talking about, there would be absolutely no court uh, dealing with any issue with Kerry Lake right now, likely, if we had a, if we did not have any mail voting in Arizona. Like that wouldn't even be an issue. The the the, the argument we're taking we're having right now. And we're still learning the legal doctrine on this or the legal approach to this because of this late reform movement that I'm, I'm referring to. We, we, th- we're in brand new territory. Like that's another aspect of this that's really bad. And it's why I think we need to backtrack on some of these reforms because we're finding out the way that these issues are playing out, Trump or not, we're finding out that this way that we've gone is a very real problem it causes consternation to voters, and I think it's it's causing legal problems that we're not going to easily be able to resolve because whenever you want to do those as opposed to other aspects of the legal system, you got to squeeze it into two, three, four-week time periods right after elections, and there's no way to process that. We need to back up and rethink all this stuff and totally redo our, our election systems back it, 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 close to where they were. And, and Jim, wouldn't you agree that in the case of Arizona, where they're slow walking the vote four weeks after election day in a state of, you know, five million or six million or whatever, um, much smaller than Florida or any other state, uh, comparable size, that that even shrinks that window of opportunity to adjudicate, um, or, or to, to hear complaints, to, to have things heard. It's even worse when you slow walking the vote like in Arizona. Well, yeah, and by the way, I lived in Maricopa County until 2005, and and I've certainly observed the change in the Republican dominance of the county uh, over time, but it hasn't been that radical. In fact, I remember on the 2020 election night when Maricopa County was, then they said it went to Democrats, because I also observe it from afar. I've been, I, watched, I watched the the specific results county by county in certain states, particularly ones I've lived in. And Maricopa County didn't go blue in presidential elections prior to 2020. To me, I was very shocked when I saw that. Like, I could see it maybe doing that, but not so quickly as it did. There, There's something really weird, because Maricopa County, this is the, the way that they do their elections right now, in my opinion, and I'm saying this broadly as someone who's run elections for many years, is really freaky and weird. Like, these vote center things are crazy there's just no effective way even though it seems inefficient to go precinct by precinct as we've always done in this country until recently when you have these big vote center things it's really hard to have vote watchers and that's a critical aspect of running good elections as i have done myself when i've been uh, an election uh, in charge of elections from time to time through my and, career and it's, yeah. it's a challenge and uh you- 
Yeah, I mean, that's brilliant. And in terms of running elections, I mean, Red, I, know, I do apologise. I know I was meant to go to you ages ago, but Jim had something very important to say at that point. I didn't want to. So, yeah, Red, what was your thoughts on that? Yeah, thanks again for the opportunity, Soleimani. Uh, I wanted to just mention about three different aspects that caused these cases to be dismissed. The first aspect was like mootness, basically. A lot of people said before the elections and a lot of courts said that these challenges to the use of Zuckerberg funds, Zuckerbucks as we call them, those challenges were dismissed because the election hadn't taken place yet. That kind of seems absurd, but that's the excuse that they used. And then after no, that's, that, that's, not, that, that's not what they said. They said at that point that the matter wasn't ripe for review. That's what happens before an election takes place. The matter is moved after the election was decided. The, the names of the county municipal governments or, or whatnot and CTCL and these other nonprofits. And they were all working together at that point. So it might not have been right because they might not have finished the heist. But when the robbers are inside the bank, that might be a good time to call the alarm. So that, that was one reason. And some of those challenges did go through. And some of the actions of, of these uh, nonprofits were stopped in, in different jurisdictions. The second reason why uh, these were dismissed is like the Kraken, for example. Sidney Powell came out and filed cases in every county. She didn't have standing to do all of that. Um, and the, the plaintiffs that she brought with her, some of those people were tainted. Some of those people were sent to her with false evidence and, and really to take her down. And they succeeded, unfortunately. It wasn't a question of Cindy Powell having standing. It's, it was a question of whether or not her clients her, had her standing. Exa right. Exactly. So uh, thank you for clarifying. I appreciate that. And the third reason was Fox News. And, and why I say Fox News, and they're still in the litigation, and there's been a lot of things exposed about how Dominion admits that their machines are crap, and that's absolutely the, the truth. But the, the issue with Fox News is even though there was a couple of people talking about that, the general consensus on Fox News was that Joe Biden had won. Fox News is the entity that actually conceded the election. Trump didn't concede, but Fox News did. And that was the, the, the cap of the PSYOP. Uh, associated with the election integrity fraud that the election fraud that took place undermining the the integrity that we've had for for all of history up until the last 20 years 20 plus years or so and it was that element that totally tanked the entire process created this fringe media supported of course by social media censorship but then rumble came out we had oan and and Newsmax and, and some other uh, right-wing extreme news channels that still brought the message, but they were ostracized in Fox News, which uh, everybody's grandfather and grandmother listen to and have on TV all day while they're watching dinner or eating dinner and everything else. They're watching this and, and totally drinking it up and thinking that they're getting the other side, thinking that they're getting two perspectives, opposing perspectives, when it was fixed the entire time. It was only one perspective. I just uh, I do want to start wrapping up the space now, so I do want people's uh, final thoughts. Um, I'll try and balance this out, although uh, we've um, maybe not got as much balance um, at this point. So um, let's go for Doc. Doc, what's your final thoughts about this? Um, yeah, your final thoughts about the entire space. So we've got we've, talked, we've covered a number of issues, whether it's the indictment, whether it's Trump v. DeSantis, and we don't want to go more into detail about that in a future space. And then we have election integrity and then the Arizona situation. Well, uh, thank you again for the host for, for bringing me up and, and tolerating my opinion. I really appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate everyone that uh, argues their, their beliefs here, Fidgetal, Ed, the crafts and scenes. Uh, I do think this is a critical time in our, our nation. Tom Fitton has been in these spaces. 
and so that these uh, election challenges and the the, the lawfare you know, for those who don't know the term lawfare it's a it's a derivative of warfare where attorneys uh you know are, are fighting each other in in, in ways that are uh, un, not honorable uh and unprofessional and that's become the course uh in our country and it's coarsened our debate uh the debate in here i think it's a reflection of that although this is probably the mildest space i've been on on, on mario's uh <laughs> for mario so thanks again appreciate you all um let's go for um jim jim yeah um i by the way i'm gonna be nice again the way uh, doc was i have i have a lot of respect for fidgetal we disagree a whole lot on stuff but I, he's a smart guy and actually thinks through this and and i really i know i know that there are conservatives out there hearing that saying what are you talking about but no i i, I do i do like him and, uh, exactly and, exactly we get shot down every time we make i know I but but um and, and you know I'm gonna I'm gonna get that cigar and whiskey with you, dude. Anyway, but uh, I I just right guys. Other than other than present fidgetal, what uh, what other? Yeah, I know. Uh, oh, oh, the only other thing I want to say is I but I say all that because this debate is really good and people need to hear it. I'm concerned that we do not, and I'm going to repeat what I said that we do not have an understanding of how serious the recent changes in elections are. We're in a tragic and challenging time right now where we have to figure out how we're going to be able to come up to a consensus in this situation in this country. And, and I tell people all the time, I've got friends all over the world, mostly in Asia, that are expressing their concern to me. And they're people I talk to all the time, and they're concerned that what's, ha- what's going on in the United States because they really do – so many people around the world look to us – to do things the right way. And, and there are some other countries too, but they really see it in the United States. And we've got to get this right. And we have to have not a, a debate that uh, where, you know, I'm on my side, you're on your side, and, and I'm going to kill you unless you accept what I have to say. We've got to be willing to recognize that this is a perilous situation we're in in the way we do elections. And it's, it's caught, forget Donald Trump, it's caused a, a lot of other harm that we need to resolve. So that's, that's what I'm concerned about. And I'm glad we had the debate to kind of work through that because I think it's helpful for people to understand it. Fidgetal. Um, thank you guys for the, the kind words. I think it's important to understand that the kind words come most likely because I'm not radical in my positions. I, I believe my positions, or more importantly, my positions in, is just like you, how you prefer the outcome of our country to unfold. Right? Mine just happens to be different than yours, uh, often. Sorry, I just walked to the hill. But at the core, the only way that we get any clarity is just have objective, rational, logical fact-based conversations where we, at the end of the day, can go, I just disagree with you. Um, am I hosting a space later tonight that's called Trump Looks Good in Orange? Yes. Do I like Trump? No. But not because I, don't, I know him personally and I don't like him as a human. I just don't like who he has uh, conducted himself in public and private life. And that's my opinion. But that doesn't mean I'm a huge Biden supporter. That just means he's the one in the office right now. I like the outcomes of much of his decision-making. 
in terms of where he's, well, probably not even him. I don't, I don't even know if he's alive, really. He could just be a bunch of mice living in a an old white man's body. But the fact is, whoever is helping guide him make the decisions, I like those decisions. But I equally feel that Trump was not is not a human. I feel he is a, a, a meatbag suit with a bunch of mice in him as well. And the people around him were guiding him to make the decisions that the other side liked. So we, at the end of the day, we're just disagreeing with the outcome. I think calling it to question elections is fundamentally damaging to our country, period. I think the results of the court cases, the litany of court cases, speak volumes as to whether these things should be brought up and how we, how we manifest them in, in the news and public opinion. And, I, and I, I came on specifically because I had been listening and there's a reason why nobody argued with my analysis of the, the, the disposition of the case. It's because I was correct in my analysis. Now, what occurs down the line in terms of the lower court's decision, I simply was willing to bet $10,000 that I believe the case will be fully dismissed, meaning that one last claim that is subject to a re-review and adjudication will go the way of the other six. I could be wrong, but I certainly was willing to bet 10000 bucks that I wasn't. I mean, Fidgetal almost bagged 10000 bucks in... In this, in, within this space, so he nearly had a big win, but it didn't happen. Robert, um, what's your final thoughts? And thank you all for, for Mario and Solomon in particular. I mean, you guys have been through th- three or four really big issues in the last week, and and they all have the same theme. We have rigging and lots of lots of passionate market moving pressure from all sides. Let's talk about banking. It, it, there's a lot of passion now about what how banks are are regulated at what what you know what the interest rates are a lot of debate about the fed that there's a lot of billions and billions and you know trillions frankly you know pushing the market and and sometimes rigging the market we have we have rigged financial markets we also have a rigged judicial system it's unbalanced we've seen it with the indictments we also have a rigged election system it's in everybody's interest uh, and some people's interests are to have it to be rigged because they make they make money on it. You know, if it's Goldman, or or if they if it's a just judicial system that wants a political outcome, it can be rigged. But in the elections, it's it's you've seen the tussle back and forth. We in everybody's interest here, we need to have a common set of rules for banking. We need stable currency. We don't want you know crypto to have a line of code that steals it from your from your wallet, like an FTX. We need we need a stable banking system that's that's derigged. We need to de-rig all these things. I'm, I'm here to, do, to help do that. And definitely we have to de-rig the elections. Thanks for that. And Patrick, um, your final thoughts? Yeah, thank you. Um, and yeah, uh, some great insights here. And it's nice to have a broad-based uh, views from different people who have different areas of, of interest and expertise. And you put that together and allow people to balance that out and make some kind of a bro- evaluation of what they've heard. I think that's wonderful. And you guys have done a pretty good job moderating what is a potentially incendiary issue. Um, but, you know, one, one of the things that, that struck me uh, over the last two elections is and I have friends from all over the world, as I know that some of the people in this space are international in their business and so forth. And so people talk. And uh, my friends from Brazil, particularly very politically minded, um, were 
chuckling at the last uh, election, the 2020 election, almost like um, we told you so. He said as soon as you went all electronic uh, voting and computerized everything, automated everything for convenience or because there was a crisis in 2000, he said we've been doing this throughout the 90s. All of these corporations with all these latest voting tech solutions have road tested all of this stuff in South America, Central America, and in, quote, third world countries. Um, and mind you, uh, you'd be naive to think that our central intelligence agency are not interested in these tools as they're used in other foreign countries. But the horror when you start to consider that, that these tools might also be used uh, to rig or to uh, distort electoral results in the United States of America. So so I think we'd be very naive to think that technology is somehow impervious uh, to such abuse. So, but the whole problem is we need to have this conversation. And I, I absolutely support Tulsi Gabbard's uh, election reform uh, integrity bill, although no other Democrat or Republican did pretty much. I wonder why. But this whole idea of, of automating everything, of that, that technology is the solution to everything, that for convenience or that we need to centralize this process or that process. That's the core, one of the core problems with the Maricopa County elections. They centralized voting centers, as previous speakers said, taking it out of the precinct and thus creating a single points, single points of failure that cascade with huge ramifications if there's a problem. And that's exactly what happened. So the centralization of processes, the over-reliance on technology, and this really speaks to kind of a divergent uh, thinking and uh, this idea of wanting to federal have federal solutions to these problems. The, the, along ideological and partisan lines, there is definitely a divergent uh, thoughts on this across Democrats and Republicans. And there's also a divergent opinion on state sovereignty versus the federalization of society. And this is, to me, is very worrying because things like automation and technology lend themselves so well to technocracy. And if we look at this globally and look at what's being advocated out of places like Davos, um, these are technocratic solutions. Half of European countries are run by technocrats now. And uh, Americans need to understand that. And I believe believe that Washington is becoming more technocratic as this, it, you know, as, as all these trends continue to creep, this is a real problem. So I am also a big supporter of the 10th Amendment. I'm a big supporter of state sovereignty, and I believe this is what makes, ma makes the United States absolutely unique in the world and gives it the most potential for self-healing and self-reform and course correction is the uh, wide distribution of sovereignty um, among the states and, and really trusting that people in each state are going to make the right decisions. Thanks, Patrick. Come to the Thank right conclusions. Patrick, thank you for that. Um, we are about to finish up, Melissa. So, if you can just give your final, and I do apologise, I came to you towards the end. But if you could just give your thoughts in thirty seconds. And just, just for and the, uh, just before Melissa jumps in, just for the audience, we are preparing for another space. In about thirty minutes, we'll end this one and start a new one. Just a, a geopolitical space. Uh, I miss those spaces. Just the latest with Iran, Russia, China, especially with Xi Jinping's visit to Russia. I can't wait for this one. So, um, yeah, we'll be kicking that off in about half an hour. Uh, but, Melissa, sorry, the mic is yours. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, I just wanted to piggyback on what, um, you know, in my closing statement, to piggyback on what Patrick was saying. Um, you know, um, I really, you know, being somebody who came from a third world country, like he was saying, you know, the people in Brazil, they've lived through this, like they've seen this. And, you know, I'm growing up in a third world country. I mean, this is what, 
we saw with elections and to see it happen here in the United States in the 2020 election for me was very shocking and it was uh, very scary. And I think even just everything, uh, it just connects with all the dots with everything that's happening with the censorship that's taking place, uh, you know, with the COVID mandates and all of these things. And I think all those dots connect. And I think people should just stop looking at this from, you know, from a left right perspective and really truly understand what is happening to the United States. Um, when you see elections, uh, no longer run properly, you know, the idea that in America you can't have one day, one vote with a voter ID is just, you know, unbelievable to me. So obviously, um, the fact that they have changed all these election laws is because there's cheating going on and there's fraud going on because there is an agenda to put certain people in place. And um, I think people need to really focus on that. And I know, you know, a, a lot of people maybe on the Democrat side might might be fine with it now because the people that are being put in place usually tend to lean left. But you wouldn't like uh, if, if that changes, you know, uh, it wouldn't be a, a good outcome. So basically, I mean, when a country starts to trend towards you know, uh, communism, authoritarianism, censorship, Marxism, which, you know, I have seen c- coming from a country that fell to Mar- Marxism. I'm seeing the exact same playbook play out here in the United States. And I mean, it doesn't end point. well for anybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a so, good point, Melissa. No, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Thanks for the comment. We do appreciate you uh, joining the stage. Um, I'm sorry, I'm rushing. I'm sorry, I'm rushing you. It's basically... Oh, no, absolutely. I was, I was meant to end the stage, uh, sorry, this uh, space a while ago, but... I've just let everybody have the last comments. Uh, all sauce, have you got any last comments? Hey, no, I just, I, I really appreciated uh, all the speakers, especially kind of the guys here with legal backgrounds and, and direct exposure here. Uh, it, it was fascinating. I learned a lot. You know, this isn't uh, my forte, but I appreciated everybody's comment and it was a great space. So I, I thank you so much for letting me co-host and be a speaker as well. No, no, we appreciate you. You have a wealth of knowledge and experience. Um, Raphael, have you got any last comments for the last five, ten seconds before I wrap I'm, it up? I'm going I'm to let you uh, close the space because apparently you have another one starting in 30 minutes. So I appreciate I don't, know, I don't know when you guys sleep, but you know, try to get some <laughs> at some point. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, so, yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, I really enjoyed the debate. I think we had very good uh, interaction on a number of issues, like I said, in terms of Trump's indictment. Uh, we had uh, Jenna Ellis on, we had Benny Johnson on, we talked about electoral integrity, and then the major news that came out, which was the Arizona elections. So I appreciate um, appreciate everybody and the input, and I really did, because we had a wide range of input, as many people said. So yeah, appreciate time. Join, in, join us in 30 minutes. We've got a geopolitical space, and those are always, they're less um, articulate. I'm not articulate, but they're more emotional is probably the way to say it. So yeah, join in. It'd be awesome. Thank you.